This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by Russell Kidd, one of our lovely backers, over at patreon.com forward slash Wrestling. where if you enjoy this show and you like it being ad-free, you can support myself and Joe by heading over there and getting access to a ridiculous number of audio goodies. We've been reviewing WWE and AEW pay-per-views all the way back to SummerSlam 2015. As well as that, you've got series like Pay-Per-View Classic, where we review classic wrestling shows, those of which Joe has selected the briefs for. There's Q&A videos, there's the The Big Show show, and all sorts of side series like or How to Revisited, where we look back at classic episodes of our show and see how the story has changed. This is a big one, our first ever two-parter. There will be another part to this as we continue the story of the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. This is a culmination of a lot of episodes and a lot of time in this podcast. Everything Joe's learned about the world of wrestling and Vince McMahon and Bret Hart and the click, well, is leading up to this moment, so no more faffing around. It's time to get into it. It's time for How To HBK. Friends, and welcome to another episode of How to Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows, maybe even how to enjoy wrestling. And here we are, the first ever, first part of the first ever two part episode of How to Wrestling. Today, we're learning all about the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels, the first half of his career, that is. So this is the one you want to be starting out with. Hello everyone once again, it's me, your old pal, Heartbreak Captain Kevin Mann, joined as I'm always by my better half, the degenerate Joe Graham. Hello, I think Heartbreak Captain belongs to Captain Lee of Below Deck fame. Breaking all them hearts, you know. Breaking all them guest hearts. Yeah, or like Captain Glenn from Below Deck Sailing Yacht, who is the ship break captain because he (laughs) broke the ship every single season there. Well, now that we've gotten rid of anyone who wouldn't be interested in listening to this podcast, (laughs) Joe, it's a big banner episode. It's a two-parter, as we've mentioned, hopefully in the description and at Mm -hmm. the start here. Why is Shawn Michaels a two-part episode? Why do you think this has come to it? I don't know. You tell me. Why wasn't <laughs> Vince a two-parter? It I makes mean, no hmm. sense. I mean, Vince, maybe in, in, in retrospect, given how long <laughs> the episode was for our, our, our sakes, it probably should have been a two-parter. But I mean, Shawn Michaels, I mean, he is a complex person in wrestling. And but you say that as though we haven't come across complex people in wrestling. Yes, but this is a particularly complex wrestler who has weaved his way through several of the episodes that we have already done. That's true. I don't know if uh, those keeping score at home or my podcast partner in crime, Joe, has realised that I've been drip-feeding you Shawn Michaels so that your body gets used to it like a poison. In small doses. In small doses since the get-go. So, I mean, like, you know, before we got into anything, I was going to ask you, like, you know, he's shown up in episodes before. He has. I actually went through recently and counted all of the episodes he showed up in. And I can't remember the number off the top of my head because my brain doesn't compute numbers but i'm pretty sure he showed up in it was somewhere between like 15 and 25 episodes like a lot of episodes he has appeared in and that is like as matches or as like a 
featured character no, in the real world that's drama. Just as matches. Just as just matches. matches. Yeah, like wow. he definitely, him and I think Rick has come a close second, but Shawn Michaels has definitely appeared most on this podcast for matches. So when we started the podcast, obviously, you know, what I wanted to do was do every single most important wrestler really, really early on at the start, get them yeah. all out of the way when we're still finding our feet and voices podcasters. Yeah. And then spend the later years when we've gotten better at podcasting doing more and more obscure wrestlers. <laughs> but Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm not to say I'm a guy who had any idea what I was doing at the start. We're working but... our way up to Doink the Clown. <laughs> you have to do D-Lo so you can understand Doink is what yep. I'm saying. <laughs> but there was you know, a couple of things that I knew I wanted to do. I knew I didn't want to front load us with a lot of big name wrestlers because I thought it would just kind of wash over you. Yeah. And also wrestling is not just about the big name wrestlers. I wanted this to be a podcast that celebrated... The big names and the less big names. Yeah, we're not Vince McMahon over here. Like, yeah. Only, only pushing the people that he wants. Was, the Rock. <laughs> I'm going back to D'Lo Brown. I'm glad as fuck I did an episode of D'Lo Brown within the first year or two of this show. But Shawn Michaels, I think you mentioned Ric Flair there. And another one was AJ Styles. These were wrestlers who, from the early onset, I remember thinking, if I just show you three or four of their matches on an episode, I don't think it'll do it the justice. So early on, I knew those episodes would maybe come later in the timeline, but I tried to incorporate them as much as possible to kind of, you know, get you used to them a little bit. Yeah. So he had shown up 15 to possibly 20 times. Yeah. What What were your thoughts of him before we delved into the, the weeds of Shawn Michaels? Well, I'll never forget the first time I saw Shawn Michaels which was when we did the Hogan episode. Oh, Jesus, yeah. One of the earliest episodes we did. Fucking hell. That was the first time he showed up on the podcast. And it was in the infamous match where he he gestures to bury Hogan Mm -hmm. at the start and then proceeds to do these really silly, over-the-top selling moves and stuff. uh, To humiliate Hulk Hogan. So that was like the first time you could see maybe someone using the artifice of wrestling that yeah. you know there's there's more to hey we're just putting on a show it's like i could be putting on a show but also fucking you over in a, in a weird way and <laughs> that match told me two things about Shawn michaels one boy he can wrestle i you know I, I love i think in wrestling if you're going to do one or the other i think it's best to be over the top than not enough yeah and it told me that he had an understanding of wrestling that made me realise there was much more to learn about the art form. Like, it was so interesting doing that so early on in my wrestling fandom because it made me understand that there were levels to wrestling, like yeah. layers, like yeah. an onion. Because you could show that match to, like, you know, people who've been watching wrestling for, like, a year, someone who's never seen wrestling, someone who's, like, a lifelong fan back to the Hogan days, mm. or someone who only started watching kind of around the attitude like me, and we'd all have wildly different reactions to that match. Yeah. People would be cheering for it, people would be booing it. He's a man who could definitely make you feel emotions, Shawn Michaels. Oh, which emotions in particular? I mean, it's weird for me because, you know, my earliest memories of Shawn Michaels were he was the kind of the guy that was gone, you know? Uh, I started watching wrestling right after where our episode is kind of ending here today. We're going to be covering up until Shawn Michaels, you know, seemingly, you know, permanent retirement in 1998. But unlike Bret Hart, who's someone who left around the same time but was persona non grata, Shawn was still being held up as like... He's like the Babe Ruth of wrestling, except he's only 40 and we don't talk about why he doesn't wrestle anymore. And I never quite understood him. He was someone who, it was much, much later years that I've gained an appreciation. I was a huge fan of his throughout the kind of mid-2000s when he returned. We'll get into that in our, in our next part. But doing season four of the Ashtiara podcast where we covered 
the height of his downfall, I guess you could say, or his early downfall, and doing all the Bret Hart stuff for How To Wrestling with you and the Vince McMahon stuff. And I felt like through you, we've studied wrestling through a lens I hadn't considered before. There's a mixture of tragedy and frustration that I get with Sean, hmm. even to this day, knowing that he is now, unlike a lot of wrestlers we talk about, he has come through a lot of the problems that we're going to talk about here. He is no longer afflicted, it seems, by what we will talk about in this episode. And yet I don't feel that he's fully free of <laughs> the history that has come before him. I mean, i got to throw it to you first and foremost. I feel that the Bret Hart episode yeah. unlocked a whole other tier to your wrestling fandom. Yeah, like I've... Shawn Michaels, is, is, this is going to be such an interesting episode for me because, because I've seen so much of him. Mm. My opinion is evolved over the years without knowing much about him so like in the hogan match i was like god this guy is amazing he's gonna be my favorite wrestler then we did the brett episode and i was like god this guy's a fucking prick he's so overrated and he oh we shouldn't <laughs> overlook as well the own heart episode where you saw him dancing sexily on top of a little house oh that, yeah. That was... <laughs> yeah i did love very that. important moments <laughs> but yeah with with the brett episode i thought the guy was a, a dick i thought he was kind of overrated thought the sun shone out of his ass for no reason and yeah, it's, I don't know, it's just ch it's changed a lot over time. And now I feel like I've come to kind of pity him. Wow, okay, interesting. Because we, we've recently read Bret Hart's book as well. Yeah. You know, which is kind of a more like laser-focused examination from one person's point of view mm. about Shawn Michaels. In terms of having to get a read on this man, it is difficult because, as we'll discuss in the episode, he's someone who's went through a uh, kind of character, and not a wrestling character, a IRL uh, character yeah. rejuvenation or, uh, or, or, or reset. He's retconned himself, so to speak. So finding kind of a clear cut, this is what we actually think about Shawn Michaels, or even what Shawn Michaels himself thinks about himself, very difficult. Yeah. Um, we watched... Part of a WWE documentary that came out in like 2011, I believe it was, or thereabouts. Mm -hmm. We, I watched his shoot interview he did in the midst of his retirement from like 1999, where he's in a very deep, dark place. I checked out some of you know other shoot interviews of other wrestlers from around the time talking about him and reading kind of reading newsletters and kind of uh, news reports and stuff about him at the time as well to try and kind of piece together a picture of him. I feel like he's someone who has benefited from the WWE oh, yeah. holding the narrative a little mm -hmm. bit. Yeah, 100%. I can't think of anyone who's benefited more except maybe Triple H. Ultimate Warrior. I guess. No one living, I don't think, has yeah. benefited quite as much mm. from it. And I don't think anyone is quite as maybe ambivalent to it. Like, I'm not sure Shawn Michaels maybe realises the extent to which this billion dollar corporation has controlled his narrative, so to speak. Yeah, because he is very good. He's very talented in lots of ways. So, you know, it is difficult to, you know, like, like in with anyone in wrestling, it is difficult to draw the line between, okay, so how much of this is the wrestler and how much of this is the booking? Yeah. You know, the push of the company that hired them. So he's someone who obviously imprinted upon you early from, you know, seeing him in, in matches and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm always trying to figure out, like, what are the, the, the special secret ingredients that make a wrestler that Joe Graham likes a lot? I mean, I know we did an episode on Sherry and yeah. he popped up in That's that. That's true, yeah. Uh, Sherry revealed that when she was paired with Shawn Michaels, he would 
she'd give him one of her gloves to stroke yeah. against his face. You knew him to be anxious. He's a, an anxious boy and he would use that glove to alleviate his anxiety. And I thought that was very relatable. I thought it was mm. quite humanizing. So like a kind of, there's the humanized aspect of him that maybe helps mm. in terms of like someone who's in ring. Cause I know Sabu, the episode we did recently, he impressed you a lot with his kind of arrow. What the fuck? I'll go and give it a whirl. There was a mixture of kind of daredevilness and also pure athleticism. Mm. But in terms of like a, an in-ring performer, is there anything about Sean that stands out to you or made you kind of drawn to him? Well, he does a lot of flip-de-doos. <laughs> he flings himself everywhere. He's very over the top. Like, I feel that match against Hogan is, is kind of perfect to exemplify Shawn Michaels, really, because he is like, like that, mm. like as a wrestler. He is an over-the-top performer. He kind of takes the piss out of whoever he wants to and that is very inconsistent mm. um he's very showy offy he's a he's a he's, performer is like such a perfect word for him because he is he's like he wants to be the center of attention and he is a character like the, what yeah. you see in the ring is is a character i'm reading tajiri's book at the moment where he is talking it's it's a little bit of a biography but it's mostly about kind of his theories about wrestlers and you know being a character driven endeavor i guess is 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 what he believes it and there's a great analogy he had i told you about last night which is for a wrestler to kind of get over or whatever it is the the actual character itself that you have that's like the ingredients for a dish mm. and the moves you do in the ring they are they're like spices and seasonings and stuff like that. And what's interesting about Sean is that you, know, you mentioned their old flippy do, and if I was ever to describe Sean, I'd be like, oh yeah, like really flippy and you know very you know dynamic and athletic and all that. But it's not like something like say the Young Bucks or something like no. that, or Kevin Owens, where it's like every, you know he'll pull out a move you've never seen before. It is the punches, the the kip up, the elbow drop, the super kick. It's a lot. It, you could probably list it. And people always gave Diesel a hard time. Ah, you can only ten moves, or even if that, maybe five. But Sean's not a guy who's got a bajillion moves. Really? I don't know. I feel like there's... I was trying to say here is that the character, the ingredients are so high quality. This man's like a Wagyu beef steak with some mold and salt on top is what I'm saying, mm -hmm. you know? Primo ingredients, select seasonings, you know? Mm -hmm. He's not a guy who's all about the moves. He's about that kind of intangible thing that makes... You want to watch one wrestler over another, you know? I feel you could have Shawn Michaels... And some random no-name wrestler in the ring and say, right, roll into the ring and just do a pose. Step forward with your left foot, like mm -hmm. William Regal would say. And I could probably tell just from watching Shawn Michaels how much more of a star he is just from doing a simple movement like that. You know? That's it, he will put flair to things. Yes. Like, he's got an energy that I think a lot of wrestlers don't have. And your diesel comparison is pretty perfect because i feel that's diesel's biggest lacking is he has no energy he has no enthusiasm <laughs> he's got coolness he barely wants to be there whereas Shawn michaels is just he brings over a hundred percent to everything he does like yeah. almost to a detriment in some cases and i mean you mentioned the word flair there as an adjective but i do think of the nature boy rick flair oh, a lot of yeah. time another guy who didn't have a huge move set but managed to make it seem as though he did yeah he's engrossing you with with his movements in the ring and his pacing of a match mm. but we have to go back to the start because you know, he's someone who, when we were talking about him in the Bret Hart episode, seemed to be a troubled, mixed-up guy. You know, we talked about in the Razor episode, the Diesel episode, about the problems that he would come across. But, you know, Shawn Michaels, he didn't have the tragic 
mixed up wrestling upbringing how many times have we talked about someone oh where it's God, like yeah. wrestling was the safe haven the safe harbor because their life was you know tragic mm-hmm. or just you know difficult for them in many ways a lot of wrestlers we've covered have had either abusive or neglectful parents yeah you know they didn't have as you say like a safe space to go home to at the end of the day and so for them they had to leave their home environment to find that so Shawn Michaels' upbringing, or should I say young Michael Hickenbottom's upbringing, yeah. <laughs> a name so cute that there were like people who tried to like, get heat on him by like saying his real name, like Michael Hickenbottom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, his upbringing, tell me a little bit about it and uh, why was it shocking for you maybe? Well, his parents were very, he seems to have like a very loving, nurturing, certainly like I'd I'd say middle class for upbringing. His family were quite normal, really. I mean, the only thing that really kind of makes them stand out from like other average families is that they were an army family. Yeah, I think it was Air Force particularly. His dad's Dick Hickenbottom, great name. That's <laughs> just lovely. You could have said Richard Hickenbottom. He's like, no, I'm going for the rhyme, motherfucker. Yeah. Dick Hickenbottom in the house. So yeah, I mean, that, that for me, I know like there's other wrestlers I know of I think Daphne's parents as well were also like in the Air Force. But anytime I'd heard someone be in the Air Force, it's like, oh, you traveled around all over the place. Mm. You're never in one place long enough. But Dick Hickenbottom was a pretty big wheel down at the Cracker Factory of the Air Force Base because he was kind of big kid on campus almost, it felt like. Mm. They were, you know, and this is weird for me. I didn't realize that like Air Force bases could be so large in America. Oh, yeah. That it's a, just, it's a town like. Not just in America. We have it in the UK as well. Really? Yeah, absolutely. When I... He said he, his high school was inside mm-hmm. the Air Force base. That blew my mind. I'm pretty sure you can still get that in England. I knew... I, my parents used to do pantos. And a lot of the pantos my mum would do the army base nearby would join in on and so you'd meet these kids from these army bases and they'd like have their own school they'd have their own supermarkets and stuff like i remember hearing that crispy creams were available in the uk in like the 90s but only if you went to the army bases because it was only available to those families (laughs) so you had to like sneak your way into the army base if you wanted like american imported foods wow yeah it is kind of wild to think but you know he seems to have had a very, you know, they talk about, you know, his, his time on the you know, sports team. He was the star football player. And, you know, when I say big kid on campus, Shawn Michaels, who's someone who maybe fought in the era he came in against the Vince McMahon stereotype of him wanting a giant in wrestling. Mm. Shawn, at, you know, six foot, was the giant on his football team. He was the big guy, you mm. know. And contrary to WrestleMania 10 promo packages... It wasn't that, for some reason, him living down in San Antonio, Texas, he was drawn to uh, New York wrestling and always dreamed of being the WWF champion. He saw Texas wrestling when he would have been like 12 years old, which mm-hmm. is the first time, and it kind of clicked with him. And I think, you know, 12 years old, that's a real time for wrestling fans who then go on to become wrestlers. Because when you're 12, you're growing up, your body's changing, mm. hormones are changing, you know, wrestling is a natural draw. And it's not because, oh, he was broken and he was lost. It's no. like, he was athletic, his friends all liked it, he well, wanted to do it. He And he, his parents said that he did every sport, like yes. literally everything, like baseball, football, I don't know what other sports they do in America. Lacrosse. Those are the only two, but yeah, that one. <laughs> Billiards! Like, just anything. And he would do it and excel at it. Like, he's clearly an athletic prodigy. But for, I think for him, wrestling was a bit of maybe a rebelliousness. Yes, because the parents, like Flair's parents, actually, didn't care for the wrestling. They no. supported him, whatever he wanted to do. But And it wasn't like, oh, it's so dangerous. It was like, 
you know, they start beyond the mat. Could you imagine the caliber of a man who would watch professional wrestling? Yeah. You know, it was a snooty thing. Which you know? again says a lot about, I think, the, uh, and I'm doing air quotes, like... Big old air quotes. Status of yes. the family. Yeah. Um, which is that, yeah, to them, I'm like, they would have probably looked down on on wrestling as as being you know especially because this is the time when the territories would have been more of a thing so yes they'd have been on tv and stuff mm. but maybe like avenues into becoming a wrestler would have been maybe more shrouded in mystery yeah and even still it's just kind of you're in that bad spot in the the late 70s and early 80s where kind of people go between wrestling is phony because we know it's a work and yeah. oh my dad thought it was real and he was an idiot oh it's phony it's fake it's phony but also oh my god it's brutal and it's horrible yeah, and exactly. it's you know it, it is it is both these things that are mm-hmm. contradictory but also repulsive to a, pa- a parent whose child they're hoping i'm assuming would go on to to bigger and better things than that yeah. now one thing i thought really interesting that we've actually skipped over was the fact that his parents, his mum especially, wanted, or should I quote oh, them yeah. and say, ordered, ordered a girl when Sean was, just before Sean was born. They ordered a girl and a girl was not given to them. I just think, you know, I'm glad that I kind of know very little other than the fact that I was very premature and my parents thought, like, I know a lot about the fact that I was premature and my parents thought I was going to die and it was very stressful for them and all that. Other than that, I want to know absolutely nothing about the circumstances, the hopes, wants, etc. of my parents <laughs> before I was born. Because yeah, you're better off not knowing. I yeah. know, and I do, wish I didn't know. Like, <laughs> planned, not planned. I wanted a boy, I wanted a girl, I wanted yeah. big... I, whatever it is you wanted, I don't want to know because... I'm not saying it's going to fuck you up or anything, <laughs> but just having any sort of a benchmark comparison that's drilled into you, yeah. like that'll go into the soft lizard part of your brain from early on. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Even if it's a gag. Yeah. And you it's, know? It's one thing to like kind of quietly wish that you have a boy or a girl on the way, but to, to say, and she literally did say, I ordered a girl. Yeah. And I didn't get it. Like that's so cruel to think and of your child that way. I can spot an anecdote that's been polished up at dinner parties as yeah. well from a mile away. It's just classic, <laughs> classic. Are oh, the hets okay? No, they're clearly not. Because they're ordering children like they're on a menu. <laughs> that was the most depressing gender reveal party at the Air Force Base that ever was. Oh! <laughs> like, just psychologically i feel that maybe explains part of like where this anxiety comes from for for sean like and to be clear though his parents loved him the moment he arrived like it wasn't like oh they treated him his whole childhood of like oh well you're the one that we didn't want like as soon as he was born he was the golden child of their family he was the favorite kid you know he the sun did shine out of his ass like he was treated like the special chosen child for sure i mean you can compare and contrast bret hart and Shawn michaels as being like the chosen one in a very, very kind of hand-to-mouth wrestling promoting family that's trying to keep a territory alive. Mm-hmm. And Shawn Michaels, who's kind of, even getting into this is kind of an act of defiance and yeah. all that. I now have my court-ordered sweet childhood story that I have to put in any episode of How To Wrestling that will feature dark times ahead. Mm. So Shawn Michaels... <laughs> Shawn Michaels was such a wrestling fan and wanted to express this in some way, shape or form because he was the big kid on campus for his talent show in his final year, in his senior year, him and his buddy put on a wrestling match. Just like, hey, it's the talent show. They brought out two blue gym mats and they started beating the shit out of each other. I think I've seen pictures of this. Yeah, it's, he's, he busted open hard way, Joe. Yeah, they're all like covered in blood. It's Yay! Like, 
<laughs> and I thought I was edgy for doing stand-up where I made fun of the teachers in, in my senior year. And here he is, like, fucking doing a 60-minute Broadway. Yeah. <laughs> we have a couple of uh, cute little anecdotes about teenage boy Shawn Michaels. One, as you said, he was obsessed with Ric Flair. Yes. And that manifested in him looking in the mirror all the time. Mm. Like, he was obsessed with just staring at himself in the mirror for hours on end. He'd do the, the Rick promos into the mirror, I think is what they were saying. Right, okay. Like, he's in The Sims. <laughs> he practiced wrestling moves in their pool. Which, again, just so interesting. Having done episodes on, like, Jake Roberts and, and Sabu and stuff. Like, people who would have grown up with family members in the wrestling business. And here's Shawn Michael with the funds to have a pool. And then practice wrestling moves into that pool. Like, that's such an advantage. Oh, yeah. And I mean, like, you know, the extent of my backyard wrestling when I was 12 years old. You know, we did a few things out on, you know, the playground, the concrete and the grass, which we all regretted. And the vast majority of was in the shitty pool that was near the school that closed down after my first year. But, you know, I got a lot of my wanting to be a wrestler out of my system <laughs> by taking, you know, a twisting belly-to-belly -belly suplex off the top rope, brackets, diving board, into the pool. I mean, we do it when we go on holiday. Oh, yeah, for sure, you know. And I'm still avenging my loss there, you know. I will get my <laughs> win back eventually. But, yeah, it is, it's idyllic. You know, for lack of a better term. Yeah. To the extent that when it's the hammer is laid down by Dr. Hickenbottom and he says, hey, Sean, I'm not going to support you doing wrestling. You're going to go to college. Yeah. Like, whether you like it or not, I'm going to pay for you to go to college <laughs> and get an education that's going to give you a great advantage over yeah. every one of your compatriots. He's so fortunate. Yeah, he is. And I think he... He is grateful and all that. Yeah. But you just can't help on this podcast be like, fuck me, you know, he's got the head start. Oh, absolutely. The advantage, considering he hasn't got that family connection, he really does have a massive, massive advantage compared to pretty much everyone we've done episodes on. So he's told, you know, you're going to go out there, you're going to get a college degree, and then we'll talk about wrestling. And Sean goes to State University in Texas. I think he does a semester and a half. Yeah. Thereabouts. You know, he, he, in the shoot that I watched with him, he just said they were just mostly partying and kind of, you know, a bit, a bit of athletic stuff here yeah, and I there. Yeah, I can't imagine that uni would have been good for Shawn Michaels. No, and like, if you're listening at home and you're contemplating university, don't ever let yourself, A, get sent to university. Uh, mm. You know, that's not a good idea. And don't go thinking that it's going to be like something you'll figure out on the way, you know? I mean, there are ways you can do that, but do it in a country where it's free. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm. You know, speaking as a man who went to, to university in Ireland in, you know, 2006 when it was still free. Talk about advantages. Exactly. And that's why hell. I became the icon, the main event in Mr. WrestleMania. So, uh, <laughs> or Mr. London Podcast Festival. I'll take that one as a moniker. <laughs> so he lasts a semester and a half and then he is dropping out. I really liked the way he kind of approached this with his parents, which is that he basically went to them and said, look, I could keep doing uni, but I really, really, really don't want to. And to be honest, I... I it's a waste I, of your money. It's a waste of your money and it's a waste of my time. Um, and so I really think it's best for everyone if we just cut this out now before I waste any more of your money and any more of my time. I mean, you know, he's 18, 19 at this yeah. point in time. It's a very reasonable way of of saying that because it's yeah it's true and i you know i admire and you know anyone 
who has clear goals like that yeah, absolutely. from that age because shit knows when I was 18 or 19 yeah. I didn't know I, I wouldn't have any sort of clarity like that whatsoever that's partly why it's so sad when young people get forced into these avenues where mm. they're not that passionate about it because if you do have any kind of passion or goals my god hold on to them for dear life absolutely it's yeah. precious so Sean's fortunes kind of work quite well for him once again because even though we're at a point in time in the early 80s when wrestling is still very very secretive in terms of you know how to get in there there is still kind of you know the the idea that you're going to kind of work you know we're talking about a, a period of time where people are still being broken in into the business and not being told that it's a work yeah you know which is those two things sound like they shouldn't go together at all broken in but you don't know it's a work but uh, dr hickenbottom sean's dad he's down on the golf course one day of course he is <laughs> wouldn't you know it one of the people he's playing with uh, is a big car dealership guy he he's a, a a big wheel down in in san antonio and he has a, a hookup with a guy who knows one of the all-time greats jose lothario who is taking in people to train and if he wants he'll give sean a look and i think that is like that is that is kind of not a way that most people would find their ways no, in. No, that know? is such silver spoon in the mouth. Like, just... Like, I, I would be surprised if there's, like, more than a handful of people who got into wrestling like that. Like, just through parents' connections. And then not The golf even, course, like, like... the golf course. That's so, like, Vince McMahon shit. Sorry, it's so it's so bad guys and Karate Kid, yeah, isn't it? Like, it is. you know, the Cobra Kai working deals on yeah. the links. Like. But, you know, there is a thing as well. Like, in Texas at the time... You know, this is in the era of athletic commissions. So if you wanted to be a professional wrestler in Texas, the minimum age was 19 years old. So Sean, even having that year and a half, it's not as if it was wasted time for him unless he was going to pack up his bags and move around the country. Mm. You know, So he's in Texas. He's training with Jose Lothario, who would have been considered to be like you know, a very, very big name throughout the 60s and 70s. Sean's relationship with Jose Lothario, who does pop up later on as his manager is a mysteriously strained one at that. Right. Because I'm sure you got the vibe from the uh, uh, the video package that they showed that Jose was his mentor and his trainer and all that stuff. Yes. You didn't get much of a chemistry between them, would you say? What? What had you mean? As in, like, any time they were on screen and the bits that we were watching together, they didn't necessarily look like fucking you know trainer and trainee yeah i know it there's a match we're doing later in this episode um the iron man match mm. where jose lothario is there accompanying sean only they don't even look at each other yeah. or like and he's, he looks sad i've never seen a distance between a manager and a supposed yeah, charge like, before uh, it made me sad and i didn't know what was i didn't know who jose lothario was i didn't know what was going on and i had this like an it's just like innate sadness from just looking at them. I've looked at, you know, a lot of stuff over the years from like, you know, people like Cornette and Jim Ross and stuff talking about various bits of Sean. And this is the thing, a lot of the stuff with Sean is kind of pieced together from kind of gossip and hearsay and, and whatnot that's then kind of translated through the wrestling media over the years. But generally speaking, Sean didn't seem to get on very, very well with Jose when they were paired up later on down the line. Sean didn't like to share the spotlight, seemed to be well, there's a surprise. what it was. But in his shoot interview that I that I watched from the kind of the, the interim period, and he's asked about training with Jose, who, you know, you train with someone, that's how you, that's your break into the business, yeah. really, you know? Because whoever trains you, you get the connections from them, and then that's where you get your first matches, and mm -hmm. then maybe you get into a company, whatever it is. And Sean, in the interview, he's asked, Jose Lothario, you know, obviously a big figure in your life. Uh, what, what happened there? He's like, ah, trained me for two months. Not really much. Two months. Then I went on to Mid-South. 
So he's like, it's minimized to the extreme. Mm. So I'm not sure if it was the case that Jose kind of gave him the very, very, very basics. Mm. And then Sean resented later on in life it being like, oh, he taught him everything he knew. Yeah, yeah. Or if it was the case that he just wanted to kind of not be known as the guy who is the mentee of someone. He wants to be his own man. Mm. But there is kind of a jarring disconnect between, like, you know, you hear, hear any kind of top wrestler talk about the person who trained them. Unless they're like brute, I mean, even the ones we've talked about in this episode, like fucking Vern Gagne brutalized, you know, Ric Flair and whatnot. Yeah. They still talk about them in glowing terms. Yeah. Sean, not so much. Now, that is interesting. Now, yeah, my is, guess- is it an authority thing, do you think, maybe? Yeah. Because that does I come think, up later on as well. I think either it's an authority thing in that Sean doesn't like bowing to anyone. Or there's more going on here than we know right yeah. now. I don't know. But it is just interesting. It's kind of like, you know, for someone who later in his career, it's like, oh, he had bad problems with this person, but it's just because they had a particularly bad relationship. Do enough digging at every step of the way in Shawn Michaels' career. You can find someone who it's like, fucking hell, he didn't get on with them. Like, mm. he didn't play nicely with others, but that's not to say that he was a big bully going around antagonizing everyone all the time. Yeah. As someone who suffered from a great deal of anxiety throughout my life, I do know that anxiety can sometimes manifest itself in kind of standoffishness and stuff like that as Absolutely, well. Absolutely, yeah. So I got to think that plays a part of it. He's on to Mid-South Wrestling, tough old territory that Jim Ross's mentor, cowboy Bill Watts, ran. And he's kind of brought out for preliminary matches and he doesn't know that it's a, it's, it's a work. He's kind of told, this guy will beat you, but that's about it. It's kind of like trying to teach you what to do hopefully you'll figure it out yourself and i don't have to be the one who tells you this is all fake and you're going to agree to do certain moves and stuff like that mm. fucking bananas as far as i'm concerned yeah how are you meant to learn that way i don't know i have no idea but the cream the cream rises to the top i guess because he's pegged early on as being like oh the kids are natural you know yeah i'd love to know more details on that because they kind of skim over it and they're just like yeah he's just amazing <laughs> you know and it's not as if he didn't have kind of issues at the start as well like he tells stories about you know bill watts was a prodigious finer in wrestling that if you did anything wrong he'd dock your pay yeah you know and you get your all the negatives on your paycheck at the end of the day it's like the opposite of a wwe check where it's oh, all the yeah. extras it's all the stuff taken off all the ways you've disappointed me yeah so like sean didn't know for instance when it was a normal tv taping that even if your name wasn't listed you were still expected to show up oh, right, so yeah. sean would miss a bunch of tv tapings and then get fined like you know 50 dollars per hour he wasn't there oh, and stuff like geez. that which you know as good as you are you're a youngster you're probably making 50 dollars a night at best anyway petrol and stuff like just there's so many costs associated with it like you you would be losing money surely yeah i mean luckily he's got that safety net beneath him but yeah that's true but it's kind of it's it's in these early days where it's like i know Heyman said it in his his documentary that we watched way back for his episode where when you're that young age and you're good you get treated in a very peculiar way mm. where a they'll give you lots of opportunities mm. and people will want to feature you but also it's that ah you're 19 you're talented you're gonna get to see all around all these different territories mm-hmm. you get to work all these different people so even though you're talented you won't be treated necessarily as the golden child and get paid very well no absolutely it's, it's the same as today in any industry you should be grateful you should be grateful <laughs> we'll give you all these opportunities but no we're not going to pay you because we're paying you an experience because you're too young to know that that's not ethical yeah there's a really great story for around this time as well which kind of puts into perspective what like being a very young 
golden boy kind of can really get you. Chavo Guerrero Sr., who would have been Eddie's brother, was promoting in Texas at the time, and he had this great idea. He thought he saw Shawn Michaels, he thought, this guy is fucking amazing. Kid's only been working for a few months. I want a young, fiery baby face for the San Antonio crowds. I think it's going to be Shawn. He brought him in for one shot and then decided... Actually, no, I think I'm going to be the big baby face instead. <laughs> so Sean had lost his opportunity because the promoter decided that he wanted the spot for himself. God's sake. <laughs> he heads around for a few different territories. Kansas City is where he meets a man whose career ran at part in parallel with his, but is definitely intrinsically linked to Marty Jannetty. Mm. I don't know how much you had heard about Marty Jannetty before we did this episode. I mean, he may well have popped up here and there and I've forgotten him, but mm. the main thing I remember him from is the Midnight Rockers. Right, yeah, yeah. The Midnight Rockers, Sean and Marty, mm. they like to dance and they love to party. Yeah. That's why they'll be at the Wrestle Rock Rumble. It is crazy to think, given how their careers would go, that Marty Jannetty was kind of... He, he was a year or two over Sean in terms of experience, so it's yeah. like, you'll be the you'll look after Sean. He's, mm. he's your guy. He'll look after you. He's like kind of your mentor almost. It is... Um, kind of crazy because the two of these guys were not known particularly for their well-behaved ways no no definitely not so he, he travels around to a few different territories at the start marty is just there with him in kansas as like a mentor then it's in the awa where they start tagging together but this is already now even though we're very it's only a year or two into his career he's already been through a territory which is continental wrestling where you could get paid in cocaine. What? And if you wanted to, you could get paid, you know, $50 of your pay in, in pay and the rest in cocaine. That was the upper limit. And that's the deal that Sean would take. Now, I was wondering with things like this, what's the exchange rate on dollars to cocaine? Like, yeah. is, it, is it the dollar value of cocaine? Because I feel like if you're being paid in cocaine, you should be paid more like in more cocaine than the monetary value of said cocaine. Yeah, it'd be like if you're being paid in easy singles, basically. I want more than the... <laughs> well, active... no, that's the opposite. I want well, less. I want to think of an addictive substance that's right. relatable for me, Joe. That's <laughs> okay. not fucking cocaine, all right? I mean, it is mad. To... But that shows you kind of the greasiness of a wrestling promotion that is doing that. Because how have they got so much cocaine to begin with that they could pay people in cocaine? Yeah. Well, you're a front for the mob then, right? Or at least mob affiliated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do You do wonder, don't you? But also, like, why would you accept that? Like, again, it makes me think of previous episodes that we've done, like Stone Cold or Mick Foley or, you know, like Jake Roberts or someone. Like, these people who worked their way up and, you know, had to live in their car and eat raw potatoes. Like, I can't imagine Stone Cold eating raw potatoes agreeing to be paid in cocaine. Like, I can't fucking eat that. I'll be paid in a bag of raw potatoes. How many bags <laughs> yeah, exactly. of raw potatoes are we talking about, you know? <laughs> but, like, that's it with Sean. I think it's because of his, you know, early on, you know, you could see the athleticism, the fact that he had that, like, you know, that star potential in him. So he was getting an opportunity. And even though he wasn't top of the card, maybe he's getting a couple of hundred dollars mm. and, you know, some of that's been paid in cocaine. Fuck, when you're 19 years old in the 80s, mm. that's a lot of money, you know? And him and Marty were thick as thieves because Marty liked to party. Mm. And everyone in wrestling who is a prodigious partier, the thing they want more than anything is someone else to do it with. Mm. And I think they were kind of a bad fit for each other yeah. in the personal life sense because... Then we got two guys who maybe they would have called it a night a while ago, but now actually let's keep her lit. And it's not long before you've got Marty kind of being like, well, you know, I've got a girlfriend, so I have to be home by four in the morning. 
And then Sean's there sitting up at six in the morning and he's coming down from a cocaine high. Mm. And like, if you're someone who's like wrapped up in a big ball of anxiety, you're in the anxious world of professional wrestling. I can't imagine there's things much worse than coming down from a, co- a two day cocaine binge. Yeah. Like that's going to hit you like a ton of fucking bricks. Oh. And like, then this is it. It's not like kind of, oh, later on in his career when the pressure came on. This is like, when Sean was meant to... Now, this is the part of the, docu- the WWE documentary where it's him like, being like, yay, I'm out, you know, on a- look, here I am in Las Vegas. Here I am, you know, in Minneapolis. I'm having a good time. It's right from the get-go. It's, yeah. you know, it's it's hardcore drugs and late nights and going out and punishing your body and then doing the thing all over again. Yeah. So the Midnight Rockers, you know, they come into the AWA with a bit of a reputation. Yes, seriously. <laughs> I think I told you the story about old-timey Vern Gagne, the promoter, who was concerned about the tag team name, The Midnight Rockers. Oh, yeah! <laughs> Little old man Vern Gagne thought The Midnight Rockers meant it would be a couple of old men staying up till midnight in their rocking chairs. And he's like, that's not very cool. Oh, man, dude. He's like, no, that means partying past midnight. I think the one thing we can agree <laughs> upon, Joe, is that Vern probably wasn't paying the boys in cocaine like they were down in Kansas City <laughs> somehow. Like, fucking hell. But look, the AWA is, is, is kind of a weird place to be at the time because it is on its last legs. You know, it is a dying promotion. You've got Vince, who's aggressively expanding, particularly into Vern's territory. Mm. And a lot of Vince's top guys, Hulk Hogan, Roddy Piper, Jesse Ventura, Mean Gene Okerlund, Bobby the Brain Heenan, they all came from the AWA and they're all taken in one fell swoop. Wow. And we see all this footage of Sean and Marty, you know, in the AWA, you know, hey, you're on ESPN, you're on national TV, but there's like empty seats in the front row and stuff like that. But like the Midnight Rockers, the actual tag team stylings, Mm. What did you think of what you saw with them? Oh, they're amazing. They're so cool. They yeah. were innovators for yeah, the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So apparently they were the first tag team to do like tag team moves like in tandem, like together as a unit. Yeah. I mean, you would have had like the Rock and Roll Express and stuff doing like, you know, the double drop kick and stuff. Right. But this was like the format of the match was we work together as one, which is really, really cool. So cool. And for their style as well. And the fact that they're so, they both got such energy so like and the precision as well so like you know if you're going to do a tag team move together especially if it's something like i don't i don't know wrestling moves but like you know something impressive (laughs) my goodness that's that impressive maneuver it always makes more and more sense to you why vince mcmahon is your favorite commentator look at that thing But like, if you're going to do something like that, you have to do it perfectly. Mm. And they do. They do it perfectly. Like, it is quite incredible to watch, even today as a modern viewer who's like, you know, I've seen a lot of Young Bucks matches. They're obviously so heavily inspired by the Midnight Rockers. But even still, seeing them do it first is so impressive because yeah you're yeah when you see that awa ring and you hear the old announcer and talking you see like this the ropes and the way they like they, it's, not, it's not designed they, for it no, like. they just <laughs> flap around in the wind like it's so scary and like you've got a promotion that's kind of known or has a kind of a more old-timey vibe you got you know, nick buckwinkle is kind of your world champion he's in the classic you know older style generation of wrestler but you got the Midnight Rockers who are coming in, you know, with their crazy sunglasses yeah. and their wild zebra print tights. It's a serious look and it's oh, a yeah. shot of adrenaline into like a sleepy promotion, you know? <laughs> I like I just I think it's so cool when you see 
kind of like an act that feels like it almost doesn't fit in a particular promotion be Mm -hmm. it like someone who's like a very straight laced wrestler in a very blood and guts wild hardcore promotion or someone who's really dynamic in kind of a more like old school vibe I think the Midnight Rockers are like you know or the Rockers as they would then become they are so so intriguing to see because Mm -hmm. I watch Young Bucks match in 2022 I'm like what the fuck am I going to see now Yeah, you know because like I'll never know what I'm going to see even stuff I've seen before it always feels like I've never seen that before Mm. But when you watch a Rockers match, it's like, what am I going to see? Asterisk. It's the fucking 80s. Yeah. Seeing anything is immediately 10 times more like, wow, mind blowing yeah. to like me. It's like 40 years ago. It's just, it's just, yeah, makes me feel very old. <laughs> I love, love, love hearing Sherry talk about oh, how Sean yeah. and Marty would do their matches together. Apparently they would. This is so cute. Apparently, she saw them playing with dolls and practicing wrestling moves with them, which is like literally like, I mean, we were doing it with wrestling figures, but this is before wrestling figures existed. Yeah, them LGN guys didn't have any sort of flexibility on them. They're probably doing it with like the old, like Cindy dolls and stuff, original 60s Ken or whatever. Yeah, Marty's got a go-bot like to do some spots. (laughs) (laughs) So the WWE documentary... While it is very eager to talk about the redemption of Shawn Michaels, they are at best vague about any of his personal problems. Oh, and that is like that's how far they go as well. They're just like personal problems. That's that. You were very pissed off when they were like Shawn and Marty had kind of gotten like a bit of a kind of a party bad boy reputation. They literally showed a picture of them, and it's such a shame because it's like impossible to find on the internet. You can only see it in this documentary, it seems. But they used a picture of Sean and Marty with lampshades on their heads <laughs> while talking about them being on hard drugs without ever saying the word drugs yeah. or influence or anything like that. Like you could watch this without knowing anything about Sean Michaels and just be like, oh, his problem was that he was simply too fun. <laughs> He was just too much fun at parties. And... Yeah, you literally had me begging for like, come on, say personal demons, lads. Yeah, go on, say it. Come on. At yeah. least you make it feel... Like the extent of the, the worry here is, you guys, yeah, come literally. on. And like... Like, meanwhile, you've got Sherry saying to the camera, she was like, I would get so mad at them because they we couldn't go anywhere. Every time we'd go to a bar or a hotel, we'd get kicked out. Yeah. And it was just because of them and their stupid partying and addictions all the time. And, like, we're in a period in wrestling as well where you still have, you know, we mentioned Bill Watts there. That's That was the promoter where, you know, if you lost the fight in the bar, you're fired because oh, it's bad for business. God. You know? We are moving away from that with the kind of the global expansion of the WWF and all that, but we're still in the time where, like, Hey, if you're a wrestler and you're out causing a fucking fuss, it's not the worst thing in the world for the promoter. They don't really care that much. No. Not to the point where they're going to ask you to stop or anything like that. And if your gimmick is you're the, you know, hey, you're the young guys who go out and get fucking partied up and, you know, you want there. You know, I've, I've, I, my mind was blown when I would listen to, you know, interviews with kind of promoters from Memphis and stuff like that. And they're like, this is the team to make the girls come and see the shows. Yeah. Because I want the girls to come to, I want the girls to watch TV and think I'm going to fuck him mm-hmm. because I'm not going to go and pay money to go to the show. And maybe after the show, I'll hang around and I'll actually get the opportunity to do that. That was the mindset of the male so wrestling promoter back fucked. then. I mean, we're so used to in wrestling you know, particularly with the WWF of it being like kind of the, the hot babe and all that. Like, mm-hmm. we're, you know, but you go further back, 
You know, it's not like, oh, we're going to put women on our show, but we'll put saucy young men on there that will yeah. make the women want to come to the show. Yeah. You know? Well, I think, you know what? I think it's less to do. I, that, I, that's what they say it is. But I think it's less to do with the women coming to the shows and wanting to fuck the wrestlers and more to do with their husbands and boyfriends coming to the show, seeing their women go, ooh, yeah, and yeah. then them wanting to see the wrestlers get beaten up. That's true. It, every angle you look at it from, it's good for business yeah. for these two lads to be out fucking catting about and mm-hmm. partying around. And like Sean and Marty, they were thick as thieves. I think Sean and Marty have watched shoots from them both and they both kind of confirmed each other's story that they only ever had one massive blow-up fight. Right. And in true form of it, they were both too drunk and high to remember what it was. <laughs> like, they were literally like, the next morning, they're like, you know, Sean kicked open the door, and like, you want to do it? And they're like, why? And, uh, I've already forgotten. <laughs> you know, and that's like, kind of like, that's ha ha cute for a second, then you think about it long enough, and it's like, fucking hell, yeah. lads. And this period of time, I don't think Marty, even though they went on to bigger and better things, I don't think Marty ever got out of the kind of clutches of the reputation of mm. this time. There was, when the Speaking Out movement happened a couple of years ago, there were kind of a couple of historic kind of cases that people started talking about. And the Rockers' names, particularly Marty's, came up about, like, really? you know, women potentially having, you know, stuff slipped into their drinks and stuff like Jesus that. Jesus fucking no- Christ. Nothing, like, nothing of substance came other than, like, rumours about it because yeah. it was so long ago. But it just shows you like how Sean is like completely free and clear of any mm. sort. Like when that came out, people just went, oh, fucking Marty Jannetty. Because Marty's the guy whose problems overwhelmed him. And like I could literally sit and talk for four hours about fucking wild shit about Marty Jannetty that goes very depressing very, very quickly. Mm. And it's just interesting that this is a period of time where... I would say Sean and Marty are on evil footing in terms of athletic ability yeah. and skills and all that. But you talk about a crossroads, mm. both of these guys, and even though Shawn Michaels goes on supposedly the, the the road that gets him away from being labelled as the fucking creepy weird one, mm. and he has like 10 long years in the spotlight of being way fucked up, it just shows you like wrestling's all about like the power and who he who has the power gets to control yeah. the story and for Shawn Michaels he was fortunate enough that the people who decided to tell his story didn't want to dwell on the no. dark sides of it, you know, and they don't want to dwell on Marty's dark sides either as well, because that blows back onto Shawn Michaels. Mm-hmm. Had Shawn Michaels been a non-factor, I think Marty Jannetty would have been hung, drawn and quartered by the wrestling world at this point yeah. in time. Yeah, I think But I think right. that residual, uh, Shawn, no, no. Yeah, even though I cannot imagine, I mean, I've heard stuff about Shawn. Mm. Nothing concrete again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But y- y- you hear stuff. Oh, yeah. About like young women, young girls, especially. Because, like, I mean, again, I'm not saying this to, like, excuse it. I'm saying it to just provide context and that this was happening a lot in the 80s. Oh, Jesus Christ. Like, not yeah. just in wrestling, but, like, in music, in Hollywood. It was just, like, it's, you know, it's a massive problem that's only been sort of talked about more recently. Still is a problem. I think Still it's is just a problem, people absolutely. Are it's just people more... are bringing light to it, I think, exactly, a bit more now. Yeah. People feel a bit more empowered to talk about it. But, yeah, I think a lot of stuff like that in wrestling has been buried away yeah. and tried to be forgotten about I think the, there's a lot worse things that the Rockers probably did in their heyday than wear lampshades yes. is what I'm trying yeah, to say definitely. you know so and like here's here's the bad rep coming to bite them in the arse they get signed by the WWF the exciting tag team they're going to drop the midnight they're just known as the Rockers now 
and they come in, and I think they last one day. <laughs> now, what's your understanding of this story? Because I think this actually first came up in the McMahon documentary when they did like a super cut of people talking about this one time he fired me and just ruined my life. Vince, you got me. And I think this story was peppered in amongst them. But how the Rockers lost their job as quickly as they got it. So in true WWE fashion, the documentary made out as though the reason they were fired after one day is for having too good a time. Yeah, just too much, too much fun. They were too much fun. You guys. Everyone was like, oh, we're sick of you having so much fun and being so much fun to be around. So you're fired. Hey, stop keeping those personal demons to yourself. They're so much fun. You should share them around. So the issue is, is that Sean and Marty... They kept putting these lampshades on their heads. <laughs> and it was really tough on the boys because it was so hilarious and it was really distracting. And then it cuts to an out-of-focus shot of a Polaroid picture of Shawn Michaels on a table full of pills and out-of-focus lampshades. Yeah. <laughs> and then it goes to a Dutch tilt. So it's they, the story they tell, and I tried to do some digging on this to get more info. Thank you. The story they tell is they're really worried because the reputation has kind of preceded them, essentially. Right. And I think Jim Ross put it best when he said, in wrestling, the truth is never good enough. And I think that is as true for us fans as it is for the wrestlers themselves. Mm. Everyone loves a story. Everyone loves a bit of gossip. And in the days before the internet, it was a bit like kind of, you know, a little game of telephone and it would kind of end up being kind of lost in the shuffle. So it went from being... These guys like to party, to these guys like to fight, to these guys are coming to the WF and they're going to fucking shut this territory down, brother, because they're so goddamn wild and they're like 21 years old or whatever. Fucking two little lads coming yeah. in, like, literally half the size of the next biggest lad on the roster at the time. So they go in and they decide, right, we'll do our one match, which we're doing, and we're going to write back to the hotel room. No- nothing's going to happen. And apparently in the hotel room, they get itchy feet and they're worried because one of the agents has told them, hey, if you just stay up here and you don't go and socialize with the boys they're going to think something's wrong and that you're oh. not you're not team players yeah so you got to go have a beer with the boys and mm-hmm. socialize you know this like idea that if you're not it's like you know the salary men in japan if you're yeah. not out with the boss having a fucking cup of wine then you're not doing your job and you should be worried for it mm. i totally believe that though in oh, wrestling yeah. like especially at this period like i think that would have impacted your reputation i'm sorry but like literally there's no circumstance on earth i would rather drink and socialize less than fear for my job i know and shout out to everyone who has to go for work drinks on Friday when they rather go home and do literally any fucking thing else. Oh my god. <laughs> Actual hell. One one drink bought by your boss is not worth any of that shit. No. Like. <laughs> no, I've been there. It's awful. So they go down to the bar mm. and immediately they draw the ire of a guy called Jimmy Jack Funk, who is a great name. He, he is just the made that up. Jimmy Jack Funk. He is the kayfabe brother of Terry and Dory Funk when they were oh, working right. in WWF at the time. And yeah, I remember he had him. a great look. He had the, the black mask and the noose around his neck. I love that. And he was going to be like the wild, he was going to be like the unpredictable one, you know. That's so funny. In a group with, with two funks. Yeah. He's meant to be the wild one. Like, <laughs> right, Terry's going to make that hard for you, Jimmy Jack. And he goes over to Sean and Marty and goes, I hear you guys are pretty tough. And then bites into a pint glass and starts going, arm, 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 arm. and then cools a cucumber, not to be outdone, but importantly, to show everyone that he's a team player, Sean goes, yeah, we're pretty tough, all right. Grabs the glass and smashes it over his head. 
Okay. And then that's apparently- not so bad. I I thought it would be worse. And then the next night, the, the the story at tapings is, oh, Sean and Marty, they were causing bar fights and breaking glasses and they turned the bar inside out, upside down. And oh my God, such an exaggeration. And they got they got fired. That's how Sean tells the story. Right. Then some more digging and turns out, give a guess what? This is going to really surprise you folks. Marty Jannetty was hitting on Jimmy Jack Funk's girlfriend and was told to stop and kept doing it. So then Jimmy Jack Funk and them started throwing glasses and got in a big fight. And no one remembers because they were all fucking drunk and high. So did anyone eat the glass? Yeah, the glass was eaten. Jimmy Jack Funk, because he's a tough man, Joe. So what, like, you were flirting with my girlfriend, I'm going to eat a glass to intimidate you? You try being in a fucking, in a three-man unit with Terry Funk and be given the gimmick of the wild one, all right? (laughs) You'd be reaching for the glass pretty damn quick, Joe, all right? Impossible standard to live up to. (laughs) Unrealistic. So... Basically, it was like, you know, they were neither as innocent as it was made out, you know, it was, but it was also kind of like, you know, well, you send the lads down and you have a room full of wrestlers who are intimidated by the new aces coming in who they were probably on edge about. But of course, Marty Jannetty's hitting on a guy's girlfriend. So it's a big fight. They get brought in the next day and they're told Vince wants to see you and they're all worried. They're sat outside Vince's office wearing their, their cowboy boots and their Zubaz. <laughs> and Vince comes and goes, nice boots. They're made for walking. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Come on in, guys. And then he fires them both. <laughs> and look, there's a lot of this going around at the moment. But in that one instance, you do got to hand it to Vince McMahon because that's very funny. Yeah, it's a banger. That's a good joke. That's a great way. That's a great, great way to fire someone. So they go back down to Memphis, where they get paid in cocaine. Oh, jeez. And we saw some promos from the Midnight Rockers in Memphis oh, at the no, time. Oh, no, that's so bad. Now, obviously, Sean is a promo. I think he has his, his, his peaks and his valleys. Yeah. How did the Rockers get over it in Memphis? Bad. With the... Bad. Really bad. Really, 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 really bad. I mean... That's... <laughs> <laughs> I can barely speak. I was like, oh god, I'm not trying to find. No one's going to have written. I was thinking to myself, it's going to be hard to find a promo where Sean is kind of like visibly messed up or whatever. But I feel like it happened so many times. Yeah, I'm going to find it eventually. Literally, the first one I found from Memphis. Jesus Christ Almighty, he looked. He looked. He looked asleep. Yeah, no, he did look asleep. Yeah, it looked like he was sleepwalking, sleep talking. It's sad to see. I think when you're that combination of like messed up personally, but also really exciting tag team. Yeah. You know, that's bad news because it's before long where it's like, hey, they're down in Memphis, you know, they're kicking ass. They've got a chip on their shoulder now because they've gotten a taste of the big time yeah. and now they're back down here. So they're fucking running through people, you know, doing even more spectacular stuff. They're invited back in, you know? Oh, really? <laughs> like within a few months, they're back in WWE. Wow. You know, all we've done is made you go down and get kind of a bit worse personal demon-wise. And now we're well, back. I mean, for sure, worse personal demon-wise, if we're going to believe what Sean says, because he said after he was fired from WWF, he gave up and like seriously considered killing himself. That's fucking like... You know, to go from those like highs where he's like out in the the big party and then like yeah he's like he's got a gun in his hand and he's like in tears saying I wish I had the courage to do it yeah you know and that's what they're willing to say on a pretty squeaky clean documentary I know. yeah that's that's what's so shocking about it I don't think those events happened in isolation no you know that would be my 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 reading of it mm. but that's like a dark time yeah. and you know what's the solution to it you know work harder I guess more but drugs there's only so many 
you know, only so many matches in a week you're going to get in a small territory. But there's an infinite number of drugs you can take, so and just yeah, do infinite that. Infinite number of people who want to have sex with you, yeah. and you know, infinite number of big nights out to look forward to. So they're back in the WWF for real this time. So they find themselves back in WWF, which is, you know, a good place to be, I guess, at the time. Mm. It, it's interesting because I think part of the reason Sean got depressed after he was fired the first time is that, because he says himself that he felt that the WWF was the only valid option for him, mm. which is really interesting because, like, you know, why? This is a time when there's actually loads of, you know, potential promotions you could go to but the truth is is that you know in the documentary you see they do like a visual diagram of where sean and marty traveled across the country yeah. to these different promotions and you slowly see these options these promotions just they're not they're not there anymore yes and it's really interesting that you know we've watched a lot of these documentaries and every time the, the narrative is made out to be well of course the only valid option is the wwf and they never examine <laughs> why that is yeah, never, what happened to all those other places yeah, guys huh the wrestlers themselves never are allowed to talk about the fact that the options that they were presented with when they were coming up through this industry are slowly being removed from the yeah. equation they're being destroyed they're not there anymore their alternatives are vanishing they're shrinking and it's weird because it's kind of feast and famine at the moment you know that's a, this is the part of the the wwf expansion that i'm always like really intrigued by it's not just like kind of the individual territories you know dropping off here and there it's the fact that those territories going away leads the successful remaining territories like you know bill watts mid-south that became the uwf and because of you know how they had you know tv that went kind of across the country and they booked exciting angles that felt like it was the hottest ticket in town they you know they they were really really seemed like they're going to become a very viable organization but they're based in the oil fields around Oklahoma and Texas. Once that industry dries up, the territory dies, the company gets sold off. You know, you've got the AWA, which is still, hey, it's on national TV. They've never been more widespread than they are now. But every one of their competitors are, are taking all their talent away. So there's an illusion of options, I think, yeah. for a lot of wrestlers. And I think like for WWF, they're like, well, the obvious option is to come here. It's like, yeah, because you know what you're going to do. You yeah. know that you're going to renege on half the deals that you've mm -hmm. made. But they make out as though the only, the only reason it's the only valid option is because the WWF is so superior. It's just It ain't like... It's so much know. better than everyone else and all the rinky-dink backroom dealings that are apparently the territories worked under. Like, it's just... It's so interesting seeing a monopoly completely rewrite its own history and what's kind of strange about it as well is that you know sean is brought in with marty they're an exciting tag team that's brought into a division that is getting quite exciting as well you've got the heart foundation there you've got tully and Arn. the brain busters have come over from from the nwa like these are great tag teams i think we watched the rockers versus the boss man and akeem you know that's a one of my all-time favorite matches we watched that for the boss man episode like they're a really good fit in here but this is the era of Hogan, Warrior, Andre, like the big fucking dudes. And the bitterness when Shawn Michaels in these older interviews, when he talks about Hogan and them. Oh my fucking God. One word he has to describe them and it's lazy. He wow. said he hated that they would come out, they would punch and they would kick. They'd be the main events on the pay-per-views. They get the main event pay for all the pay-per-views. Mm -hmm. And on the house shows, they put like Shawn and Marty versus like the Conquistadors, like random jobbers and masks. That would be the main event because they knew that would be a match that the fans would go, hey, yeah. Hogan would be on halfway through the show, get the main event pay and then get to go beat traffic. 
ridiculous it's like i don't know if vince mcmahon was like well you know in 10 years from now there'll be a steroids thing and I'll, you know <laughs> the lads who are really resentful now will be my top stars then it's the same thing brett would talk about mm-hmm. you know he'd be in the intercontinental scene yeah he'd be main event with mr perfect he'd be getting b-tier pay yeah hogan savage those guys they'd be getting the big boy money yeah. you know and it's it is a frustrating way to come in because you know the rockers they are exciting and they are dynamic but there is kind of an upward limit to where you can go as a tag team in Vince McMahon's WWF. <laughs> yeah. And you don't get much more cursed than the title change in inverted commas mm. that the Young Rockers find. So, yeah, this is their legendarily awful first match against the Hart Foundation, <laughs> where infamously the top rope broke. And it's, yeah, I kind of... I thought this would be handled better. Because it's for TV. It's for Saturday Night's main event. Like, it's a big show. And they've yeah. got a lot of really excellent professional wrestlers yeah. in this. Like, people you think could be more than qualified to handle this. And yet the match is a disaster. So the top rope goes. And in these situations, I think we mentioned our referees episode. It is, it is down to the referee the fact yeah. this match falls apart because he's not able to communicate to the people in the back or to people in the ring what's happening. So they go to edit... Two out of three falls. That's a, that's a long old match without a top rope. And the image of Bret Hart walking sheepishly to do the heart attack with the most miserable look in so the world. so unhappy. <laughs> so Sean and Marty technically win the tag titles. You know what's shit as well? Like, I've heard both perspectives of this match from Bret and Sean. And they were both so excited for yeah. this. Like, both of them. Like, Brett was so hyped. He he had watched Sean with the Rockers come up through the, the territories. And he thought it was really exciting. And he knew from the get-go, he was like, that Sean Michaels is going to be the next yeah. big thing. And yeah, I, yeah. I want to put him over. I want to be the one to do it. And so he was so excited to do this in this match and start this big feud. Sean similarly really admired Brett, thought he was like the best thing in wrestling, like one of the purest professional wrestlers, was so excited to impress him. It's just disappointing for everyone. Was it was it shocking to you? Because, you know, they would obviously go on to have, you know, matches throughout every kind of phase of their, their, their career, in this first part at least. Um, did it shock you to find out the, the level of admiration and respect that they had for each other? The fact that, you know, Sean looked up to Brett so much and Brett was like, that's the guy I want to work with in a tag with, with Neidhart or on my own later on down yeah. the line. Was that shocking to you given yeah. how poisonous the relationship became? No, absolutely. It, I think it shocked me more that Brett saw that in Sean. Mm. Which I think is unfair of me, really. I think I I didn't give him the credit he deserved in that respect because I think, like a lot of wrestling fans, we hear Brett talking about, you know, how shit Goldberg is <laughs> and about his face run in the WWF and how, um, you know, he was one of the best wrestlers. And it's easy to take to mistake that for arrogance. Yeah. When it's not really arrogance, it's just he has faith in his own abilities. But I kind of assumed wrongly that brett was very much like snooty about the guys who came yeah. after him and he's not at all no. like he looks at like St- steve austin sean michael long-term view yeah my via like all these guys who became massive big stars and brett sees that in all of them right from the very beginning like he he hasn't got an issue with putting guys over at all yeah so our top dog in wrestling knows that you want to be looking at the people underneath yeah you know Keep that in mind when we're talking about the clicking a little bit. Mm. <laughs> so the title change is never a broadcast. 
because the match <laughs> is, is not good enough for NBC's seal of approval. Cursed. And Sean's theory is that because they had done that and then, like, not done that, it was kind of too obvious to then give him the belts and kind of the moment was lost. Oh. The breakup angle that happens at the infamous barber shop. I was showing this to Joe being like, this is like, you know, this is a really dramatic moment and all that. But I think other things took your attention and interest away from sexy Shawn Michaels in his leather jacket, busting Marty Jannetty through the barbershop window and ending the rockers. Yeah, so for some reason they're doing this at a barber's. Um, <laughs> even though Marty and Sean both look like they've never gone into a barber's in their life. I imagine they're the type of men who if they went into a barber's, the barber would like laugh at them and send them out. <laughs> I feel like Sherry would cut their hair yeah, for some exactly. reason. I don't know. Or their like... moms or something. <laughs> like, yeah, for sure. But yeah, they're in this barber shop. And um, yeah, Shawn Michaels, I mean, I, I never would have guessed that this cocky man in the all black outfit with the leather jacket on and no top underneath. Never trust a man with that many zips, Joe. Skinny, tight black jeans, especially around the crotch. He could never be a heel. I was so swerved by that. Okay, two prong question. Number one, hmm. is Shawn a hunk? Yes. At every stage? No. Or this, is this peak hunk Shawn? No, peak hunk Shawn for me... And I feel bad saying this. Oh. But I think it's genuinely when he was at his lowest. Like, show. What the? I know. I, I, I right. know. I know. I don't I know. think you've seen pictures of him at his lowest. Okay, maybe, maybe not. Maybe yeah. not. Maybe it's just like what I've seen. But like when he was like, ju- like just after he was kind of, or maybe during and just after he was like really feuding with Brett around the Montreal Screwjob time. Ninety seven time. He's got that stubble going uh, on, and he looks yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of a bit tired, but also really intense. Like, to me, that's peak Sean. Okay, okay. I've been sleeping less and less to try and get, you know, no, up my sexy. No, I don't want that. <laughs> You're so sexy anyway. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to ask you about this set is, could you tell, like, that Sean fits into, like, a heel or face? I mean, I don't know which one is fits better for Sean in your mind. What do you mean? That's I, such a stupid question. You reckon? Is it is it heel for you, then? Yeah. Yeah? How, how could it, how could it not? I, genu- I genuinely have never watched him and thought, there's a face. Like, nothing, nothing he's ever done has made me think that. Even when he's at his most, like, flamboyant, yes. like, hey, nice kind of, hey. No, he's a heel. <laughs> he is, like, such a heel. And I, I don't mean it as an insight, I mean it's such a compliment. Like, he's just, he exudes prick. Yeah. He, you can just tell this guy's an asshole. And that coupled with the fact that, like, you know, this is, you know, the squeaky cleaner. This is when, you know, Ultimate Warrior is getting cursed by Papa Shango and stuff like that. You know, Macho Man and Liz are you know, are, are getting married and obviously you got Shawn Michaels, you know, busting a guy through a plate glass window, the blood. Like yeah. It's, it was one of the darkest things. I think that's why it's remembered. It maybe seems tame by modern standards, but at the time, like everyone who saw this as a kid, it's like imprinted on them. Yeah. Like there's a whole generation of children who never got their hair cut after this. <laughs> you know, just really long, shaggy, unkempt children. See, the way I think about this isn't that this is Shawn's heel turn. For me, this feels more like Marty Janetti's face turn. Yeah, because I always thought of the Rockers as being heels mm. because they, they are, were all, but they were never were. They were always know, the good guys. The Midnight Rockers were heels in AWA and stuff. But, but I, I can't, you know, even if I can kind of get behind them as being like way enthusiastic boys, they are still like the Rockers, and I can't separate that character from the real life. From the real yeah, life, yeah. rocking like they are <laughs> genuinely out there causing fights and being horrible. God, and... if they only listened to Vernon and got the rocking chairs, it would be so much more wholesome, Joe. <laughs> 
clearly like but you know the breakup how this happens and that's the thing is that you think oh sh- you know shit sean's the the top bad guy now yeah. and like you know out of this unit marty the underdog he's been betrayed this is what it's all about but this really is the schism where it's like vince losing faith in marty really? and it's not so much like sean says at the time that vince is like you know you're so you, you feel so like you've matured now that you're mature now this is like 1993 the idea of sean being mature in 1993 it's like give yeah. him four years you'll see how immature he is mm-hmm. you know but it's because of like he seems mature compared to Marty. Right. At this time, the rockers were brought in to do like a photo shoot for like a cereal box. And there was like, you know, Bruce Beefcakes on the cereal box, Macho Man, Jake Roberts, the Legion of Doom and the rockers. And all the guys all get paid like say seven grand, except for the rockers who get seven grand between them. The Legion of Doom gets seven grand each. Wow. Everyone gets paid more than them. And you know, they're pissed off about it. But yeah. Marty's like, this is it. Straw that broke the camel's back. This is too much. We're fucking done. I know people over in WCW. Let's jump ship right now. We'll get a big payday. Fuck we'll make no. a big impact. That's what's going to happen. And Sean's like, Ooh, you know, biting the, you know, as Sherry said, her first memory of Sean Michaels is bloody stumps on oh, his fingertips. No. You know, biting his fingernails. He's all anxious about this. He gets a call a couple of days later, Vince. And this is around the time this breakup has happened going, well, Sean, uh, I hear that you're leaving us for pastures green. I just want to say, you know, good luck. You know, thanks for that. All, all the best and Sean's like wait what he's like yeah Marty told me or I heard the word that Marty is and you have got a deal at WCW so you know off you go you know good good luck Wow. and straight away Sean's like fuck I've got no job now and then Marty comes in and he's like yeah um, can you like ring WCW he's not, he's not even talked to anyone there yet and oh they, they ring up WCW and the guy there is like well I think it was Rick Steiner was the contact they had and he's like well like you know, there's a lot of people who are trying to come in at the moment, but like it's kind of in flux. Remember the story with Jake Roberts, where it's yeah. like he has the million dollar deal, and then a new guy comes in, is like no, a hundred grand or whatever yeah, the fuck yeah, is. Yeah. So it's like I don't think there's actually a spot here for you. Mm-hmm. So they both kind of come back, cap in hand, going, "Sorry, Vince." Oh, now that's the stuff Vince looks really down on most. How mature is Sean compared to Marty, though? Right, and that's it. Mm. It's like Sean is kind of almost unfairly given this label as being like the level-headed one, where the fact is he was just the more anxious one. Or the less yeah. fucking stupid one. Yeah. Like, you know, it's a little combination of both. Never mistake anxiety for like, kind of, I don't know, poise, is, yes. I guess is the, is the rule here. So Marty goes off and does single stuff and never really reaches the heights that Sean does. He has the new rockers at some point. I know, the, you know, the Brett book, there's the story where it's like, hey, Marty, we're on a European tour. Why don't you like jump in and like kick the bus driver out of the bus and like commandeer the bus? Mm. And he's sitting there going like, yeah, and like, you're fired, Marty. Like, what the, what the fuck do you expect? Mm. He's in and out of the company for a few years. But, you know, Sean, on the other hand, is paired with Sherry Martel. Yeah. And I mean, from the Sherry episode, we know this is a big deal, right? Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. But it, it's interesting hearing Sean's side of things because he clearly didn't want this. No. He thought this was, you know, basically he was given a babysitter, which, I mean, he was. Absolutely. That is definitely partly why Sherry, of all people, was paired with him is because she's done it before. She yep. she is an absolute... She's got a gift for handling wrestlers. And it's where Jimmy Hart apparently got the inspiration for the song with uh, with Jim Johnson because... When Sherry was told, and Sherry was told before Sean, because you know Sherry had worked with the very big top stars, yeah. and she went, for fuck's sake, they're giving me a boy toy. <laughs> and that's where that came from there as well. Amazing. But yeah. you know, for, for Sean, you know, the, it's interesting, you know, the, the other shoots I watched with Sean, he was very grateful for this. That's it. He yeah. obviously, once it happened, and once, I, I think, you know, he probably at some point, Vince would have gotten into his ear and gone, well, of course, we only put Sherry with the top 
guys. Well, the only guys. Macho man, you, you know? Yeah, exactly. She, she, Jenny, yeah. you know, big Ted names. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Massive names who you cannot. You cannot say she didn't elevate those people because she absolutely did. Like she brought a level of what would you say direction. I, I think guess you know? direction, yeah. but also like an X factor. Yeah. There's something special about Sherry, and when she show, show, like uses that to give to someone else, it's very special. There's a lot of people I think who are like Shawn Michaels, who early on in their career show a lot of athleticism and mm. a lot of like oh they understand it and they can be a star. But there's a little bit something extra in there still to come out. And yeah, I think that Sean, charisma. Yeah, there is that anxiety there. And like he talks about, you know, the, the interest they would do and have the mirror and she would you know, hold up. And he's like, I, you know, I wouldn't like, I never, w- I do promos, but I would never like pose and look at my muscles in the mirror. And she'd be there being like, you know, nodding, go on, go on. Yeah. yeah. So like, he kind of had to become comfortable with himself and his mm-hmm. body through that. And boy, does he. Boy, does he ever. <laughs> Here's something that I didn't know. They had the song before they had anything about the act figured out. Really? And like they mentioned in this in the, in 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 some interviews where it's like the song like they would come out and they'd be listening to the song as like, oh, they kind of put it together from yeah, the song. Yeah, that's amazing. I think more wrestling acts should be done that way. Not all of them, but some I think really would benefit. It's got to go down as one of the greatest themes of all time, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to test you right now. Yeah. You say you know all the lyrics. Yeah. Give it to me. <laughs> what? How, How many of them do you know? Just say them. Okay, I'm just a sexy boy, sexy boy. I'm not your boy toy, boy toy. Um, I make them hot, I make them shiver. Their knees are weak whenever I'm around. They see me walk, they hear me talk. I make them feel like they're on cloud nine. I'm just a sexy boy. that you know the actual ones. That's very impressive. Thank you. That's very, very good. It's definitely the wrestling theme I've listened to most. Yeah, you you often are singing it when I come down in the morning. I fucking love it. I was singing it this morning. The term heartbreak kid came from Mr. Perfect. Really? He used to call Sean that because of his uh, womanizing ways and all that backstage. (laughs) So there's all these kind of different parts come together and they start to make it out. Like, you know, this is what the HBK character, this is what Shawn Michaels is going to be. Yeah. He gets the sunglasses, the kind of the chaps. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of it is pretty much, there's some bits that they get rid of, like throwing Sherry down on the ground. uh, I kind of love that. Which was her idea as well. So cool. Vince thought it was a little bit risque. I mean, yeah, it's so ahead of its time. But um, yeah, you know, Sean... Sean at this point gets the confidence to start being able to cope to Vince and like say this is what's going to happen or like mm. I'm not going to do this you know which is definitely Sherry whispering in his ear oh yeah this is know? the thing like there's so many occasions where you just it's obvious that it's just people whispering in Sean's ear his yeah. whole fucking career and this is like this and is... I, I'm not saying that as a bad way no Sherry I think that's a good thing I think it with is the right person the right influence it's obviously a good thing for him and I think you know she helped him kind of realise that you know even though he didn't have the size of Vince's old people this is like 93, 94 we're talking about now like what's going on right now it's yeah. a steroid trial there's going to be people that Vince wants and when Sean is the guy now who's you know leaps and bounds you know excelling in his character work his performance athletically is still there all the pieces are coming together and also as well he can stand up to the boss and be like hey this is what should actually happen mm-hmm. Vince McMahon is finding his new favourite guy right oh, here oh yeah for you know? sure <laughs> on the other side you got Brad Hart who's the constant professional the workhorse will do whatever he's told to one of the boys and I think Vince realises he's got two very different but in a lot of ways very similar guys who he could groom into these top positions yes yeah. It is interesting, though, that Shawn Michaels isn't the person who is seeking the father figure no. as obviously desperately as so many of the other people who Vince has kind of in his hands, you know? Part of me wonders if that's maybe why Vince likes him so much. Yeah. 
because he's not needy in that respect. Like he's needy in many ways. I mean, but he does not need a father figure. Here's the one where I view this is how I settled it in my head. Sean doesn't view Vince as a father figure, but Vince McMahon certainly views Sean as his son. Oh yeah, absolutely. More so than any like more so yeah, than anyone Shane else. Oh, absolutely more so than Shane. More so than anyone. Like there's so many people who say that Vince is like a father to them and the number of times Vince would say that about them like say like Kurt Angle he'd go oh he's like a son to me he wouldn't no. he, he doesn't no, no, no. but he does with Sean for sure yeah very rarely that it flips it on its head like yeah. that he's given the Intercontinental Championship which he wins from the British Bulldog the belt that's still known as being like the workhorse championship that Brett and Mr. Perfect had but he's still frustrated that he's not accessing that top top spot and he's you know, adamant that those people who he's putting in there, Vince, at the moment, they're lazy. They're not going to draw him money like he could. He should be the guy. Vince is impressed, but as Pat Patterson says regarding his personality, eh? <laughs> he's a prick. You know, one man's great work ethic is another person's, like, just annoying personality and hard to work with. And that's the thing, because you know he's not getting on with the boys. Which, you know, for someone like Vince, he's not going to care. No. But for someone like Patterson, who actually has to deal with the boys on a day-to-day basis, that's going to make his job harder for him. Yeah, and I think with Sean, you know, the real test is then when Sherry leaves, because I feel like that's the trading wheels off. Yeah. I'm sorry, but if you've got an incredibly charismatic, cool, tenured character, mm-hmm. who if you're scared of anyone you're wrestling for real, you can throw him to the outside and she'll beat the shit out of him. That yeah. was their agreement, as we mentioned in the Sherry yeah. episode. Like, that feels like you're playing the Mario game where they give you the special suit that you can have infinite, you know, hover on your jump. You're taking it off now. You've got Diesel yeah. instead, all right? <laughs> the male Sherry. <laughs> but, like, that shows you, like, it's as early as 1993. We're, we're, we're going to our first match now. It's Sean versus Marty for the IC belt. Diesel is bought in and Sean is literally going to Vince going, you see that guy over there, Vinny Vegas? I want him. Yeah. Give me him. I want him. And Vince is like, well, yeah, I, yeah as a matter of fact, extemporaneously, I will be... Uh, <laughs> extemporaneously. Uh, I will, as a matter of fact, uh, hire that very large man. And uh, I loved hearing um, Kevin Nash's uh, version of this story, which was the... <laughs> He apparently told the promoter that he was done with wrestling entirely. He's like, you know, I'm sick of this industry, man. I'm going to leave. I'm going to retire and spend more time with my family, my stock options, my portfolio. And then he just leaves and goes to the rival company. What a prick! You know what? Him and Sean fucking deserve each other. Awful, man. Thick as thieves, though, these boys are. Very, very interesting relationship. But, like, this match I was very intrigued by because I think this is a match that was going to maybe show to you that Marty and Sean were maybe more athletically on a similar pegging than anyone maybe kind of, you know, a lot of the stories kind of realise, you know, Marty is used as a punchline very often in wrestling. Really? Miz and John Morrison, for instance, they had a feud and the feud was who's the Marty of their group. Oh, that's not very nice. You know? Although that is very funny. I know, but it's like, fuck me. It's yeah. it's kind of miserable, like, you know? Mm. Yeah. So here we are. It's Monday Night Raw. It's the 19th of July, 1993. And to further underscore what a different time this is, I had to triple check this and then watch the segment with Joe and then watch it again myself. Tiny Tim is on this episode oh, of Raw. Yeah. Tiny Tim. Oh, with the ukulele. Tiptoeing through the tulips. Oh, Jerry Lawler. Why won't you leave him alone? Vince McMahon doing his sad voice about Tiny Tim. I would pay so much money to see Vince 
meeting Tiny Tim. Yeah, Tiny Tim and Jerry Lawler. You just know he looked at how tall Tiny Tim was and was like, can I hire him? Yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, But we start off with Sean coming out with Big Diesel. And this is early Diesel as well. He's got the big denim rocket here, the white leather jacket with the studs. <laughs> he looks like such a himbo here. Oh, baby. And then like, I feel like Sean seems like so like, you compare Sean from when we saw him in the Rockers. It's like, he's new, he's yeah. fresh. This is like, you know, the style of the 90s. Yeah, because like the rockers, for me, they always feel so dated. Yeah, like, even, even at though, the time. Like, like the wrestling obviously feels so modern, but the look of them is so 80s. Yeah, and like people would always say, like, oh, they're just a ripoff of the Rock and Roll Express. Yeah. You know, they got the tassels and the, band, you know, the bandanas yeah. on their knee pads and all that. But like this is, you know, and we say it all the goddamn time, but this is a look straight out of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Absolutely. I think so obviously. Yeah, Golden Wind, I'm going to say, Shawn Michaels particularly. Like, Oh, like I would say Shawn Michaels is like quite a big influence for Jotaro. Yeah, for sure. In terms of being a nasty prick who's very good at what he does. (laughs) Although I would say it's the voice of Kevin Nash. Oh yeah, absolutely. As well. But then you have Marty coming out. And he's wearing kind of like a sadder version of the rocker's gear, the kind of the Mm. neon singlet and all that. He looks like more dated than ever. He does. But like once the match starts, it's like these guys are fucking like they're so athletic, they're they're so fast. The back body drop that they do, just the simple move, you know, where they throw someone over your shoulders into the air. And Sean, like we watch so many matches for Sean, like you know the ones we're going to talk about here and other ones. And I swear, every time Sean took a simple back drop, you were like. Yeah. Just from going on his back and going whoop into the air. I love it. I love how silly it is. It's really over the top. And like, for me, that's what professional wrestling should be. Yes. It's, it's panto fighting. It should be over the top. It should be like exciting. Yeah. It should be something you wouldn't see. Like, I don't want everyone to wrestle like that, but I do think more wrestlers should do that. So I was really excited about this match because it was one that was a little bit more obscure. And I was like, oh yeah, my God. Why is this on Raw? This I know. is so WWE. Like to get this amazing feud, rivalry that goes back, you know, a decade. Yeah, maybe? right. And they're like, yeah, let's put it on Raw. Yeah, it's going to be on Monday Night Raw is what's going to happen here. And I'm like, I'm excited because like, the match is really, really living up to the hype so far. I'm like, no, no, Kevin, cool your jets. Literally 30 seconds in, Macho Man chimes in. This is the greatest match I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Macho Man had some odd lines on commentary for this match. I mean, one... most of his commentary career you can yeah. describe as odd lines. He says at one point, the women I know don't like Shawn Michaels. It's Aww. like, well, yeah, the only woman you know is Miss Elizabeth and you keep her locked up in a cupboard. So yeah. she doesn't even get a chance to look at any men. Bursa said, do you like Shawn Michaels? No, no you don't. Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought. <laughs> Shawn is so good at selling. Yeah. In every aspect of that word. I mean, I think so. But I do wonder, I want to ask you, is that like, are there wrestling fans who think he's bad at selling? Because he does do it over the top. I, mean, I feel that there's a lot of people who are like crossing their arms and like, oh, I don't like that kind of over the top style. But I feel it's, I mean, the exception being Hogan, I feel yeah. it's never at the expense of his opponents. Yeah. It almost always makes him seem like super powered and super charged. Like a lot of the stuff he's doing here with Marty, you know, he'll hit into the corner, he'll twist, yeah. he'll flip backwards. But, like, that doesn't make Marty look like a goof. It makes him look like, oh, shit, like, this is a fast-paced, intense match. Mm. So I feel like if you're somebody saying that Shawn Michaels is bad at selling, you're not paying close enough attention because there's that part of it. There's what you're physically doing with your body, how you're throwing it, how you're contorting yourself. But for me, and it's particularly when he's a heel, he sells frustration. Yeah. You know, where it's, like, slamming the back, damn it, like, that should have been it, like, and you can see that... 
you know, in kayfabe and in real life, the story that is always here in these matches in the 90s with Sean is he's his own worst enemy sometimes, mm. you know? And he needs people like Diesel there to keep him in check and cool him down because he'll, otherwise he'll just fucking spin out into a big ball of frustration. Yeah. And they're always like four moves ahead of each other. Yes. Well, that makes sense because they know... You know, not only do they know each other in terms of like, oh, they've seen each other wrestle a lot, but they've done those same moves together at the same time. Of course they know every, they should know everything by instinct. They should just like see an arm move in a certain direction and know, oh, okay, this means that that guy's going to do this particular move because I've seen him do it tens of thousands of times it's kind of a lazy criticism i see a lot of like modern wrestling sometimes you know or you know spot heavy inverted commas matches where people like oh it's just kind of like it's a rehearsed thing it's just you know they're doing this and then this and then this and this you know just in a row and there's no kind of psychology to it but like i feel you get so many moments in this match where it's like five or six different things in a row that Mm. obviously to do it has to be incredibly rehearsed yeah but it flows naturally in this like you know that's like that that's the special sauce that's the magic x factor pixie dust of wrestling that can't be replicated you know bobby heenan being asked you know what's going on with Shawn michaels and diesel he goes hang on a second let me check with my staff hey stupid and you shake to some guy (laughs) walking by you know what? This is in a period of wrestling that I, you know, as a, I hated as a teenager. I think, oh, it's all old and crappy. But from how to doing the Patreon and pay per view classic and some of the matches we've been doing here recently, good lord, Vince McMahon being put on trial was a great thing for professional wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> Shawn Michaels here with this great moment. Marty jumps off the top. Shawn avoids it, but Marty predicts that Shawn's going to avoid it and is stood there waiting for him. Anime as fuck. So cool. And then before we go to the break, they have like a finish here. They do this really cool thing going into the commercial break where Marty hits a big DDT. He pins Shawn. He gets to three, but Shawn's foot is on the rope. But he's laid out in a way where Marty can't see. So Marty's there with the bell going, yes. And then they go, no, we're going to commercial break, ladies and gentlemen. Brilliant way to break Mm -hmm. up. If you're going to have a commercial break, that's how you should do it. I think it... I do have an issue with the number of breaks in this match, though. Yeah. It is weird. And it I guess it's... a TV it's... show, you can tell, yeah. Yeah, it's... Um... Does it break the flow up for you a bit? Oh, no, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, it, it really ruined the flow for me, actually. It's it's probably my main criticism of this match. And I think it makes sense when you realise it's on Raw, because, like, yeah, they don't think much of this match, obviously. They, they don't really care. Yeah, but the, fan, the fans are the fans nuclear for really it. They like. really do. Yeah. Like, obviously, this is good booking like just yeah. i wish they'd given i put, wish they put it on a pay-per-view yeah i know so right? much better like and to, to put ad breaks throughout it just makes it feel like they don't care yeah no i absolutely get that it makes it feel as well like they don't want you to care <laughs> there is a great spot here and i love when there's something that happens in wrestling you know if it's a long spot or whatever and you feel i'm just about getting bored here and then something happens where you go, oh, that's really smart. Yeah, that this is the thing they were doing with Sean ropes. and the ropes. T- talk us through this. This was great. So it actually really bothered me at first um, was that the ref keeps going over to Diesel for some reason. I couldn't figure out why. And then I realized, or you realized, I said I realized, I didn't realize anything. You realized that it was timing up with Sean putting his legs on the ropes. And basically every time Sean would get like pinned and put his legs on the ropes, Diesel would shake the ropes at the same time so that the ref would think that Diesel was shaking the ropes and not that Sean was putting his leg on the ropes. Yeah, to use illegal leverage for his yeah. submissions or pins or whatever. Which is why then he kept going, getting up and going over to Diesel. 
So, so good. Very, very good. That's some big brain stuff happening in a match right here. I loved it. I feel stuff like that happens so much more in this era of wrestling, like in the 90s, than now. Yeah. Like, I feel the number of times in recent episodes where we've gone, oh my God, that's so clever. Yeah. They've done that. I feel like, I feel though, like sometimes. You know, particularly when I'm watching like AEW and I'll watch a match and there's all these crazy moves and spots and it washes over me. And then I'll go back and watch it later and then I'll see the nuance and mm. stuff like that. But I appreciate that because I feel like in the age we're living in wrestling now where everything, there's so much content. Mm. I like that there are still performers out there who are putting in the little nuance for like, hey, if someone's going to look at that later on in a few years for a podcast, they're like, oh my God. And like yeah. the idea of like this, you know, seeing a match from 20 years ago and you discover a little nugget in it there that was sprinkled in. Yeah. That's really, really cool. It and is. I feel like that's the mark of something. Like Brett, I feel like I've watched so many times Joe's went, oh, I want to watch Brett versus Stone Cold. We've watched that match I'd say like 10 times <laughs> over a few so years. Good. And I swear every time I watch it, I see something new. Yeah. You know, some new little wrinkle, little detail that I hadn't thought about before. <laughs> The crowds are very 1993. Because- Oop, there it is. <laughs> that was so brilliant. I feel they should bring that back. Yeah, or Truth, I think, tried to do that for a little bit. Yeah. I think, whoop, there it is, is officially in the public domain, it seems really? like. We also get a Marty chant, which is nice. And I feel like this is not doing Marty a disservice because he's obviously very athletic, but I feel Sean as a heel does a lot to make the crowd care about young Marty yeah, Janae here. definitely. Oh, there's a really great moment here where Sean gets the rocker dropper, which is Marty's finisher, and as he's selling it, he manages to fall into the ropes like Andre the Giant. You know, when he gets his arms yeah. all tangled up there. That was very, very impressive. I thought a small guy couldn't do that in one fell yeah. swoop. So Marty decides, I've got him, he's hooked up. He runs against the ropes, dives as high as he can, and Sean just gets out, and Marty splats outside. Horrible landing. Yeah. And you never see this. When someone goes over the top rope, you kind of go, all right, someone will dive out on top of them now. But Diesel picks him up, throws him back in, and Sean's like, yeah, one, two, three, (laughs) yay! What a great way to end this match. It's both athletic and shitty at the same time. Yeah, definitely. So what did you see from Sean and Marty here? Did you see something maybe a little bit different or how did you get on with the match? Oh, I feel weird about this match. It was it was good. It's in the wrestling was good. But the pacing was weird. And mm. it was mainly because of those ad breaks. It like it just felt like the WWE doesn't care and doesn't think this is a big deal. Like, yeah. With all the ad breaks and everything. It's the middle of the show as well. Is it's it? even the main event. That's so weird. I think the main event segment is actually Tiny Tim and Jerry What? Moore. Oh my God. <laughs> and then there's things like, they spelt Marty Jetty's name wrong. Yeah. On the network. I know. And it's just like, little things like that, which just make it feel like, just the WWE just don't give a shit. They don't give a shit about... They've got something mm. really good here and they just kind of ruined it. And it, it took what, for me, would have been a five-star match. I only gave this three and a half stars. Fair enough. Just because, psychologically, I feel the pacing just fucked it all up. There is a part of me that believes that you could give Marty Jannetty the... Like, if the roles were reversed and Sean was a year older and Marty was the year younger and, you know, Sean was the guy who decided, well, I'm older, so I'll make the stupid decision. And then Marty gets viewed as being the mature one. I do believe there is an alternate B universe where Marty Jannetty gets paired with someone like a Sherry or a Diesel no, or something like that. I disagree. Do you? Because I feel like if 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 it's the athleticism and the kind of rambunctiousness, maybe he's not there on the promos, but I certainly feel like you could do... Like, you had the option to do a lot more with Marty Jannetty. I think the fact that Marty Jannetty's career lasted as long as it did, mm. given the extent of his, you know, of his 
problems. Yeah, no, I definitely think he had more. Miraculous, he like. had more potential than he managed to reach in the WWE. Like, he stands toe to toe with Sean here in terms of like it's not like yeah. Sean's running rings around him and you would go, oh, he's way more athletic than him or anything like that. But I guess there's yeah. more to it than athleticism, you know. But I think I think the thing that separates them really is that there's a potential in Sean that there isn't in Marty, and it's almost like mm. it. And I think it's self-inflicted. Like Marty seems like on some level he doesn't see himself as a champion. Yes. Whereas Sean very much does. Like even very early on in his career, you can see that's where he's looking. Is he's aiming for the big league. I don't think Marty ever was in that way. I think he was just happy to wrestle. Sean is the heady combination of straight egotism at this yeah. point because he is really good. He's ushering in a new era in many ways of, of, of athleticism. He's kind of the one to watch and all that. And at the same time, I think he is being compounded with these anxieties and these doubts about himself. Vince in the documentary is like, Sean and Diesel, what a compatible duo. These guys are great. <laughs> mm. And like, yeah, they're buddies on the road. Yeah, I'll say. But I think a lot of bad stuff comes from it quite early on. I mean, yep. even if it's innocuous stuff like Sean, you know, is trying to match everything Diesel eats and drinks. Yes, you know? exactly. So yeah, he's and- eating big plates of pancakes and 20 beers every night. And he wasn't doing that before, you know? And it makes you think about, you know, this is a WWE documentary where they are refusing to talk about really in, in honest, serious terms about drug addictions. Yeah. And, but they imply, you know, with things like Sean saying that he wanted to keep up with Nash, you know, I think that's the same with the drugs as well. And mm-hmm. Nash is, seven foot tall yeah he's a big guy and also nash you know he took certain things but he stayed away from other things yeah. and those other things that he stayed away from sean has already admitted at this point to being addicted to yeah so i think he was a bad a really bad influence yeah. on sean i think because... it was he just added stuff onto his cocktail yeah basically. exactly i think sean looked to someone like nash and sort of idolized him and thought well god if, if he can do it i can mm. even though sean's literally half his size and i think it it took him down you know i think marty was the first step in that you know of, of showing him you can party uh, yeah. and work hard and it's fine kevin nash's step two of you know here's a big successful guy who it seems unaffected by i think that's the main issue with nash is he didn't process you know drugs they're not yeah filtered or processed in the same way as they are for most people especially and, addicts and i think as well with yeah with with nash i think he has a degree and I'm not saying it means he's a better person or anything like that. I just, I do believe he has a degree of personal control yep. that a lot of his compatriots, a lot of us as people probably don't have, yeah. like, you know, and that's probably why he managed to survive as, you know, in the business as long as he did. He mm-hmm. was, he, he's an intelligent, crafty man. Yeah. And I think Sean here at this point, he's putting on weight because he's drinking a lot. He's working out more and all that. Mm. And it's around this time where he gets done in for a drug test. And we're talking around a period of time where Vincent Mann is trying to take this very seriously because of the steroids. This is the big, the steroid trial, this is the big worry about him. We've already reached a point as well where it's like if you get caught with uh, smoking pot or or, or cocaine or, or anything like that, any recreational drugs, that's it. It's a big fucking deal. You know, you're, you're, you're out. They don't test for those. They do. No, they do test. Okay, well, they... They've made that very confusing because in this documentary, they say that Sean failed a drug test. Yes. But what they mean is a steroid test. Yes. But that for them is, is probably more of a concern than if you failed for pot. But like he definitely would have failed for anything else they tested for. So they obviously weren't testing him for Yeah, that. The, the, the testing, like, you know, it wasn't like the wellness policy that came in after Eddie passed away. This was still kind of like a, an as and when kind of ah, surprise drug testing and stuff mm. like that. But, you know, Brett in his book talked about it a lot. It, you know, it, and we talked about it in the Razor episode and the Diesel episodes. 
this is what turned people from the generation of guys where they would get hot, you know, have a few beers, have a few joints and go, you know, hang out in their hotel rooms and maybe do a few lines of coke to the guys who were then passing out at dinner and, you know, doing prescription drugs that are fine because they're prescription. And as we all know, prescription drugs are wreaking havoc in America, almost to the equivalent of illegal drugs ever have. Well, and this is the other thing, right? So Sean says, he admits himself that he, at this time, was taking all sorts of random prescription yeah, drugs this was so because he's like fucking like oh it was ridiculous but also i don't know what i was taking that's like thing, what's yeah. that and like, he's meant to be in this good place at the time talking about it as well like. the point of prescription drugs is that they are administered by a doctor you have a piece of paper to say i need this and that's all you take you can't just take pills and say, well, they were prescribed to somebody, so therefore they're prescription drugs. Like, that's not how prescriptions work. And also, you're in an era where people were literally could still find dodgy docs who'd give him a prescription yeah. for fucking anything. That was going on until, like, 2007, 2008. And then you've got, then, the culture of sharing around random pills. And you know, the clicks culture of putting, of spiking each other's drinks. God, yeah. And combining yeah. things. They don't... Look, A, they're not going to know what are in these pills. They, you may say it's one thing, but you don't know. And that's true even today. You don't shouldn't take a pill because you don't know what's in it. And then the other thing is, is like them combining these pills with each other and with alcohol on this very intensive work regimen where you're working out all the time and exercising constantly. Uh, like, of course, it's going to have side effects that you wouldn't necessarily predict. It's going to it's going to affect people in different ways. Like yeah. one person takes one pill and does one thing. You think, oh, well, he's fine. So therefore, I'll take a pill and I'll be fine. You don't know that. There's too many factors. So it comes again with this drug test. And I think this is another one of these like kind of pivotal moments in the relationship between Sean and Vince, particularly in the standing in the company. Vince says to him, you know. You've, you've tested for the the positive for this and Sean was like what did I test positive for and he's like oh I think it was like a testosterone thing or a steroid thing or something and Sean's like test me again then and he's like well no I'm not going to test you again you've been tested so it's either you know six months you know six weeks suspension or whatever it is and he's like fine six weeks suspension I'm gone and he's intercontinental champion at the time as well wow so then we have a tournament to crown a new intercontinental champion Who's Razor Ramon? Yeah, because he refused to give back the belt, yeah. right? Held on to it, you know, <laughs> like his idol Ric Flair. And how does Sean come back with his tail between his legs after his six-week suspension? You know, all oh, this is going to teach him a lesson. He comes back at WrestleMania 10 and has a ladder match. The ladder match. Wow. Sean and Razor, WrestleMania 10. As he says in the shoot interview, and this is going to grind your gears, the only match anyone ever talked about from that pay-per-view. We had, you know, Brett and Owen on the same page. Yep. <laughs> I'm aware. Fuck off. But, you know... It's a great match, but come it on. It's a great match, but, like, that's not a great... Like, I don't think Vince even knew at the time what he was doing there. You're making a monster. You're taking someone away for six weeks. It's like if someone got suspended in school and he came back and he had a fucking parade for them. Yeah. Remember all the funny jokes they made before they got suspended? <laughs> like, that was great. Like, you know... Remember when he threw a rubber and hit a fire alarm? That yeah. actually happened in the school where I was. <laughs> oh, that's nothing. One kid got suspended because he threw a table through a window on a, off a second story. <laughs> Fuck me, like... That's a nice little school I went to. Yeah, goodness. Um... <laughs> So yeah, Sean, you know, puts himself on the map. It's a match, you know, it wasn't the first ladder match. It wasn't the, even the first ladder match in WWE. He'd done that with Brett a, a year or two prior, but it's big. He has got kind of 
the eyes of the wrestling world upon him at that time. And this is, of course, now when you got Razor Ramon, you got Shawn Michaels, you've got Diesel, you've got young Sean Waltman coming in. Who's the new boy who's going to come and join up with us as well? Ah, Triple H, we've got a designated driver as well. Amazing. And this, you know, this segues into Sean and Diesel having their run together. I'm working with my best friend. He knows what I want. He knows what I want. You know, it's it's perfect for them, you know? Of course it's perfect with you. are working with your best friend. Yeah. You know, and you got another friend lined up here. Oh, what another friend. This is working out pretty well. You, you talk and about... they're all here for you, yeah. Sean. And this is like Bret Hart, who's like, Ken Shamrock, he might be a top guy someday. Like, fucking bless you. You're yeah. really trying to think of the next generation. Sean's thinking about the right here, the right now. But why would you blame him? Because that's what Vince McMahon, he wants this, I think. I think yeah. he wants this competition, this kind of you know, guys crawling over each other to get to the top and Sean's making a human pyramid out of the yeah. click and here he is up at the top there doing himself plenty of favours. So he main events his first WrestleMania against Diesel and then we have Diesel being the world champion for a little bit. Now, we have the incident that comes up uh, around about this time which, uh, <laughs> Jesus took some fucking inter- took, took some fucking investigating. I'm doing Unsolved Mysteries for our podcast. I don't know if I'll ever solve this one. What was your understanding from the documentary about Shawn Michaels and the Marines? So, I get confused between the documentary and also Brett's telling of this. Yeah. Because I've heard this story a few different times. And and you've heard two very different versions already, I think, from Brett's book and the documentary. Yeah, but generally the story seems to be that Shawn was at a bar with... Now, I forget who was there because, like, from Brett's perspective, it was like there were a couple of wrestlers there who were his friends, but not the whole clique. Yeah. And the WWE's perspective was that he was there on his own, pretty much. <laughs> Neither of those are particularly true. Right. And Sean's at the bar, and then a whole bunch of Marines are there, and he starts like I think he does. It starts off like you know he he's flirting with some girls, or I think the documentary makes out as though the girls were flirting with him. Yeah, yeah. And then these Marines come up and they're like, "Oi, that's our girls!" And then we're British Marines. Yeah. <laughs> how many? How many guys is a matter of interest? What was your What was your estimate from the 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 uh, the information you were given? I reckoned between five and seven, maybe. Okay. Which seems like a, a lot of Marines to be in one bar, but I don't know. Maybe that's what they do. So the the, the going number that they used on TV was nine. Nine, okay. And I have heard 11 be reported as well. Well, the thing is, it could well be a lot of them because he ends up in hospital. Yeah. Like, and that's like, you know, not... You know, I mean, you hear a lot about Sean getting in fights with people. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot. That happens throughout his whole career. He's constantly pissing off the wrong people. Yeah. But he doesn't end up in hospital for any of them other than this one, as far as I know. Yeah, so this is like, this is bad. Like, you know, yeah. we saw... I think I think we may have actually done it with one of the pay-per-views. It was a '94 in your house or, or thereabouts. He's got like a black eye. Or yeah, something. we remember because it was one where it, well, Dean Douglas gets given the uh, the Intercontinental Belt where he has to give it up. That's just around the time this happened. We oh, did right, that yeah. for Pay-per-View Classic, ah. which, by the way, it's the most fun we ever have podcast. And you want to check out Pay-per-View Classic? It's all available on our <laughs> Patreon page. But the actual story of this, cause, yeah, when, you know, when we saw him there and we saw the promo. He's, you know, fucking cuts under his eyes. Yeah, he yeah. looks, you know, he looks like all the joy has been sucked out of him. Yeah, tail between his legs type thing. <laughs> Although I will say, knowing the full story of it, the bit we watched on Raw where it's him literally like head down, you know, he's he's got a rash from crying so much in his eyes. Yeah. And it cuts, you know, he's there like, I don't know where I'm going to be back. You know, these nine guys, they attacked me and, you know, they, they nearly killed me. 
you know, and uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I got to get healthy and I got to get back and I got to do a few fans. I'm sorry I let you down. And it cuts back from that to Jerry Lawler just going, oh, boo, <laughs> and then going, eh. Uh, I think he said it's the most like limmy Jerry Lawler has ever been. So <laughs> limmy, literally. And I think it's the most I'd ever laughed as yeah. a, at a Jerry Lawler moment because it was so fucking horrible and nasty. Best thing he's ever done. So that's the story as you you, rec- you reckoned it was told was that we had a bunch of guys come up. Sean was 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 cutting loose with the women and they mm-hmm. taught him a lesson. But I I've always thought there's more to it than that. I always figured, you know, I know he's a flirt, but I bet he said. I th- actually, I think even in Brett's book, he says something that, like, Sean said something to piss them off. Yeah. He rubbed them the wrong way. He said something he shouldn't have. Okay, so what we have here is Shawn Michaels. And it's not like Sean and all the extended clique. It's Sean and Sean Waltman, a.k.a. X-Buck, a.k.a. Aww. the one, two, three kids. Little boy. He's only in his very early 20s at this point. Yeah. And the other member of this motley crew is the british bulldog oh dear who you know from 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 brett's recollections was having plenty of problems of his own at the time yeah he was wearing many lampshades on his head <laughs> stacking them oh, one after the other madman he didn't show up for their practice for SummerSlam, and he went and he found that it was jim neidhart and british bulldog just eating a load of <laughs> lampshades in a dirty old room but um <laughs> So it's British Bulldog who, by the way, as well, Sean had just finished defending the title against, you know, the Intercontinental title, like, the night before, this that same night. So they had been, you know, meant to be opposed against each other. And the big scandal about this is that Bill Watts, he had been working for creative literally until the day before, and he was pissed off because if he had seen the bad guy and the good guy in the same car going out partying together, both of them would have been fucking fired, brother. So that didn't happen because Sean was, was, was there with a the new regime, thankfully. So Sean goes into the bar... And he's on a few pills and on a few downers, somas, etc. So he's a little bit falling all over the place at this point. As is Davy Boy, as is Kids. So him and Davy Boy were friends. Yeah. Hang. Really? Well, That's I mean, a bad fucking influence. Well, you know, sharing pills, you yeah. know. Anyone who was sharing pills became quick friends in that locker room at the time. Right. You know, that's why everyone became interconnected. You know, you can talk from everyone from Sonny to British Bulldog to the extended clique and everyone in between. So they go into this nightclub. Sean goes over and starts flirting with the girl. And the bouncer who's in this place straight away is like, uh-oh, because he knows that girl, her boyfriend is right over there. And the boyfriend is a Marine. Right. So the bouncer sensing an issue straight away sends over his girlfriend, who is also one of the bar staff, to go over there and just get him out of here. I guess I'm... Why just get him out of here? Woman to do that scary job. I'm too busy bouncing, or I'm doing the scary. Real I just scary hope she job. was a real tough lady. Yeah, right. Like <laughs> Sherry or China. Yeah, over there, she sort handle out, herself. Clip him around the ear. So the idea is just get him out of here before this gets bad. Mm-hmm. And of course, in trying to get him out of here and get them back to the hotel, you know, Sean's fallen all over the place. He thinks he's been like started on, so he's like you know clawing back and you know. Oh yeah. So that's the other thing I remember hearing from Brett's book is that Sean started a fight that he couldn't finish because he like basically became unconscious. He was coming in out of consciousness. Right. You know. So he didn't even know what he was saying. So he's like, you know, being taken away and he's, you know, basically kicking and screaming and he's going back going, you know, you know, trying to flirt with the girl as much as he can, kicking and screaming and I'm also. Vomiting. Yeah, going to the guy like, oh, fuck you, <laughs> you're not so tough. And of course the Marine, it's like, here's this guy who is played up on TV as being you know, a boy toy. And even though he's a good guy, you know, you've got people who are kind of making out that his effeminate qualities make him like, oh, you want to fucking hate Shawn Michaels, yeah. don't you? It's, you know, hey, it's the mid-90s. They're chanting slurs at house shows. 
Of course. We saw from Goldust, you know. Yeah. So he's been dragged out into the car park and all of a sudden the Marine comes back out with his brother. Two guys, not nine. So far, there's more, right? Two guys, yes, because the bouncer and another bouncer come out. What, on the Marine side? No, just to come and break up the fight. Hang on, where are these ever, like, I thought it was supposed to be eight more men. There's not, right, there's eight <laughs> men, right, you, there's eight or nine people, if you count... The bartender who's trying to break it up. The two bouncers who are trying to break it up. Davy Boy Smith, who, by the way, can't get out of the car because he's so pilled up and the car has only got doors in the front. He doesn't know how to open up the front seat. So he's there in the back being all big, like trying to squeeze out. And he's You've got Sean Waltman, we can count him as well, who's trying to do his karate gimmick and he's fallen over in the car park because he's got fucking drool coming out of his mouth. Oh my God. Sean's head gets caught in a car door. They slam like, him. You make that sound like my accident. Like well, he, sl- he slips in and they bang his head against the car door. So it wasn't like the marine grabbed him, put no, him between no, the car door. No, no, he slips, he and... falls, but they slam his head into it. Right. And then they go to grab him. When they grab him, they grab him by the pupil. The finger goes in and he pierces his eyelid. Oh god! And he's thrown down onto the concrete after that. But again, two accidents. I guess, but two accidents that were born out of a guy who was trying to fuck you up anyway. But like, it sounds like a lot of this is maybe. I want like, like you're you're coming from the defense of look. If the bad guys break into Macaulay Culkin's house and they all slip on ball bearings that are there, is it the their own fault for slipping and falling, or is it the boy who set up the ball bearings? Like, well, I guess more like you know, if Home Alone was you know instead of a boy, it's a a guy very high on hard drugs. He falls down the stairs. He's basically attacking himself. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's stripping on his own marbles and. So look, what it basically is, folks. For anyone who's ever been on a night out and seen an epic confrontation go down, it was no more an epic nine-on-one beatdown from fucking Green Berets coming in on parachutes. What it was was a sloppy fucking drunk who was pilled out of his mind and his two friends who were pilled out of their minds fall on over the place, being asked politely to leave, and then two guys coming in and trying to get a big win over the tough guy wrestlers who they could see were falling apart and everyone falling and slapping their heads and hitting their heads on concrete and then been taken to the fucking intensive care afterwards. Jesus. So it is by no means the nine-on-one beatdown. And it's also by no means as well like, oh, Sean didn't... Like, there was an aggressor there, but it's fucking on, you know... What did you think was going to happen? One of the guys was, you know, was stationed with the Marines. Right. The other guy was just his brother. And here's the really interesting thing about this, Joe, was that Sean wanted to press charges. And he said it in those promos that we watched. He's like, yeah, you know, my legal team is looking at it. We're going to press charges and all that. And they dropped the charges in 1996 because the guy's lawyer said... I know exactly why this happened and it happened because all of your performers were on drugs and if we're going in to do this as a trial my main defense as the defense attorney for my client is going to be that prescription drugs played a role in this and I'm going to ask for drug tests for all of the guys who were there present I'm going to look at their medical records if they were prescribed these things the quantities they were taking because they would have taken blood when he was in the hospital Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden Turns out we didn't have the dog in us and Jerry McDevitt thinks maybe we shouldn't pursue this one, guys, actually. Undisclosed some, it's all gone away. So that's the story of the Marines and Shawn Michaels. But also, meanwhile, Vince McMahon and the WWF being like, well, Shawn, wouldn't it be best if you don't press charges? And also, wouldn't it be best if it was nine or 11 guys? Oh, it's the best of both worlds because we don't press charges. The myth kind of grows. And I think it's, you know, having people like Brad Harpy, like, oh, those nine cheerleaders in Syracuse who beat you up. You're trying to make fun of them, but you're making fun of them through the scope of it was nine people who attacked yeah. him. Look, it's horrible that anyone gets fucking attacked. You know, it's horrible that, you know, they were in the state to begin with that this happened. For me, 
there is no more depressing image that I can conjure up from mid nineties wrestling than the one two three kid, twenty some years old, going hey yeah. Yeah, yeah, falling all over the place. And Davy Boy Smith, like, fucking exerting himself, trying to get out of a back seat and passing out in the process. And Shawn Michaels' head fucking banging against a door. Yep. And, you know, someone picking him up and he's so fucking unconscious that they just pierce his fucking eyelids. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, that is, yeah, it's a bad fucking thing that those men did. But Jesus Christ, that's, like, list item number five of the things that are wrong here in this situation. Works out very well, very nicely for the WBE, though, because, like... Folk hero! Yeah, and also it really benefits them because, like, what motivation would Sean have now to tell the truth? He doesn't want that to come out no. because it's the legendary story he, of him versus know? nine marines. How would he know? Yeah, how would he, he know? Like, at least, I'll tell you, like, if it's between me and Shawn Michaels, I hedge a bet, I, even though I wasn't there, I was even fucking, like, like five years old at the time or whatever it is, I probably have a better recollection of it than he does. Yeah. Like, it's just really sad. And, like... I was really excited to show Joe the concussion angle that they did with um, with Owen Hart and Shawn Michaels, where it's like Shawn's come, you know, Shawn gets knocked out with this errant kick, and they treat it like a shoot, and all the EMTs come out. I didn't realize that was like the first thing they did with him when he comes back from the attack. Yeah. So and like they didn't tell anyone. They didn't tell the EMTs. We watched the fucking footage, and there's fans bawling their eyes mm-hmm. out. Oh, fucking hero Shawn Michaels got attacked by nine guys, and now he's passed out in the ring. That's fucking dark. This would need a new generation. Go dance on a house. I kind of loved it and hated this. Mm. Like, seeing someone collapse in the ring in the middle of a promo, I loved how effective that was. I've never seen that done before. The fact that it had to be around a concussion made it complicated yeah it always anything with the word concussion used yeah. in wrestling is always dodgy these days yeah because they treat it seriously but it's also like you're not because this isn't actually happening and you're using it for mm. a storyline or whatever exactly it all builds into the momentum for sean for him winning the royal rumble you know he's the first man in he's the last man standing it had never been done before and it only been done by chris benoit afterwards so never before and never since yeah <laughs> technically and, you know, this is leading to him and him and Brett. They're going to come face to face at WrestleMania. It's amazing that all through this documentary, there is no mention of Brett Hart. Oh, I know. They don't want to talk about Brett, like, at this time at, at all. all. They don't even interview him. Sean's greatest rival. He's yeah. nowhere to be seen. They talk about Diesel's title reign, like, as if, you like, Diesel's title <laughs> reign and Brett Hart, like... I know! Both him winning and losing the belt, like, that's so, you know, with Bob Bagnon, it's such a big part of it, that story. No, it was just Diesel. And there was just some other guy there. I guess but he's not important but this is back when Brad had made peace with WWE but not with Shawn Michaels right. so this is before that other documentary I showed you comes out now we we're talking about Brett and Shawn now and Shawn's momentum coming into this big Iron Man match at Wrestlemania it is built off of the boyhood dream the lifelong commitment you know this athletic superstar but a large part of it as well is this story off the back of you know the the attack and coming back from that that is what's gotten the fans rallying around sean as a main event player in vince's mind and i gotta think it's one of the most i don't know reckless things ever to put it on sean like that to kind of twist your personal trauma against you into this kind of exaggerated thing that you have to carry on completely overlooking all the other problems that he's having at the same time Uh as well because i can't imagine when he's come back from that that the pill use is gonna stop also just imagine you know this anxious sean michaels clearly paranoid like massive issues with paranoia and here he is now with this massive secret that can't get out because it will make him look really bad and also there's a big push on him to be champion now based off of this lie oh and also your main event wrestlemania with brad hart the guy you've looked up to 
to and the guy who you were like in, you know intimidated by yeah. you know and you think this is going to be your moment it's designed to crown you as the guy it's going to be a one hour match an Iron Man match never had a match that long ever been on WWF TV before yet alone an Iron Man match yet alone the main event for Wrestlemania you know this is huge that's mad to me that they made an Iron Man match the main event of Wrestlemania that's I know. Like inconceivable I know it's crazy and like at the start here, you know, we, we watched the statement where it's Roddy Piper just being like, you two are going to have an Iron Man match. And Brett's like, I'm so excited to wrestle you. And Sean's <laughs> like, the feeling's mutual, Hitman. It made me sad that they start off on this endeavor with an idea to do like a three-match series. Yeah. And Jesus, it doesn't go according to plan, let's just say, in terms of where they end up by the time we come around to 1997 and what comes afterwards, you know? Brett starts this in very good faith, as does Sean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're excited for this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Sean was scared, for sure. Like, very intimidated, because... I think Brett was as well, to be honest, you know? Oh, definitely. But I think Brett... Who wouldn't be? Yeah, but Brett, I think, knew what he was capable of, knew his body better. You know, he's he's got more of a... He's been doing this since he was, like, three years old. (laughs) Whereas for Sean, this is more like this is the biggest thing that he's ever done. Yeah. Like, Brett's probably done hour-long matches before. Sean, maybe not. Yeah. So. It's, and you know what? Both men are in the most insane shape. Well, and Sean got into even better shape yeah. for this match because he was so intimidated by Brett and he wanted to be able to keep up with him. So he took on this brand new training regimen where he's doing insane workouts where he's doing, like... Handstand push-ups. Handstand push-ups against a wall. And I think, you know, part of that, you know, is, is, as you're saying, it's the bread factor, but I think as well, it's like, you're going to become the guy now. Yes. You're you're being crowned. It's not just about tonight. It's about your title run that's going to come afterwards. So he has to be the best version of himself that he can possibly be. And you talk about those two guys being nervous about it. I was nervous about showing you the smash. Oh, I fucking bet you were. We did a uh, long matches special episode of How to Wrestling about this very fact that long matches, I think we can all agree when we're getting to the hour point particularly, you got to do something to keep the fans invested. And now more than ever, going back, maybe back in this day and age, even though it was new, fans might have had more patience for it. But it's a hard sell, I think, for any mm. wrestling fan. Yeah. Yes, alone you. I mean, what? tell me, were you dreading going into the yes. hour-long match? Yeah, I was. Not as much as I would be if it was anyone other than Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. Because I have a lot of faith in them. Because we had, I think you now we're talking about Bret and Shawn together, we should mention, we have watched the... Sean and Brett face-to-face, I think it was 2010 or 11, they did it after they had reconciled. Jim Ross sits them both down, talks them through everything. The way these men speak about this match, it brings them to tears Mm. because of like how well it went in their minds. Yeah, they're both so proud. They're so proud. And my main memory of this match is getting the WrestleMania anthology on DVD and taking it with me to boarding school. And my roommate, uh, Dammy from, from East London, who was also in a rap collective. Uh, so he was an intimidating, he was an intimidating man. And he used to always rag on me that I loved, you know, crappy wrestling because I liked WWF. And he was a big WCW fan because he loved Brett and he loved the classic kind of, you know, er, <laughs> the, you know, the wrestling before I started watching, basically. Oh, I ended up with the wrong guy. Clearly. I know, clearly. Where, where's this guy's number? <laughs> and he had beats like, boy, if I catch you messing with my bird, I scorch you like a Charizard. <laughs> 
get his own goddamn poker app. I don't even know the normal poker app. And he was like, one night I was like, I showed him TLC from WrestleMania 17. He's like, oh, that was really, really good. And he's like, look, can I pick a match from the, you know, I had them all in my, my little DVD binder and he had a portable DVD player. And he's like, oh, there's one I got to show you. You got to love this. And it was Brett and Sean from the WrestleMania Iron Man match. I'd never seen it before. And we sat down and I was like, literally after 20 minutes, looking at my watch oh, going. Oh, no. Like, I'm 17 years old watching a wrestling DVD with my friend in my pyjamas in boarding school and I want to go to bed instead. That couldn't have helped your love of WCW or Bret Hart. No, that, like, honestly, I think I said it in the Edgeshare podcast, like, that was, like, some of my earliest memories of Bret because Bret was never around when I became a fan. And, you know, Sean was around in a different capacity, but Jesus Christ, this was, like... Yeah. This was not for me. So I've I've watched this match a few times since, always wanting to love it. Mm. Fucking Bret Hart just being like, you know, and there was two minutes left. And I knew in my mind there had to be two minutes left. And I hadn't looked at the, at the watch for an entire hour. And I looked up and there was two minutes there exactly. Like that's a DDP wet dream right there. Yeah. You know, like the planning so perfectly. All, you know, all on display here. So then we've got some... Pretty. I mean, we've. I think we've talked about the hype up videos for this in the Brett episode. Yeah, because Brett hates this. Hates this, and you can <laughs> see why. Like, they're showing clips of Sean doing his ridiculous workouts, like just feats of strength that is almost impossible to even like watch without getting out of breath and he's doing like the most incredible stuff and then they show brett being stretched by his old man stew yeah, he's doing the little jog in calgary and it's like you know icy roads so he's like can't no, it go was too the, fast the stretching really yeah. it was like he's like his dad is grinding his face onto the mat like on the floor and you're like that is the most humiliating it's like it would be bad enough if it was a professional wrestler yeah. who wasn't your dad but the fact it's your dad and he's an old man and this is supposed to hype up how great you are and it's just you being bullied by yeah. your father it cuts to Shawn Michaels like glistening with sweat doing a backflip and doing switching music <laughs> yeah. to four different dummies that are set up and then it cuts to Brett like slowly swimming in his pool like doing water aerobics or something I love I love the way it's like you know they're talking about Shawn this was his dream from you know, when he was a boy yeah know? they literally said this is a quote Shawn Michaels has dreamed of becoming a WWF champion since he was 12 years old it didn't even exist then <laughs> the company literally wasn't invented as a boy it was always my dream to win this title and lose one of the w's <laughs> <laughs> and brett sums it up where he's like hey i just want to wake up with this in the morning you know <laughs> i love how calm and collected brett is and there's a cool thing about this where they tell the story that not that brett is overlooking sean it's just that brett is very confident in his own abilities yeah absolutely you know? and he's like you're great but like i am also very very great just yeah, so you know I'm brett hart and it's fitting that we're having an Iron Man match because that's the only way that we could possibly decide between the two of us mm. who is the best. The entrances I wanted to talk a little bit about right here. Obviously, you get the WrestleMania flair. Shawn Michaels has a particularly spectacular entrance. Yeah, his music plays and out comes a little old man. Mm. It's Jose Lothario, mm. who I didn't know who that was when I watched this match. Now I know it's supposed to be his mentor that he doesn't like very much. And Sean's up in the rafters, hooked up to his big, you know, his big skydive gimmick. Going, Stop cheering for him! <laughs> Don't look at him! <laughs> Shawn Michaels, who literally stomps ahead of Jose Lothario when they're coming to the ring like your dad in an airport. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> he really wants to get there quickly. Oh my God. But yeah, then Sean comes out um, oh! from the ceiling. <laughs> His music plays three times in a row. Yeah, they don't have the loop sorted out. They have no. the third stanza in Just there, yes. Just make it longer. 
it's a banger make it longer you don't need to play it three times do you like him coming out in the zipline how's that I for I love it I thought that happened all the time no that was a, I think even maybe another time he did a smaller zipline in your house but yeah that's, that's the, the memory that I have is, is him and his little jeweled chaps yeah my, my memory I have is Vince McMahon doing it in a flannel oh, shirt oh it's going, so See? good it's alright whoa <laughs> Vince keeps using the phrase appreciation for when Bret Hart comes out there is these kind of like moments here where I overthink it that it's like Vince is more eager than both of these men for the torch to be passed at this point I think yeah definitely I'm not sure if he'd send out Brett to the glue factory but it certainly it does kind of feel like that's his not like he's doing that but like you can tell that's his plan yeah I think Brett's entrance is so much more understated by the yeah. comparison, but I kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, I love that. It's, yeah. And that's that's so Brett Hart to me, is he is slightly understated. And that's partly why I think everyone was like, oh, he's an old man and stuff, is because he wasn't that flashy, showy-offy style that came after. Is he's, he's the basics and he does them really well. And I think what's really cool about this is that I think there are anxieties that Brett Hart has, and I think they do lead towards the dissolution of his relationship with Vince McMahon and the WWF. And I don't blame him because I think a lot of those anxieties were... were very, I don't know what the word is when it's like anxieties about something that is probably going to happen. Like, yeah, you know, very warranted. accurate, warranted anxieties. But compare and contrast Sean and Brett here when they're mm -hmm. reading out the rules. Brett is just calm, cool as a cucumber. He looks excited. He does. He's got a smile on his face. He's and really happy to get to wrestle an hour-long match with the Shawn Michaels. And this is the moment, this is one of your favourite moments, like, this is always is. used in the video packages about Brett. He winks to Blade. Oh, the little wink. So cute. I assume it's to Blade and not one of his many mistresses. <laughs> you cut over to Shawn, who is wet with sweat. He's like, not hyperventilating, but like, I know that, that's like the feeling right before you get out on stage. He's like... <sighs> He's he's trying to get himself you know, psyched up. Absolutely, yeah. Um, we have some very loud women screaming from the crowd, like. <coughs> pace yourself, girls! It's an hour-long match, and we got to pace ourselves here as well. This is an odd one to talk through. This one. They need to book this like ready, steady, cook. I think, and have like cards for Brett and Sean, so we know who they're screaming for. Brad is being cheered and Sean is being cheered. Vince McMahon is like, there are fans of both, and and Jerry's like, no. Half the fans hate Sean Mackles and half of them hate Bret Hart. <laughs> and it's like, it's funny because here it's like there's almost a respect between the fans mm. that would go out the window. Yeah, it's not, um, this is so pure. It's yeah. like the last remnants of that pure fan base. You know, you talked before about the audience turning heel. Yes. But I think this was the vehicle. This is how like, you know, as these men's relationships soured, the audience became this like kind of, mm -hmm. I hate Canada. I hate America. I hate you because your guy pulls his pants down. Well, your guy's too fucking canadian you know this yeah. absolute vitriol that they just poured over the audience mm -hmm. who on a given night were ready to do that anyway i feel yeah. like you know it was uh they're playing with fire here and they don't think they realize this vince furiously on commentary here we go 60 minutes long and i had to be convinced of this by pat patterson who i am told i need to respect <laughs> then he, he says, knows where all the bodies are buried he like immediately then says they should just do their finishers and this would all be over we, like, we're gonna have to be here for an hour i beat the traffic <laughs> yeah, he's literally me at the start yeah, of doing this podcast like why don't not, they just do their finishers and get this over with and also not here for the one hour match he's exposing it yeah. so bad don't like you shouldn't be saying that shit what I think is that because we were very, very careful when we watched this, we were about to sit down and watch this, and you were like, be honest, Kevin. 
do you really, 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 really want to watch this now? And I was like, no, probably not. <laughs> and we we went like went to a different day then when there was just there was this to focus on yeah. solely in the morning. You know, there was no distractions, and I was glad of it because I think one of the greatest strengths of this match for me this time, and what I liked most about it was that I didn't necessarily know or feel the length of time passing because mm. we were seven minutes in before Brett led up on that first kind of. The first sequence of the match is Brett just shutting down Sean. He's got a headlock on him. Yeah. Sean keeps trying to get out and Brett's like, uh-uh, no, no, no. Yeah. And that's like the length of a lot of modern matches yeah. in seven minutes. A- absolutely, you yeah. know. And I do think they do a very good job. I'm not sure if pacing is right, but at least spreading out the momentum of the match. Hmm. They don't spill their beans in the first half hour or anything no, like that. that's true. But, but did, did yeah. this cause any consternation for you? How was your experience with the kind of the first part of the match, I guess? I kind of zoned out for the headlocks, as I do. Yeah, I wrote down here, Vince kind of struggles to pay attention and explain the pace on commentary. Oh my god. The, my favourite bit of the first half of the match was they do this really cool technical wrestling at one point. It's, mm. it's only for like a minute or two. But they do this like map-based reversal heavy catching te- head in your legs yeah. pulling you up from the waist and all that yeah, yeah and like you know i'm used to that from brett because he's done he, he dips into that throughout his career but from sean i've never seen that from sean before yeah, and that's yeah. really cool to see that sean can you know he thrived he's so oh, yeah. good at it like it. and that's a tough style to do or as vincent man says look at the basics yeah <laughs> he literally goes this very basic match i'm bored oh. i don't understand wrestling like he's such an he's not even a fucking wrestling fan this weird Was he freak. desperately trying to heal with the kayfabe that he just owned the largest wrestling company in the world at this point? Oh. I'm just a commentator. I don't know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> uh, who booked this? <laughs> <laughs> and is, is Jerry Lawler on his phone or something? He has nothing to say. The commentary on this match is awful. I think it is indicative of the the fact that you weren't used to seeing this. Like, the company itself wasn't used to presenting this, so they don't really know how to sell you on it. They you literally, know? they're so quiet. Like, Vince has more to say than Jerry, which is weird because Jerry's the actual professional wrestler. You think he could talk here about, you know, maybe about the technical style there or about the fact that they're doing headlocks and they have to do, like, rest holds and they have to work into this. Or maybe it's the, funny the length know, and the stamina involved. In, in later matches in there's actually an iron man match in 2000 with uh triple h and the rock where jerry does exactly that and i think that's i think the next iron man match they do after this point in time and i think the idea at this is they think this will it like, brett and sean will be able to explain to the fans themselves what they're doing in the ring and later on they realize for the audience at home mm. you need to have someone explaining you just to keep the momentum going because you really like you have to fucking laser focus yeah. to get what they're giving you now Dave Meltzer's report of this at the time, he was in the building. Of course. And I don't have to mention this to talk about quality or this, that, or the other, because I think it's all subjective. But his report at the time was that the fans in the arena didn't get it. They didn't like it. And a lot of the fans, particularly the ones at the back, started leaving around the halfway mark. Right. Because they thought they weren't getting action come on do stuff yeah i mean i can kind of be- i don't know if i believe that the fans weren't into it yeah I think a lot of them were they were quite noisy at points. yeah i think so they do build up to a head i think but i think there is a certain you know this is a a match which requires you know i think it's it's a kind of a, a 
it's a wrestler's match, really. It's a it's a match for pro wrestlers. And there's yeah. a lot of moments where to enjoy it, you have to sit there very seriously, almost like you're a Japanese viewer and like respectfully yeah, and watch clap it. For the bits that you think yeah. are good. Like. You almost don't want to clap in case you miss something important or anything like that. But like, like when you've got Jerry Lawler going, this isn't a staring contest, what's going Like it, You're basically drawing attention to yeah. that fact. I but think, I, you know. I thought even more so was when they didn't have anything to say, which was often mm. like so many points where there were like a headlock and there was nothing on commentary. And so you just, that that is very boring. But like I was trying to, you know, this is like my third or fourth viewing of it. I was like, okay, the headlock, it's Brett, it's it's Brett kind of saying like, you're going to use up all your stamina, Sean, in yeah. the first half of the match. So later on down the stretch, I'm going to let go of this headlock and I'm going to start beating you up. Yeah. And you won't have anything left in the tank to do your, you know, flip doos because that'll all come at the start of the match, mm. which is a nice story, but Jesus, you need to tell it because yeah. otherwise you could write down, Brett does lots of headlocks and Sean doesn't do diddle all for the first 15 minutes and like, yeah kind of yeah but i like how they punctuate some big moments early on like when the timekeeper gets the sweet chin music my god he gets fucking whomped joe yeah <laughs> there are some moments where sean starts taking momentum and he starts targeting like brett's arms and shoulders the crowd boos him a little bit but then when brett starts getting in control after that sweet chin music spot the crowd start booing him and it's like mm. congratulations you're making all the fans hate both men yeah to an extent, which I think is the problem we came up with then in 1997. <laughs> At one point, Sean nearly tumbles to the outside and Vince literally says, Oh no. Oh no, not Sean <laughs> My Michaels. Boy. There's a great there's a point where Sean starts kind of rocking and rolling and he starts doing some of his you know more high-octane spots when he does the big dive to the outside right in front of Stu Hart. And he's like, oh, hey, Stu. Classy <laughs> Freddie Blassie. Helen, how you doing? You know, right in front of them. That was very cool. And Stu's got the biggest smile on his face in the fucking world. Yeah, he's world. loving this. He loves this. Old school. <laughs> the near falls are really good because... I think fans, even though this will become a trope later, fans are at least in this first one in the WWF are expecting there to be some falls. Yeah. Not, you know, obviously to spoil the end of the match, but we don't get any falls until the end of the match. Mm. Was that, how did that play out with you? Was that like a good thing, a bad thing? Like, you know, were you anticipating it? Did it shock you? How did that play out for you? So I have to reveal to you now. I actually knew the result of this match. Did you? Because mm-hmm. um, I fast forwarded bits and documentaries and shoots and all that. I happened to come across a graph <gasps> of the number of falls in uh, this Iron Man match. Damn Iron Man match and graphs. It was posted as like a meme because like obviously there's no falls. Yeah, so it's yeah. just like a flat line at the bottom. Um, so it kind of exposed the story of this match. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't say... I don't think that affected my viewing of it. I think if anything, it made me slightly more excited because it's, it's like, a cool story. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like okay, well, how are they going to make this a good match without that being a factor? You know, because obviously they're going to have to try harder if they haven't got. I feel yeah. that's like something you can rely on is is the falls in an Iron Man match. That is, I mean, that is the blueprint. It's so funny because it's the blueprint for the Iron Man match in WWE that would come after this yeah. Iron Man match here, and I think it's cool because. When you have one where there are no falls, it's like when a match ends in a commercial break, you have to do it once. Just do it once so people mm. can kind of go, how come this never happens? Well, it does. It does actually happen yeah, this one time. one time. That means you're kind of safe haven for all the other ones afterwards. Sean's back starts to get like, you know, worked over and bread is like, you know, he stops with the kind of rest tools. And he's now going for like the backbreakers. He's proper punishing Sean. And it's to the point now where you think that if the sharpshooter comes... It doesn't matter how many falls there will be afterwards because Sean won't be able to, to get back into it if he gets put into that submission move. There's a couple of moments where Sean just goes into the corner or into the side and he just goes... Yeah. Like he, 
I don't know how he does it. He manages to make kind of like his like ragdoll physics emulator. You press <laughs> a button, he goes up higher and higher and higher. God, there was this game that oh fuck, I should remember the name of it. There was a weird game that Adam and Billy were obsessed with, where you could crash your car and then your guy came flying out of it, and you pressed a button, you could make him go and go higher in the air and higher and higher. <laughs> Sean feels like this here. He knocks out a cameraman at one point. I love that. That was my favorite moment of this of this match. Then when he hits Jose Lefario as well. That was good, but the cameraman <laughs> spot was better because that cameraman is actually the active cameraman, so that's yeah. the view that you can see when it happens. So you see, you basically don't see sean you just see the cameraman suddenly going looking over there and it's like why what happened something happened and then you get to see it from all these different angles that was very fun i feel there's a lot of like potential drama that's left on the table as well because because there are no falls it's stuff like sean would do that big spill to the outside and i'm thinking right we're gonna get like a nine count here and sean no brett just kind of walks out after two and then walks back in like that happens like two or three times in the match where there's a spot on the outside you think that's it they're done count out and it's not like no Bret Hart doesn't or Shawn Michaels wouldn't accept a count out victory that's not the story at all it's just they kind of waddle around and you know meander about and kind of go in and out of the ring and that's that like I took from that that Bret was kind of in control of the situation and right. that he figures he's got more stamina than Shawn and that he didn't by... want to give him the recovery time either. yeah okay. exactly so that he he basically wants to draw this out as long as possible and that Brett's goal here isn't to get loads of falls, it's to get the only fall. Yeah, it is, um, it's an interesting story to tell. It is yeah. kind of a little bit more uh, subtle than I think you would assume from a main event of WrestleMania mm. between two of the greatest rivals of all time. We have 10 minutes left now and both men are starting to show signs of exhaustion. We need the thing from MasterChef where wrestlers can ask how much time is left and then the ref can be like, in like Greg Wallace's voice, like, you've got 10 minutes. <laughs> and the match is over. Stop pinning them. I said stop pinning them. <laughs> You'd be disqualified otherwise. Let me tell you, nothing quite gets me on edge like a superplex into that old fucking WWF ring mm. when they go off that top rope and go doom and two heavy looking dudes you know they're both are muscular men yeah they don't even make the thing flinch it's like Lalo Salamanca jumping off a fucking cliff <laughs> and landing on his feet it's just worrying like yeah. that, that happens and I say they're both looking exhausted mm. but they don't perform exhausted they're no. sweaty they've got the kind of eyes in the back of their heads but my god these guys are picking up the tempo now this is when they really start going yeah absolutely we've got a really cool double clothesline oh yeah I, I love liked. that that was very nice the idea that they would somehow like kind of knock themselves out and no one would be able to finish this is the point now where people are like oh no like is anyone going to be able to win this what what will happen if yeah. they don't manage to do it there's some production things that happen around this time that are so shit and yeah. I feel like you're the network you go in and out all the time editing out stuff that oh, doesn't yeah. fit and like it's Wrestlemania I'm trying to show my fucking partner and someone who wants to understand how great Shawn Michaels is a really cool match there is one kip up in this match and the camera fucking misses it I know like Shawn flipping up onto his feet from the back he does it better than anyone ever has or, yeah. or will since it's incredible yeah and they missed it they missed it yeah. and he does it when he's been wrestling for 55 minutes I know it's so oh frustrating imagine how he feels I know because you know he's the type to like watch back this match and like criticise everything that's happened and what he's done and stuff and I bet he I bet he kicks a hole in the wall when he sees this <laughs> moment so we have 40 seconds left and I'm just kind of going I'm not sure if I'm here or not with the flow of this match. Then we get the sharpshooter and I got the rare all over the body goosebumps. Ooh. It just, for whatever reason, it just made me go bleh. Yeah. 
that moment in the match where the countdown is the clock is counting down, mm. Sean's flailing around in the sharpshooter, Brett is like Bleh! like just really twisted it in tight. Mm. Did it did it get dramatic for you at this point? I don't know, or, or did the spoiler of it kind of take it away for you? Well, I didn't know that they would restart the match or whatever ah. it is that they do after this. That wasn't spoiled for me. Okay, okay. So I didn't know how this would finish because I as far as I knew, there were no falls. Right, right, I see. So I didn't know. I assumed this would have a swervy end and it would end kind of disappointingly and no one would be happy with the Well, finish. that's WrestleMania, folks. I'm really yeah. sorry. Go home. Make sure to tune into Monday Night Raw where we will promise to do better. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we have Sean surviving in the sharpshooter right until the end. It's a draw, so Brett technically keeps the title and he's walking away with his belt and you don't kind of begrudge him and think, oh, look at this coward walking away. It's like, fuck it, he's wrestled for an hour. Yeah. Sean couldn't beat him. I don't, I don't begrudge him at all. How does this play? Like, does this feel... Because there's people who are like, this is the moment Brett turns heel or this is the moment where, like, they hate each other afterwards. Them call on the sudden death overtime. Yeah. How did that come across? I was surprised that they were going to go to sudden death. Because it's like, well, you've just wrestled for an hour. <laughs> so, and the point of sudden death is they keep going until there's a fall. They've just gone an hour without any falls. Yeah. What's to say they're not going to go for another hour? Like, if I was... <laughs> If I was here, like, live, watching this, I would go home. Yeah. I would be like, you know what? This is the ending as far as I'm concerned. My arse is sore at this point. Yeah, like, I'm I just want to fucking go. And my memory of this was that it was like, Brett comes in, Sean gives him the super kick, that's it. But it's like, no, Brett comes in, we get a super kick, and then another super kick. Like, yeah. this is like, this is another three or four minutes here. Yeah. And I think it is, it's high octane, but I'm not sure if it is quite as seamless as, like, I think there was a reason why my memory had retconned it, I think, a little bit. Mm. I like the idea of it being the overtime, but I do feel like it doesn't come across as perfectly as like, oh, Brett could have got him. It feels like Sean was definitely the better man here at the end. It, it feels... And it's a story to tell Bret Hart. Like, <laughs> Honestly, the, the sudden death feels like a retcon for me. Yeah. Like it just, it is so different from the other full match. And it's just so, it feels like stuck on from a different time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't like it, really. Really? Yeah. I mean, there were bad vibes all around, like, because, you mean, when I think of this match, the finish, I think of watching, and you know, sitting down to watch WrestleMania from any time when I was a wrestling fan, and they'd be like, WrestleMania is when heroes become legends, and they'd be like, the boyhood dream has come true, and you see Shawn Michaels going, yes, because he's won the belt, and you pointed out to me the fucking toxic bad vibes mm. when this match ends and Sean wins and I'm not just talking about the alleged game tell him to get the fuck out of the ring moment everything about this seems like a dark cloud is hung over mm. this match at the end Sean seems really angry about something what happened here I don't know he seems really upset like all I could guess is that maybe he wasn't happy with the performance he put on but then in hindsight I know he definitely was like yeah. he considers this one of his best matches he does yeah so I don't know what his issue is here. I, I genuinely have no idea. And it's not even like I would have assumed, oh, maybe he stepped out of the ring and Vince whispered something in his ear. It's like a magic spell or a sleeper agent I know, right? phrase or whatever. But like he didn't speak to anyone. There's so many different versions of this, all of which come from Shawn Michaels. Mm. There is the version that I'd always heard, which uh, other people have told, which is Shawn told Earl to tell Brett to get the fuck out of the ring. Yeah. Because they weren't going to do like kind of the stare off or whatever to set up the other matches. You know, make the money for down the line, maybe do a handshake, whatever it is. Some, something to tell the fans, this isn't over. 
And literally, as soon as the match is over, you know, Brett's lying there, even just trying to sell the, the, yeah. the kick. He's like, get him out, get him out, get him out. Now, Sean has told a story where he's like, and then I came up and I'm like, where's Brett? Where did he go? I don't know what happened, man. I don't know. And the other time he was like, well, maybe I told him maybe to kind of get out of the ring. And he so it's like, he doesn't seem to kind of want to say it, but it's mm. like, I don't think he wanted to share the moment, which is all right, I guess. Yeah. But the bit that gets me, it's when Earl's putting the belt on him and he's meant to be the fucking top baby face, Sean, now. And he turns to Earl and he just fucking shoves him. Yeah. Like he would like, you know, like uh, the worst bully would to the most, like not even someone they're bullying, someone who's so even not even worth their time to someone yeah. who fucking shove in a hallway. Like mm-hmm. treat him just so less. And you wouldn't mind as well. I know he's a shady fucker, but you know, shout out to the referees episode. Earl Hebner was in there for an hour as well, folks. Yeah, that's a hard, hard, hard go. Especially, that dude was sweating as yeah. well, like, right? An Iron Man match too, where the whole thing rolls around falls. And yeah, falls was Earl and doing the, the, the deep hip Hindu squats with Jose Lothario as well, wasn't yeah. he? Like, I just, it showed a lack of respect to the kind of the people who helped make you yeah. get to the dance. And also, it undercuts his own performance. If you've just done Sweet Chin Music to Bret Hart two times... Why would you want to suddenly stand up and walk out of the ring? That yeah. makes you look bad. Seriously, yeah. So I think like WrestleMania ending with Sean being like, hmm, yeah, whatever. And the fans being like, yeah. Like you could just like, you know, the few, the diehard Sean fans who are like, yes. And there's, you know, some people who are kind of like, you know, not even stood up. Yeah. And Vince McMahon is putting it over, but it's, it's dark-sided. It really is. I wonder if, if it's like a serotonin thing or something like, you know, Sean, at this point, he's on a lot of drugs. I'm not saying he's high during this match. I don't know no, about but he, that. As he said at the time, painkillers in wrestling, that was that was part of the job. And he said, yeah. you will never get rid of it. You will only contain it. And, you know, he's not just doing pain pills. He's doing other things as well, which like, you know, uppers, downers, things like that. And they, they wreck your dopamine like, yeah, that's true. inhibitors. And Even stuff. if he's not doing it at that exact point, his history of having done that yeah. would have played havoc on that. Yeah. And he's just done an hour long match. It's really physical. He's got adrenaline pumping through his whole body. <sighs> that's a hard come down. And yeah. all it takes is for one little niggling thought in the back of your head to go, oh, you, you, you're terrible. Or that guy looked at you funny or anything like that. And all of a sudden that big high of a, oh, I've won the match and I'm going to be fucking champion changes to fuck these guys. They're fucking out to get me and fuck them and fuck everyone. And I'm uh, the only one I can trust. Yeah, it's just, it, it's it's almost like, here's the moment where you know, oh geez, what's happening next? Like you can see it coming from a mile away. Yeah. I don't think I'd ever watched this match before and enjoyed it as much as I did. But also I don't think I'd seen that post-match before and understood it as much as I did. Yeah. And that kind of, I felt the storm clouds there. It's literally getting cloudy as we're talking about this here at the moment. <laughs> I'm dying to know your rating for the match. How you got on with it. I mean, were you bored? Were you entertained? Could you understand why they liked it? If if not. Well, in the words of Richard E. Grant, I was bored. <laughs> I was entertained. I clapped. I yawned. <laughs> <laughs> I sat down in my chair. <laughs> I felt it all, basically. I, yeah. I really liked this match and I really disliked this match. I don't know <laughs> how to feel. There were really boring bits. I didn't like that Sean spent the first half an hour not really doing anything mm. and it wasn't explained to me. The commentary was so bad. It, there were so many bits of this that let it down, but also it had such potential mm. and I can't really criticise the wrestling because the wrestling was really good. But then there were so many problems and then yeah. there's the fucking ending of the match, which, you know, I feel it undoes so much of oh, the yeah. good. 
It undone the gossamer thin shred of goodwill I had for yeah. 1956, Sean, when, when he just shoved Earl and looked, just like fucking looking down at his shoes, big fucking frown on his face. Like, I just feel like I've walked through a corridor surrounded by teenage boys playing pinball. You know what? That game when they like, you yeah. walk through a corridor and they push you around, you're like, boo, 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 boo. Oh, not when I was prefect. <laughs> yeah, not when I was prefect either, sweetie. Hey. And that's why we do a podcast together. Exactly. Um, but that's how I feel. It's like I feel pushed around. Right? Mm. I feel kind of um, bamboozled. Right. I- You've got sports entertainment whiplash. Yeah. Is what you're telling me. What did you give this as a star rating then, Joe? I need to know. I gave it two and a half. Two and a half. Yeah. Interesting. My, my summation of the match in my mind is it's two five-star performances yes. producing a three-star match. Yeah. That's, I don't know, maybe I'd be more generous there than you, but <laughs> it is amazing. This is kind of like it's Schrodinger's wrestling match. It's like, mm. it's both amazing, but also really lacking. I think I could sit down with someone who's passionate about this match and be yeah. like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And someone who fucking hates this and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, seriously, I get you, I get you. And one thing as well, I just have to say, the production, so bad. They played Shawn Michaels' music a total of six times Yee! in this match. Get a fucking third verse. What the fuck? Awful, awful stuff. Here we have now Brett going, right? I'm going off to do Lonesome Dove for nine months. Oh, it always makes me feel sad when he talks about that. When I come back as a big Hollywood megastar, no. make sure the feud is still good to go and everyone is doing okay. Now, what's happening when Brett is going away? All right, you've got WCW debuting the NWO and a lot of other things besides that. WCW is getting hot. Yeah. Really hot. you just given the belt to Shawn Michaels. Whose main idea for going forward is, and this is what he's told Brad, is that, you know, I'll work with with Nash again. I'll work with Razor. I may work with Triple H. I think I can get a few bits with Hunter. And maybe All my I friends. Can, yeah, and then I can turn heel and I can work with, you know, some of them as faces. And we kind of, you know, he's, he's got all mapped out. And Yeah, I'm going to work with my friends. And then I'll work with yeah. my friends some more. And then we'll change some things so that I'm still working with my friends. And Brad is kind of... You got that, and Brett doesn't like that. But I don't think that's maybe even clearly expressed to Sean why Brett doesn't like that, beyond Sean hearing Brett doesn't want to work with you. Yeah, I think I think the way Vince probably, or not just Vince, but like the people who surrounded Sean made it out as though Brett doesn't want to do that because Brett's Brett Hart. And he's yeah. the star. Like, he wants to be in that top position. And that is not the case. He's saying... The when truth you're... is never good yeah. enough, you know? It's never. He's, all he's saying is when you're in that top position, you have a duty to the boys. And I think, like, for me... My understanding of it now seems to be as bad as Sean and Brett were together when they came back and tried to get into the next match and all that. I think it's the fact that it's like, right, Sean, here's the weight of the world on your shoulders. Off yeah. you go. Time to be the top guy you've always wanted to be mm-hmm. up against the hardest competition we have literally ever faced. Yeah. And Brett is gone. And I think mm-hmm. it's the absence of Brett is actually making things a lot, lot worse. Yeah. Obviously him being there looking over his shoulder, it's going to be tough. But the fact that he's not there, it's like no excuses. I do feel maybe on some level, Sean felt a little bit abandoned yeah. by Brett leaving because he's not got that person to look up to anymore within the company. Someone he can, you know, Brett and Sean both admit that throughout Sean's early career, he was coming to Brett for advice yeah. and stuff about matches and they stuff. They help each other out in that way. They work you know? really closely on things and Brett's not there anymore. He's not, not only is he not there, he's not even a wrestler right now. Yeah, He's he's the sheriff in Lonesome Dove. Yeah. And also the agreement that they've had. And I nearly, I could nearly have cried when they talked about this on the Jim Ross sit down interview when they were like, well, you know, we sat down to each other and the plan was we agreed 
that, you know, I'd say some stuff about Sean, you know, about, you know, him not really beating me. And he'd say some stuff about me. And, you know, we come back and we have a nice hot feud. And they just say stuff. And then all of a sudden it gets through the grapevine as reported from someone who then said something to the observer who then reports it back to the boys in the locker room. And, you know, I don't think the clicker sitting down reading page to page the entire fucking observer. No. He said, he said, he said, he said, he said. And all of a sudden they've worked. And they literally, they're literally looking at their shoes two lads in their fucking late 50s going yeah Jim we worked ourselves into a shoot actually is what yeah. happened and they're so fucking embarrassed and they should be but you know what as well it's not all on them because no. I think Vince McMahon knew exactly what was going on oh, at this point my conspiracy theory is Vince McMahon made those calls to the observer oh just an insider source says uh, this about Shawn Michaels and oh, Bret Hart yeah. and you know what like we were we were watching some stuff earlier today and we were talking about, you know, that personal demon's excuse is. And mm. you know what it is? It's like, you know, you, you were saying to me, look, they're, they're exactly what they're doing. They're pegging them against each other. They're riling them up. They're keeping them separate. Then they're mm-hmm. going to bring them back together. And if Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart come back together for WrestleMania 13, they have a fucking hellacious knockdown drag out brawl that's kick ass. And oh my God, new ratings goals met. Then Vince McMahon is a genius. Yeah. And if they don't and they fuck it up and Shawn has to go do some other stuff and Bret doesn't want to work with this guy anymore... Well, Brett's not very professional, and well, Sean's kind of hard to work with right now. Personal demons. It's never the promoter didn't manipulate his talent well enough. Yeah. Because that's literally what it is. It is, yeah. And I genuinely think that, you know, there's a lot of talk at the moment now that Vince is retired of what did he actually give the industry? Because, you know, the WB side of things is, oh, he took the territories and wrestling from this, like, seedy backstage room and made it into this glamorous thing we see today and i i don't think he deserves any credit for that but i think he does deserve credit for being the most manipulative person in wrestling yeah. which is saying something it's one of it's very it is, manipulative it is, a, it is an industry that is very nature the essence of it yeah. is manipulation of the emotion but and I, of the person i yeah. feel that's what he deserves the most credit for is manipulating not only his talent but also the audience the way yeah. he managed to turn his own audience into heels basically yeah. and then the whole country of america it is it's very very difficult for sean at this point in time because he is you know he's on top of the world but he's feeling the pressure of it the stories at the time, you know, how could it get worse for Sean? You know, Triple H just said recently, like, well, you know what I, you know, what, what was it like being the designated driver for the click? Well, you know what I do? I, you know, I'd go into Sean's room at night. I'd put him on his side, put a pillow up so he wouldn't roll over onto his back. Cause, and die. Because yeah, he, he, it wasn't a question of if, it would be when he would get sick. Mm-hmm. And then it was time to leave in the morning. He would literally load Sean Michaels, the world heavyweight champion, onto a luggage trolley mm. and cart him out. You ever wonder why the click always got a big van? Mm. That's why. Because they literally had to load the fucking lad into the back of the van yeah. and lie him down. Is- this is the company as well, which is like, look at our new... Look, we've got Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. Look, these guys. Drug-free, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Gary Strider was more drug-free than mm. Shawn is at the moment. That Come on, like... It's just disgusting to me that the WF at this time could just know exactly what was going on. Just enough to manipulate everyone. Like, Vince has obviously used the fact that John Michaels was a massive addict. He used it to his advantage. Yeah. He used it to control him. I and think I think Vince as well, I think he was a master of, you know, convincing himself that Sean's problems weren't as bad as they were. Yeah, of course. You he know? would have a little blind eye here yeah. and there, but also know just enough what's going on to, like, whisper the right thing well, in his ear at the right time. S- he's not taking steroids, Joe, so yeah, he must be fine. fine. He's, yeah, not yeah. Smoke- he's not smoking pot. Yeah, oh, Jesus good, Christ. Good well, how bad could he be then? Yeah. He's, he's pot free. He's steroid free. What literally else is there that could be wrong? Don't with worry. Him? He's only doing incredible amounts of benzos to the point where he literally can't speak. I mean, look, I don't. We need to repeat ourselves, but like you know, Ray 
Razor episode, Diesel episode. You know, we went in depth on the click and the party and the yeah. games that were going on. That's what it was. I think the difference here is you got two guys with Sean who are negotiating their exit from the company and have you know have done so. They're off their, they're off to WCW to be in the NWO, uh, Diesel and Razor. So Sean's immediate plans of like I'm going to work with you know all my friends. All of a sudden, his friends are reduced down to yeah, they're joining the rival company. Yeah. So he's gone from. He has to keep the WWF basically successful and all kid, by himself. And the kid is gone as well, I should point out. And then out. his closest friends have not only left him, but they've actually, they are working against him. And when they left, they did the curtain call, which yeah. means that someone has to be punished. So Triple H, your other friend, there could be no main events now. He's going to be wrestling in pig pens because yeah. he has to be seen to be punished. Mm-hmm. So Sean suddenly becomes, from the master of the clique to being like literally the loneliest world champion in the world. And here's a guy who... He has always worked best when he's surrounded by others. When he has some people to talk to, to rely on, he needs a security net with him or else he struggles. But like the click as well, like I think, you know, there was good things they did and there were bad things that they did. Sean, in interviews, I heard him say that all the bad stuff the click was alleged to have done was like just blown up by wrestlers who were paranoid and wanted to blame their insecurities on them. And also wrestlers like Shane Douglas, whoever, who wanted to get over in places like ECW by saying edgy stuff. And that's an easy an easy get for them to do that. But like I was looking up about Sonny and Shawn Michaels, who were in a relationship at the time. You know, Shawn was, was, was married, mm-hmm. you know. And like Sonny, Sonny talked about this so flippantly, it like made my fucking skin crawl. But like Candido, literally, she found a suicide note in his gym bag. Who's Candido, sorry? Her Chris Candido would have been her boyfriend. It would have been a wrestler on the roster at the time. Oh, Remember we saw right. the Body Donnas in Pay-Per-View Classic? Oh, yeah, yeah. He would have been one of those guys. Mm. And, like, he thought, oh, my God, like, I'm losing my fucking, my fiancé to, yeah. to the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. And it's like, you know, as sympathetic as Shawn is and unaccountable for his own actions as he would have liked to believe he was at the time because he was messed up. Like, the, that, like, we know the damage to Brett. We know the damage to these other people. There's, like, even people you haven't even heard of, yeah. you know. you know, you, I'm telling you now for the first time, and there's just damn Like, it, it trickles downhill. Yeah. And the, the further up the card you are when you're someone who's got a toxic relationship with your peers, the more people whose, like, careers randomly get fucking ruined. Yeah. From shit he's not even aware of, because shit rolls downhill. Yeah. Particularly in the WWF at the time. So, like, when it comes to it, he has one of the least successful title reigns of all time. Uh, Ratings-wise, they're being pounded, losing money, and the pressure was too much for him. Vince says in the documentary, Sean was horrible to work with. And then they show a clip of him kissing Sean on the lips. Yeah. What the fuck is going on, lads? Yeah, I don't know. Feels very weird. They talk a lot about Sean and Vince arguing over the direction of Sean's character. Yeah, or Sean would be like, I'm not going to do something, I won't do it. And Vince would be like, please do it, please. And then Sean would be like, come out and be like, wink, I'm doing the thing you want me to do. And Vince like, thank God. It's like, I don't I don't buy for a second that Vince McMahon was on such tender hooks with Sean. No. But I do believe that Sean you know, thought he had a lot more power than he probably actually yeah, did. Yeah, definitely. But I think Vince was very careful to make him feel like that. Yeah. Because Sean needs to feel like he's in control. And when Sean doesn't feel in control, which is a lot of the time, that's when he's like, he says, I was taking stuff because I hated who I was. Mm. I didn't want to live with the reality of being who I was. I hated myself. Yeah. And when I wasn't wrestling, that's why I wanted to be on, un- like, he wanted to be unconscious. It's like a catch 22 as well, isn't it? Because, like, if you're on hard drugs, you're going to act like a fucking prick. You're going to say shit you don't mean. You're going to do stuff you shouldn't. Yeah. You, you know, you're, you haven't got the right 
inhibitions anymore and then when you're sober you're like oh shit i did this i did that oh my god i'm a fucking moron i better take more drugs to numb the pain but again it shows the artifice of like his story in wwf because they want you to feel what he's feeling because he's obviously feeling something but they don't want to tell you the truth because honestly the truth is is pretty fucking monstrous they want to be like yeah. hey well they'd have to take responsibility then yeah. as well and be seen to take action hey the world champion keeps falling asleep at dinner like mm. you know no one wants to fucking say that and jesus christ four years out from a steroid trial like they were on thin ice having him as their champion for as long as it was yeah so instead it's uh oh he's falling asleep at dinner because he was stay out really late last night wearing lampshades <laughs> on his head the losing his smile and having to forfeit the championship is something that has become like, you know, it's a meme in wrestling before memes was even a word. Yeah. It is something that frustrated and infuriated wrestlers at the time and still does, I think. And it's something that fans have tried to decipher and understand. We've watched the segment. It is like, it's heartbreaking to the extent that you are seeing a guy who is at the end of his rope. Yeah. Saying that it's his knee. And I don't know if he's had a hypnotist go in and be like, let's just swap the word problems for knee. Yeah. And he's just there talking about his knee and like how his knee is so bad that he has no joy in his life anymore and he yeah. has to retire. Yeah, sure, your knee. Because mm-hmm. of my knee. And my girlfriend. Got big knee problems. And, and my girlfriend who I met at summer camp is the reason why I can't come this weekend, guys. And I just can't because, yeah. you know, of all the problems I'm having with my girlfriend who you've not met, who I met at summer camp. She it's goes like- to a different school. <laughs> I like when they have Brett and Sean talking the face to face. It's like you know, Sean. Two weeks later, you were doing backflips on your bad knee. Like yeah, and you... then Sean is like, yeah. The reason I did that though is because I knew you guys didn't believe that I had knee problems. So that was kind of me saying, "Fuck you." Listen to yourself, man. We will talk about modern Sean in the modern episode. The idea that his struggles with the realities of what happened all went away mm. when he got clean and he got healthy and he got you know more calm and settled and happy in his life that that went away it doesn't because when he's asked about this you know losing your smile thing the knee thing it's like 20 different stories like oh well i met a knee guy and he said i could never wrestle again but then i met another knee guy and he said i could yeah so i came back but after that i decided i would still sit like he's sitting out wrestlemania with brett brett's meant to be coming back for the rematch at wrestlemania 13 and sean has lost his smile Mm. like you can see why Brad Hart is immediately like well this fucker doesn't want to work with me yeah you know? absolutely yeah you somehow found a way to make a bad situation worse for all individual parties like did you feel sympathy for him with the losing the smile because Vince looks fucking devastated during that segment I mean a little bit but it's more in a different way to be honest I'm sorry for him that he can't like say what's actually wrong yeah that that's kind of why I feel sorry for him is that he doesn't even realise I, I genuinely believe that he believes that he thinks the problem is his knee. Yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. He, I don't think he thinks he's got a drug addiction. He's not like, haha, I'm going to defend this title against Brett. Like. Yeah, he's not like, oh, I'm speaking in metaphor. Like, no, he's not. He's He thinks he's talking about his knee because as far as he's concerned, he is talking about his knee. But it just happens to be that it is the perfect analogy for his real drug addictions, which are genuinely the cause of his problems. Yeah, it's it's a difficult time for Sean, like, you but know. I feel sorry for him more in the response to him losing his smile, because, like, it's, as you say, it's a meme, right? It's, yeah. it's something that people will still make fun of him to this day, probably that more than anything else. And it's the fact that he was inspired to say this because of a conversation he had with his mum. And this conversation, when he talks about it, I can't remember if it was in the documentary or in the interview yeah, yeah. he did with JR, but 
it it brings him to tears to talk about seeing his mum feel that way. Like, and he, this is again, remember, this is the golden child of his family. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's the favorite son. I mean, it's pretty fucking dark if you 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 think your kid doesn't feel happiness anymore. Yeah, and then you, know? you see she sees that you've lost your smile, and you're known for being someone who is, you know, all through his life he's seen as being like energetic and happy and enthusiastic and mm. stuff, and you know, finding happiness certainly isn't an issue for Shawn Michaels, and here he is like obviously depressed. Yeah, and here's then his parent looking at him objectively and going, "You're a shadow of what you once were." Mm. That must be hard. But then it must be even harder to admit that to your fans and then it be thrown back in your face. It's crazy, isn't it? Like, And, you know, we're talking about him. And this is the problem with Sean is I'm, we're talking about him here like he's a fucking, you know, like he's dead or something like that. Like, you know, he's at this point in time, he's so far gone or anything like that. Yeah. Let, let me just list some of the matches that you and I have covered for either pay-per-view classic or other episodes of this podcast that he did during this period. Because I don't want anyone to misconstrue my words that his title reign was unsuccessful in that there wasn't amazing wrestling and some of the best wrestling ever. But that's the thing though, isn't it? I feel it's important to note that whenever people say things like that, what they mean is it's in relation to another company. It's in relation to WCW at a time when Vince was taking things like ratings very seriously. He made it a competition. He didn't need to. And it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, the best wrestling is the wrestling that makes the most money because this is a company that was apparently floundering in the Monday Night Wars and we had... Shawn Michaels versus Mankind at Mind Games. We did it for the Mick Foley episode. Mm. The one where Mick goes head first through the table. Yeah. It's fucking one of the most incredible matches. I think it's one of the best matches of all time. Him and Diesel from Good Friends, Better Enemies. We covered that for Pay-Per-View Classic. It's like the only good Diesel match. It's, it's Diesel's best match ever. Yeah. <laughs> and get this, it's Diesel's last match he ever had before he left the company. Wow. With the most unmotivated man in the world. He had yeah. the fucking best match of the man's career. Him and Owen Hart from In Your House as well. Another absolutely amazing matchup. Like, mm. he had the big moment, the return in San Antonio and the Royal Rumble, the big stadium, you know, to be crown champion again. Like, he had all these big moments. But I think you take those big moments in the backdrop that he wasn't happy. Mm. And I think, if And anything, also being told, well, we're losing. Imagine that. Maybe because of you, I mean. Imagine having those matches, those matches where everyone's like, well, those are the, like, you can't have a better match, Sean. And mm. it's like, fuck it. Like, why is, why are the ratings down? Yeah. Like, why, why can't I, I make them work? I can't see Vince McMahon taking responsibility for like, maybe it's how you book your fucking product, huh? Maybe you should take some ownership of that. No, no, no. He's whispering in Sean's ear. It's like, great match, Joe. Shame about the ratings. Shame about the... uh, Yeah, and I think it's unfair because, you know, you look at this Champions of the New Generation, people are always like, well, Brett, he was the guy when ratings were down and, you know, the the FBI were coming after Vince. He, you know, he steadied the ship through stormy waters. And Diesel, he fucked it up and Sean fucked it up. And it's like, don't compare and contrast Diesel's title reign with Sean's. Yeah. Because, like, one gave you a lot, lot better matches. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know? That's your job. <laughs> if, if anything literally says, it doesn't really matter that much who the champion is sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's comparing and contrast Shawn Michaels and Diesel's title reigns. Yeah. Because they came initially one after another, and it didn't really do much for business either either way. And one was some of the best wrestling of all time. Yeah. You know? And, you know, the story they tell in the documentary is obviously very different, different because they don't mention Bret Hart once during all of this. No, he doesn't exist. So him and Brett, their date has been postponed for another time. It's three months after Sean lost his smile that he's back wrestling again. The character has got a bit more edge to him. We're now in a company that has Stone Cold Steve Austin in it. Sean is trying to find his place in the new landscape. Brett is more of the wily veteran. 
you're having him as a heel leading the Hart Foundation with the anti-American Canadian faction gaining steam. Shawn Michaels finds himself now also turning heel mm. with Degeneration X, and you're know, kind of building off of the click and the idea that Shawn is the kind of you know the the, the self-important, aggrandizing guy who gets what he wants. And this is hot Sean, if we're to be believed, Joe, right? Yeah. <laughs> now, you said that, like, Sean is, like, a heel pretty much every time you see him. Yeah. We've watched a lot of DX segments recently. Yes, unfortunately. Any highlights for you? Did he feel extra heelish in those moments? Because mm. I find it mostly boring, if I'm very honest. Yeah, no, I found it mostly boring. I mean, the best bit I think of is... is I can't remember... What, I don't remember anything else other than Sean... Wearing these tiny little pants. This is Jim Ross. Was it Jim Ross? And he's jumping up like six foot in the air while doing a crotch chop and pointing at his penis. Yeah. And it's so funny. I find you laughing a lot of times with this juvenile stuff. Like, yeah. Because it's so silly. And it's coming at a time where it's not like, welcome to the edgy show where dirty things happen. It's Vince McMahon being like, oh no, he's pointing at his penis, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. And I consider that edgy Sean rather than DX, really. Right, it's not, yeah. It's the, the rest of them don't do anything. Right. I just remember as a kid, like anytime they talk about DX in the history, they'd show video packages of like, oh, there's the time they had a barbecue and they had big willies, and there was the time they did strip poker. It's or, very, you know, um, it's amusing when you cut it all up and show it in like twenty second for segments, yeah, seventeen minutes worth. Yeah, usually a little bit so. more. I feel for the people who paid money to sit down in an arena and watch them sit and play cards and smoke cigars for twenty minutes. Jesus, oh Christ. my god, like that's perfect for like a backstage segment don't do it in the ring well the idea with sean still now is that we're going to build towards an inevitable rematch with brett but it's going to happen now at survivor series instead and the build-up to that we're having the tension between again two heels i should point out is that sean costs the undertaker the championship in a match where he's refereeing with bret hart as the opponent so sean causes his arch enemy to win the championship and it's setting up this title match down the road but before sean can get there we have a rat in a trap as the most hated man in the World Wrestling Federation, the little twerp that he is, Shawn Michaels, finally has to pay for all the horrible things that he's done. This is how I explained the match to Joe to get her excited. You're like, what's the story? I'm like, the story is everyone's sick of Shawn's shit. So he's being put in a big old cage with The Undertaker. Joe's favourite wrestler. <laughs> this is from In Your House, Bad Blood, 1997. Hell in the Cell, the first one ever Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker. So Shawn and Undertaker in a cell, did the prospect of this make you excited? Did it make you go, oh no, not The Undertaker? How did yeah. you get on? I mean, I'll, I didn't really have any preconceptions for this match, except for the fact that it was, oh no, The Undertaker. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't even know where I got that from. I think it must be secondhand from me doing Last Ride stuff and you hearing all shitty opinions that he has or something like that. I don't no, know. No, I think what it is is... I mean, yeah, a little bit, but I think also it's the modern stuff he's done as an old man. That's true. I mean, keep in mind that most, I think, yeah, the lion's share of matches that Joe's seen from The Undertaker, he's not appeared in the podcast that much. No. But most stuff that you've seen from him has been him coming back, though. You modern started watching when it was a one more time pay-per-view. Yeah. Run. You know, Joe's most potent memory is obviously going to be when Drew McIntyre and Undertaker took on Shane McMahon and oh. uh, another bad guy. <laughs> 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 no, it was Shane and... No, wait. No, no, no. It was Roman and The Undertaker versus That's Shane right. and Drew. Go to your mind palace. Iconic match is what mm. it was, Joe. 
So, the cell from 1997 is a lot less user-friendly and red than the ones that we are more <laughs> used to these days. Oh yeah, they've come a long way. Big glow up from 1997. So tell me what happens with Sean in the early goings of this match, Joe. Well, first off, we get a promo from Sean. Um, he, he cuts this long <laughs> promo, has lots to say. And, um, and then Triple H grabs the mic and he's like... Now, what I want to say is... And then they immediately cut away. Oh. They're like, no, shut up, Triple H. No one wants to hear you speak. The grouping here, we've got Sean. He's got Triple H here with the open shirt and the long blonde hair. He's got China. He's also got Rick Rude there. As an entourage, weird. how do you think this weird click goes? I mean, I love it. Other than Rick Rude, he doesn't fit. <laughs> he really doesn't fit. No. Don't worry, he'll be gone as soon as Brett leaves out of, uh, out of protest. So. Um, we could get a montage of lots of chair shots to The Undertaker's head. So no wonder he has such bad opinions, <laughs> brain damage. The idea of these two being in the ring is always fascinating to me. And I think in the second part, we will be revisiting Sean and The Undertaker in one way, shape or form. But I love how Sean just uses this as an excuse to be a guy who's selling times a million. Mm-hmm. Like he's running in fear for most of this match early yeah. on. Like when he gets caught, he's like screaming, no, he gets thrown around and Undertaker walks calm cool and collected you know he's he's like a monster from a horror movie in this match i absolutely love the kind of vibes that both men give off here undertaker looks so funny though he's got his ginger roots <laughs> so funny I mean, he is his most emo here joe he's yes. got the little teardrop tattoo oh yeah i forgot about that he's got the big emo fringe he does. It's, it's so extra emo as well if you do have ginger roots because i feel that was when i was an emo growing up like we all had really shit dyed black hair. <laughs> like mine wasn't ginger; it was brown at the roots. But even still, like that was that was part of the look. You were you were a creature of the night, basically, is what you're saying. Creature of the early evening. Creature of the early <laughs> evening. And I was very amazed when we saw. I've seen this match a million times. I never noticed what was in the ring before that someone had thrown in. Yeah, a black rose. Come on, baby. Now, I know you're going to do Unsolved Mysteries for the AE Podcast live show. If you have any time. I, I would... no, that is top of the list. Thank you, because I need to know where that rose came from. In my mind, it came from The Undertaker, or maybe it was a sign from Kane. Or it could be from Special Agent Cole from the FBI with one of my Ooh. rare black rose cases, Coop. I only give these ones out when I've got IBS. <laughs> Sean is all over the top in this. And I love this. And I think we had uh, not a disagreement, but a misunderstanding when yes. we started watching oh this match. Oh my God. So I say that this is exactly like Shawn Michaels' match with Hogan in terms of like the overselling and stuff. And you got <laughs> so defensive. You were like, can you please just give it a go? Give it a chance. I was like, I am. This is me giving it a chance. I like it. <laughs> I was like, because I thought like we were sitting down to watch this match, which was like, we just watched a fucking long ass match. We have another yeah. long ass match. I was like, like, please, like we just need to make sure because I know we, our minds could potentially wander here. And I took it to mean that you were like, this match is silly like that match is silly which is like the worst how was that where your mind was like this will make it explain to Joe I'm a big idiot yeah I was worried you were saying that this professional wrestling match where a demon is pulling down Shawn Michaels <laughs> pants take her seriously he, literally while you were saying stop saying it's silly there was a demon pulling down Shawn Michaels' pants. Like it is very silly, and that is that is what I was saying. It's silly, and I was saying way. it in in a good way, positive way. But also, I was saying it because like I do think there's an interesting comparison there with this match and the match with Hogan because 
really on paper, Sean's doing the same thing in both. He yeah. is overselling. He mm. is putting on this spectacle in terms of how he receives moves and sells them. The only difference is that the Undertaker can actually wrestle. He looks great when he does moves and stuff. He performs really well. It seems logical for Sean to yeah. react the way he does. But for Sean, I feel like Sean could honestly say to himself, I wasn't trying to humiliate Hulk Hogan, even though he was. Because that's how I put over top guys. Exactly. He's his excuse ready for when he's brought into the principal's office. Yeah. Now, Sean, I know you would never do anything like this intentionally, but let's <laughs> just for Terry to hear, just so we know that you didn't, you were trying to push him over, Terry. Remember, that's what he said. And I just think that's really clever because that then further demonstrates how shit Hulk Hogan is, that he couldn't even do his half of the match. <laughs> if that's on him. That's his entirely half, on him. As if they shared the load, Joe. Know, his half right? is tenth of the fucking <laughs> match sean is spring-loaded here and he was actually involved like in the design of this match like he was saying like you know i want this you know the, we they had the idea of the cage of the roof yeah but he says can you make it please to be like chicken wire like a mesh because if it's that big old blue cage we have i won't be able to work in it but he wanted it to be the mesh so he could bounce into it and jump off of it and like that he does it so many times where taker picks him up like a javelin throws him and he goes head first and goes boing boing Sean really has like a reckless abandon here. Mm. But again, it needs to be pointed out that this guy does not seem when he when that bell rings, physically, mentally, like he doesn't seem like anything other than the sharpest, most put together, ten steps ahead of his opponent and himself. He knows exactly what he's doing. Mm. I never fear for Shawn Michaels when I'm watching like this, yeah. in the way that like some other guys when I've heard, oh, you know, they were a bit fucked up. Like if I watch British Bulldogs some matches around the time, I would be a bit worried sometimes yeah. if I see the kind of the uh, it'll break in the armor or something like that. But with Shawn, you know, we literally two seconds ago we were talking about him falling asleep in his dinner, and here we are, like months later. I'm like, he's fucking better than he's ever been. Yeah. That's a weird thing to go through if you're the mm. dichotomy of getting worse in your personal life and actually he's he's better than he ever has been. Yeah. I'd argue to say Sean was never as good as he was in Hell in the Cell 1997, you know? And I think that must be even harder then to really acknowledge that you've got a problem. Yeah. If you are doing genuinely the best work of your career. And that's what you're judged by. Yeah, that's what you're judged by. That's your job. And everyone's going, yeah, but you've got a big problem, but you're also... you're amazing yeah like a prodigy you're you know gonna carry this company to success and (laughs) the whole future of the company lies on your shoulders but also you've got this big problem but also we don't talk about the problem we just make it out as though you're having too much fun just this fucking mind games you do see a lot of it here now where they are playing up on the fact that the fans view sean as being somewhat misanthropic Mm. Uh, obviously there's the interactions with the fans and there is a point where he turns to the fans and just sprays them with the most disgusting spit I've ever seen spits on them and Sean has spit so many times in our watching and viewing for this episode that I accidentally came up with a new term for a horrible spit because (laughs) he was letting off a big dirty spit in one match and I was about to say oh god but also oh Joe because I was so sick of it at the same time that I said oh a John and I know I have gloop of the night, but I will say right now for everyone watching at home, Shawn Michaels lets off a big dirty John into the audience and it's disgusting and it's the only word for it. It has like an area of effect as yeah. well, like a Gloop spray. is too playful. Yeah. No, no one's got a jo- no one's got a John fetish is what I'm saying, yeah. alright? It's fucking nasty and horrible. Now Sean and the cameraman. We went on a little bit of a journey here. I think I've been on this journey twenty times as a fan. I've been worked over and over and over again. But talk to me about Sean 
and the misanthropic nature of his relationship with the cameramen. Well, I heard that in this match and a few others that he was in, he had issues with the cameramen getting in the way. Move. So I was keeping an eye out and I counted basically every time it happened. It happens four times Wowzers. that he attacks or tells the cameraman to fuck off. It starts off just by kind of thinking Shawn Michaels doesn't know how to play well with others and we all buy that. But what it actually transpires is another one of those really great little aha wrestling moments that they use to work the fans and tell a little bit of a logical story. Because this is a case that they've been locked in, no way in, no way out, they're not allowed out of this cell, it's designed to keep DX out and Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker in. Yeah. But it's masterful how the cameraman comes into it. So yeah, he he has these moments throughout the match where the cameraman's in the way and he tells him to fuck off or he pushes him aside or whatever. And then there is a move eventually where The Undertaker throws Shawn um, outside the ring and he lands on one of the cameramen. And he splatters him. Yeah, the cameraman is just splattered on the floor and sean just starts beating him up he just literally starts beating him up how dare you break my fall jr's like we've got a lawsuit here ladies and gentlemen vince is like apologize yeah we apologize to the family of that young cameraman oh my goodness Um, we apologize to tiny tim they uh they have to let they have to open up the cell to let the cameraman out to be taken to hospital basically but i thought that was really good storytelling because sean has this reputation already for beating up cameramen and getting annoyed with them and stuff and then to actually work that into the match as like one of his frustrations it really blurs the lines then between okay well then the first few times he was getting all pissed off with them maybe that wasn't really sean michaels maybe that was the character of sean michaels working you as the audience but it's both it's a potent fucking mix like you know because when i see Shawn michaels at the start of this match i mean i've i've recorded and reviewed this match for another podcast like i I, i've had this epiphany before the start of this match we start shoving cameramen i'm like this is the same fucker that made vader cry yeah he's such a fucking he's so so maybe that was a word maybe (laughs) no those are real shoe tears folks shoe tears from a mastodon so the cage finally gets opened up and sean is then just obliterated into it and he bleeds like so quickly from hitting the mesh and then hitting the floor i know joe that you get a fair bit squeamish with the old blood and uh i have self-identified as someone who is now numb to even the most gory blood in wrestling well you are an AEW fan (laughs) hey i was numb long before tony khan put his hands in his pockets I know we've done Eddie recently. We've mm-hmm. done JBL recently. Uh-huh. We did uh, Survivor Series, Vince McMahon, Punishment Special, Pay-Per-View, yep. Classic. I like to think that that Pay-Per-View, Classic, manifested his retirement. Absolutely. We've so had like, a prayer circle going for eight yeah. years on Patreon, Joe. Come on, The like. circle of witches. <laughs> we did that. <laughs> so I wanted to, to get your thoughts on Sean's blood here because he, he is a bleeder. Did it make you squeamish or are you... Are you getting acclimated to the gratuitous use of blood in wrestling? I think I am a little bit. Mm. It does affect me less. I've been listening to early episodes of How To and I definitely am not as upset by it as I used to be. Sean's got straight a pool going here at one point. Well, the thing about this is I liked that it was caused by something. That's always Mm. my issue mainly with too much blood is when it comes out of nowhere for no reason. And yes, okay, sometimes that's because it's a share shot to the head and Mm. I can't see them. Yeah. Uh, I have ob- no object permanence when it comes to chair shots <laughs> to the head. <laughs> How good of you. That's very nice, isn't it? Not perceiving them. I've got basically my own like spoiler tag like 
content warning filter in my brain. Basically, your way of saying, <laughs> ignore them! Like, yeah. They'll go away! And lo and behold, like... Yeah, it is interesting with Sean, though. He is, I think... I hate saying this, like, because he seems like a fucking psychopath, but he's one of the best bleeders in wrestling. Really? The way, like, you know, it starts off with that cut yeah, over the eye. Yeah, it starts small. It dribbles down. It covers his face, but his vision is still, like, unimpeded. He's not, mm. like, wiping it out of his eyes or anything yeah. like that. He just, the man knows how to bleed. It's like his circuitry <laughs> system is one of the greatest performers of all time. Like, you know, shout out to the arteries. Great job, everyone. The cages are open now and Sean is being, as we said, obliterated. So there's only one logical way to get out of here. I can't believe they did this on the first Hell in a Cell. It's so irresponsible, isn't it? They start climbing up. And I was impressed when Sean did it. Because yeah. he's, he's, he's a little guy. And he's bleeding to, heavy at this point. Heavy. He's been beating pillar to post. But I was really impressed when seven foot five Undertaker climbed them that cell. I don't know how <laughs> old he five. totally is. I don't know. Nine foot. Whatever. <laughs> Yeah, when I the, think the most irresponsible thing they do by going up here to the top is making mankind go, oh, all right then. Yes, please. Next year, like, <laughs> you know, I've punched my ticket. I know what I'm doing, like. But yeah, then they start like grappling on the top of the cage and the cameraman is still inside the cell and you see blood dripping onto the camera and the cameraman's literally like, ah, shit. Oh, God almighty, like. <laughs> it's in my eyes. If anything, fucking Shawn Michaels' blood will dissolve you if it's oh, fucking Oh, God, you'll get it's... high. Yeah! Immediately overdose. Yo, cameraman, don't take any drug tests for the next couple of yeah. weeks. Like, you're going to pop up for a few things, is all I'm saying. The wobbliness when they're up there. They're like mountain goats because they're like, so sure footage mm. Taker like he press slams Sean up there they are moving around they're striding with confidence and the whole structure is like yeah, rattling like it's really scary isn't it amazing that the scary thing they're up there is so wobbly and the thing down below which is meant to be safe and fake is made of actual concrete it seems like that's so scary if they fell through there like good lord in heaven I still maintain it's Mick Foley going through that cell and hitting that mat it was what made them go alright yeah. maybe we can make it a little bit less fucking miserable and horrible Yeah. I think it is miraculous the cell doesn't collapse and if there's one thing about this match as iconic as it is and as amazing as it is I feel bad that the fall is probably never really remembered from fans you know, when Sean actually goes off the cell, it's obviously not the same as when Mankind no, goes off. No, because it's really it's... slow down. Yeah. That's the thing, like, we are used, I mean, especially my modern wrestling fans, like, we are used to seeing wrestlers go off much taller heights than that yeah. on, like, a monthly basis. Like, yeah, it's just and letting not... a nice beanbag or whatever yeah. it is, you know. It's all safer, it's better, it's more spectacular. Yeah. There's something gritty about Sean just slipping off and splashing down. And it's not like, oh, stop the match. Taker just jumps down, picks him up, slams him through another table. He's just literally picking him up by the leg and slamming him around yeah. like he's the Hulk. <laughs> I think it's quite cathartic to see Shawn Michaels in this position for a lot of wrestling fans. And I think it's like, it's masterful again from Vince that had a legion of people who wanted bloody death upon Shawn Michaels. And then they see this and they're like, Yes! Like, it's like the Dudley Boys in ECW. People are going to pay big money to see this guy get his ass beat. Yeah. And you're getting it in a way. You're not going to, like, no one's going to see Bret Hart beaten up like this. No. Ever. I don't know if anyone would ever want to see Bret Hart beaten up no, like this. it would be kind of weird. It would be weird. But if it's Sean, it's like, it's because he's so athletic, you don't feel scared for him. 
But there's also like kind of a yeah, get him. Like you have this kind of you he's know an asshole. He's yeah. a nasty prick, and I think that's you know part of the reason it's why the he's, character. He's, all, he's not just. I mean, it's him as a character. It's yeah. him as a person. He's got that insufferable, smug, egotistical expression that means that he gets beaten up for real in bars. Like there's a reason he was always getting beaten up in bars, and it's because he's a smug, insufferable prat, just like he is in his wrestling character. And I think when you are, you know, play playgirl cover man like he is and you know push down the throats of everyone in america as being the sexiest man and being kind of really cocky about it it makes fans you know he always had that undercurrent of fans hating him Mm. and i do believe as well i think brett is definitely plays a role in this there's more than a tinge of homophobia to the hate for Shawn michaels that existed back then Mm -hmm. and i i thought i was very proud that sean was able to articulate in that sit down with jr where he's like stood up for himself he's like you know brett in fairness you calling me slurs yeah and saying i'm a sissy and then brett's like well you know you were you know you know doing a strip routine with a 10 year old boy in the ring and sean's like i wasn't though was yeah. i like you know and he he's like, wasn't. and you know he doesn't even say i wasn't he's like oh well if i was i guess i should be put in jail i'm sorry like yeah. I, you know I, he, he, no, he's, he goes like wouldn't well, no one of my kids so messed up yeah. and he's like, oh, oh my man, god mate, like, god but it's like, you know, it's hard, like, because it's kind of, it was a period of time where it's like, you're a man and you're comfortable with your sexuality. Yeah. That's so gay. And oh. That's the worst thing in the world. And, you know, they, they fans, you know, we saw what would, would gold us, but, yeah. you know, they, they really egged on the fans to do it. Fans yeah. would do it for Sean and they, they weren't kind of, it wasn't to the extreme that they, you know, the WWF felt they were egging them on like they were with Goldust. And because Goldust was so obviously just a fictional character. Yeah. Whereas Sean Michaels you know, he Michaels. is Shawn Michaels. You know, there's a lot of truth to his character, and but, they weren't saying it about the character Shawn Michaels. They were saying it about the man Shawn Michaels. The thing about Vince McMahon though is like he was all trying to push a kid-friendly product and all yeah. that. I'm like, hey, I think it's awesome that Shawn posed for Playgirl. I'm not gonna lie, but it's like it is weird that Vince at the same time was trying to be kid-friendly and PG, and he was sexualizing Shawn Michaels yep. way more than I think even Shawn was comfortable doing. It felt oh, like yeah, a point. Vince, Vince did it first. Yeah, I don't know if I could only get that kiss, which he did he over Shawn kisses and Vince again. all the goddamn time. Yeah, I wonder why Vince liked him so much. Yeah, yeah Mr. Perfect gets a high five, Jr. gets a high five, and Vince gets a kiss on the lips. Yeah, like, all right. <laughs> We are back inside the ring. The door gets locked again. And like, it's just like Sean just laid out, pool of blood, completely dead to rights. And then you've seen this bit before. I have, but out of context. Out so of context. Didn't know it was coming. We didn't show you the match. We just showed you the end. Yeah, which meant nothing to me at the time. <laughs> Tell me about the moment though in the context of the match. It's really cool. Yeah. It's really, really cool. So... As you say, Sean's wiped out, covered, lying in a pool of his own blood. Undertaker is definitely going to win, like, just a matter of seconds. Then Undertaker grabs this, like, nasty blue steel chair, hits Sean horribly over the head with it. Like, just one of the fucking nastiest unprotected chair shots last person in the world you'd ever want to get a chair shot from and like as well you must think that that height disparity oh yeah really leans into that like he's and got a lot of like height and weight behind a him. lot of people throw the kind of the the swinging chair shot from his the side is, his is coming down like yeah. he's putting the hammer down yeah and there's a lot more force that a way a lot more force yeah. i mean it looks very impressive but it's fucking disgusting yep and Sean's there, unconscious, and then we hear this music, new music. New music. Organs, and um, <laughs> out comes a demon. <laughs> uh, 
And that's gotta be, that's gotta be Kane. Oh my, look at the size of Kane. It's Kane. My goodness. It's Kane and Paul Bearer. And this is the really cool bit. So Kane marches slowly down with Paul Bearer prancing around him. And <laughs> Kane grabs this double chained cell door and just just lifts it off its hinges. It's so cool. It's very rare when you will just completely unimpeded, you know, without any kind of like, you know, something has set up for you very context heavy, just see something where they've done a wrestling thing and been like, that's so fucking cool. Yeah. And that was one of those moments. Yeah. I don't think I'd ever seen you, in a, you know, just be like, fuck yes. You know, awesome. <laughs> it's just, it's great. Because obviously the Undertaker is huge, but so is Kane. Yeah. And, and he's see, bigger because he's got them lifts. Yeah. <laughs> and to see him rip that cage door off and just like toss it aside. And then the best bit is after that. So Kane comes into the ring then. And um, it turns out that he's against The Undertaker. He's going to help Shawn Michaels. So he picks up The Undertaker for a pile driver. And then he kind of like moves around a little bit. He's figuring out where to pile drive him. And it's just like we've been playing a lot of the 2K games. (laughs) And you have to like get them in the exact right position to press like R2 and square. And that's exactly what he's doing. Joe empathizes because when she was Stacey Keebler putting a beat down on Ronda Rousey in a Hell in a Cell recently, she wanted to get her just in the right position to hair throw her through through the cell yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a tiny little detail about this that i hadn't seen before which is when bear is leaving he squirts water on earl hebner to wake him up yeah it's like why and then it's like oh so he can count the pin he wants yeah, to make sure the undertaker that's loses that's so cool loved it love that love that and i loved as well that it was paul bearer doing it like that's good manager shit yes, that's, yeah, yeah. that's the stuff that i feel is really missing from like less AEW, I think AEW does it really well, but WWE, the manager thing. I want to see just, them do something. They just stand around and they don't do anything. I want to see them help. Yeah. They should be doing the less glamorous stuff that it would expose the business if the wrestler does it. Yeah, like passing a hammer to Ric Flair. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you have Sean just. I mean, you don't know whether it's a shoot or it's a work him completely out on his feet like this, but like Triple H holding up, being like, "Yeah, suck his dick," and he's like, blah, blah, "Sean's blah, blah. unconscious." blood everywhere triple h seems like such a dick because he's like dragging sean's unconscious bloodied body around yeah. while pointing at his dick that's my meal ticket right there <laughs> give him a couple of months crotch uh, chops yeah oh god i i think that match is a thrill ride you yeah. see sean get beaten within an inch of his life but you also see him for those moments where he is on offense being so like so like believable that a smaller guy could chop down the big tree, the big redwood that is the Undertaker. So I think it's like, it's pretty rare magical shit, I think, in this match. It's funny though, but it's occurred to me we've actually barely talked about the wrestling in this match. So much happens. But it's it's all about this kind of, I don't know, it feels like this, this is an emotion heavy match. It is, but like you the know? wrestling is great. It is, it is. It's just there's so much other stuff happening that you kind of forget to talk about the and wrestling. The, the announcers kind of do an exquisite job, I feel, of, yes. of towing the line between oh, we should be like thankful that Sean's finally getting his to being like, oh no, this is too much. This is too far. This is the concern that we're feeling for him now to then also in the end coming back around and like, oh God, he escaped once again. It was, uh, for me, I think this is one of the best matches that, that WWF has ever produced mm. in, in my mind. Like, and particularly in a period where like, you know, this this really, if you want to pick a moment where it's like, oh, the attitude starts. It's never one moment, but this is one of those big kind yeah. of, this gave you some of the points towards getting to that next era right there, you know? 
But I'm dying to know your match rating for this one. Oh, I hated it. Zero oh, stars. Oh no, it was too silly. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> perfect match. Five out of five. Whoa, perfect match. Yeah, it was really good. Genuinely, okay, if I had to find one, if I'm being really pedantic, one criticism I had was Vince needed to fuck off commentary. It's his last night on commentary. Good, good. He needs to fuck off. And I would say, if we are talking about excuses, and again... This to bring us back down into the fucking dark reality of the wrestling company we were talking about in the time period we were talking about. That's the pay-per-view where Brian Pillman died that morning. Oh my god. And they decided to muscle on ahead anyway. And Vince, halfway through the show, is like, just so you all know, everyone, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Brian Pillman has died. Jesus Christ, so, my dude. you know, he's got things on his mind like, how will I interview the widow tomorrow night? Oh my god. So yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's out of commission here in more than one way, I think. But he's just like, he's just fucking dead meat though anyway. He's, yeah. he's not needed. You've got JR, you've got Jerry Lawler, and this yeah. is like peak of both of them. Like These guys know the story to tell. So here. good. Yeah. Anytime Vince had anything to say, it just detracted. It, he was just, yeah, just got in the way. And that's the my only criticism. And this is coming from, you know, I think I'm the only Vince McMahon on commentary fan there is in the I world. I think there is, yeah. Like, I'm the only, last remaining Vince commentary fan. And Whatever even few I, there were, they're gone now. Definitely. Yeah. Even I am like, you know what? You have you hung on too long. You yeah. should you should leave. Absolutely. But yeah. Five out of five. Yes. Amazing match. Okay. Really good. Really dynamic. Really fun. I feel you've had to watch so many shit Hell in the Cell matches over yes. the years for our Patreon. Like, that's good that you get to see uh, the originator. Like, I feel as well, like, this would be a better match to show a new fan than the legendary Mankind, 1998 yeah. Hell in a Cell. Because that is kind of the big moments and the kind of the reaction and the, the return and all that. This yeah. is like non-stop action 45 minutes of non-stop action yeah exactly there's a lot of action and he doesn't more feel like a long match does it no it doesn't yeah. it's, like, it's over 45 minutes long this, yeah, but yeah. it doesn't feel like it but also I feel like the 1998 Hell in a Cell it kind of just shows you what can happen you know even though they didn't plan it whereas this sort of teases your mind into thinking what if like you were reading Tajiri's book recently and you said to me oh a really interesting insight he had was that he focuses on attacking like the arms and the the torso and the legs of his opponents so that when he eventually hits their head you're like oh what if he hits their head yeah yeah and it's really impactful and you get that with this like it's like oh god that cell is rickety and mm. it's buckling underneath them and what if they fell but you don't actually get it but you get loads of other things instead I can only imagine what it was like being a wrestling fan who saw this match yeah saw this cell and then started watching king of the ring 98 and mankind starts climbing to the top could you imagine where you'd be like no no like if you had any kind of sense about it, you'd be like holy shit like you could know what was going to happen straight like, away no wonder people thought it was worked <laughs> like of course they did yeah yeah fucking hell so Shawn michaels with this victory gets himself his ticket punched He's going to survive your series 1997 to cause one of the most controversial and overwrought moments in the history of professional wrestling. He, at the same time, is still playing up DX. They're getting more and more juvenile, more and more in your face. He said the thing he wanted to do with DX was get stuff off his chest, but also kind of point out stuff to Vince McMahon and to the wrestling fans, kind of stuff that everyone knows is, you know, and we pretend that they don't know. You know, like that we we you know that we work in a wrestling company that you're the boss or that, you know, I want to make money or, you know, I don't get on with this person backstage. I love all this stuff they do. It's a it's yeah, it's it's a great idea in principle, but like 
you're then like gonna go out and say Bret Hart, hey, you're having an affair with someone who I I am actually having an affair with. You know what? I'm glad you brought that up because I feel yeah, obviously that's unfair on Bret. Deflection much, like. but I really feel who really suffered probably most from that is Sonny. Yeah. That's so unfair. That's so shitty to be having sex with someone who is lower down the card than you and then you call them out for having sex with your rival when you know that's not happening. Yeah. Like, that's just so scummy. She didn't deserve that. No, but I think in Sean's mind, he it was, you know, he thought it was, oh, Brett has a double standard, so I'm going to take him down a peg. Or is it like, you know, the way... I don't think we should take much of what Sonny says very seriously these days, given that she's behind bars for uh, killing someone. But I think that there's a part of it, you can't tell me otherwise, where it's Sean being like, oh, I think he's with my girl. She's yes. my girl. And oh, he's definitely paranoid. And she's left me because you know, the reason she left him is because she wanted to be with her, her actual husband who yeah. was on the on the brink, let's just say. Yeah. And the fact that it comes out that way, it's like, well, there you go. You've, you've ruined Blade Heart's first day at school. Hey, yeah, congratulations, well everyone. You know, just like we watched a few of these segments between Brett and Sean and they recounted them in the uh, in the documentary. The lead up to the Survivor Series is fucking poisonous. Mm. You know, you've got like, hey, let's do an angle where Sean says that Brett's a racist. It's like, all right, like, let's do an angle where Brett just basically says that Sean has no self-respect and no one will ever love him because he has, you know, he takes his clothes off. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, my God. Like, I don't even think Brett realized how you talk about the hitman the fucking pinpoint precision it's like he found every single pressure point of everything Sean was anxious yeah. and self-conscious about doom, 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 doom. and then Sean's ex- head exploded like Fist of the North Star yeah. you know these guys at this point now it's like you gotta think of a better way and like this isn't about Brett's contract and all that that's all in the Brett episode you can all find that out I want to just talk about Sean's role in Montreal and what went down at the screw job well right away I'm gonna say very interestingly Vince was absent for most of the documentary we watched, except for here. And he pops up here to refer to Sean as his soldier. Soldier. Come on. Come on. I just think soldiers are worried you tell to someone where it's like, I know that you're going to be fucking, you know, you're going to be traumatized by this. Yeah. So here's a special word for I'm you. I'm going to use you. Big brave soldier yeah, there you're now. you're my soldier. You're my war. My war mm-hmm. against this millionaire. I'm going to manipulate you now, yeah. <laughs> And there's nothing you can do about it because you're my soldier. They go out of their way to be like, all right, Sean took the brunt. Like, I feel that this is, this is a point that is, is fair enough, which is like people, fans, because they didn't talk about it and they were mysterious about it for so many years. And Brett was so, you know, he had so much pent up frustration about it. And a lot of it came out via his frustrations about Sean in interviews that fans are like, Shawn Michaels, he did the screw job. Yeah. And to say that Shawn Michaels is the only man to get the blame for the screw job, and he was for many yeah, years, for a lot of fans. So unfair. That is unfair. And the fact that, that happened to him when he was at his lowest emotionally, professionally, mm-hmm. you know, he was spiralling at this point. Yeah. You know, it is, it's not a good time for Shawn Michaels, let's just say. I get that. That fucking sucks. And they want to make it very expressly clear that in spite of what the dark side of the ring says, and that, oh no, it was Jim Cornette, and, oh no, it was Vince Russo. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Actually, it turns out it was Triple H. Yeah, I think we all guessed that. Yeah, it's him. He's the one who's like, well, fuck him. He won't do business. We'll do business for him. Mm-hmm. And you tell the story where it's like, Sean was so stoic and brave, sat there, kind of mulling it over. And it's basically Sean being like, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I'll do whatever you want me to do. And then mm-hmm. the rest of the lads being like, right, this is what Sean's going to do. Yeah. And it's like, all right, the worst people in the world to decide what Sean should do are careerist Triple H. 
and Vince McMahon, who at this point has got more than a bit of spite and a bee in his bonnet about Brett's current deal and not being able to pay it. Also, I do think there's a big part of Vince McMahon that is anxious and feels like a piece of shit and wants to deflect that out because he can't afford Brett's contract. And do you think that makes... quite humiliating. It is so humiliating. You know, he's in the middle of this massive rivalry. His company isn't doing as well. Big part of it. That, you know, the the very same wrestler who wants to leave for the rival company, he can't afford them. Like... While we're at it, are there any more fucking idiots out there who want to take credit for this buff yeah. bagwell or someone who actually it's mine any other fucking <laughs> cretins want to come out and be actually, like it's it me. me it's me jerry briscoe i'm a big fucking idiot no come on like look let's just call it what it is it was a really really terrible decision that was made which people have tried to explain away ever since and it's the most avoidable decision in the history of wrestling so here's how i think it went down because there's a, a legendary phone call which kind of this is what initiated the the screw job I think Vince had Triple H, Sean, you know, Patterson or whoever on the phone. And I think he said, look, Brett, he doesn't want to lose the title. He's very unprofessional. Yeah, that's it. And I think then he goes, you know, and that's, um, we're going to have to deal with that. And I think then he, Vince, he's a salesman. He knows how to use silence to his advantage. And he knows how to get Sean to do what he wants. Yeah. And make it think that it's Sean's idea. <laughs> and I think all Vince had to do was say that and then step back from the phone and just wait, listen. And, you know, then sure enough, out pipes, desperate to please new father figure, Triple H. He goes, fuck him. Oh, fuck him. And Sean, supposedly, this is the bit where it's like, okay, I, I, I'm not sure what to believe with this. Because Sean makes out as though, when lots of people make out as though Sean was just like, a yes, yes, okay. But then also throughout the documentary, we get told that Sean had no problem throughout his career coming to Vince and saying, I'm not happy with yeah, this. True. I'm it's, not going to do how, it. As we said, it's how yeah. he got that spot in the first exactly. place. He's never been afraid to stand up to Vince. Not to say he didn't you know, go along with what he was told. He normally did. But he was never afraid to tell him how he felt. And yet that didn't happen here. He never said, mm. I'm not doing that to Brett. I'm not, you know, that would be unprofessional or that's cruel or anything like that. the upside was too much, I think. Exactly. He know? knew he'd benefit. It's the he combination yeah. of that, I think. It's, it's very beneficial for him to be seen as Vince's little soldier. There's so many moments in this documentary that are so regrettable when they're recounting this. This isn't the worst recounting. The worst recounting is definitely on the McMahon DVD from like oh, 2005. God. Where it's Big Show being like, big deal, get over it. I'm fucking, fucking trying to leave hell. the company with the belt, man. <laughs> Which I should point out for again that Brett was never threatening to do that. That is no. the most made-up lie in the history of made-up lies in, a, in an industry that is built upon lots and lots <laughs> of lies. Like uh, Jerry Briscoe being like, Sean was so brave. He went out there. He could have been shot. No, he fucking... In Canada? I know, in Canada. In Canada. Where there are, like, firearms are basically illegal. Yeah, you <laughs> more likely would have been arrested for sticking the Canadian flag up his nose. Yeah. And literally dry-humping it in every opportunity he got. That's more likely than, like, oh, he won the title in a shitty finish. I like the idea that Brett might have appeared with a gun. Yeah, right. <laughs> After all of his anti-American, anti-gun promos. They he's just there. They call me the hitman. AK-47. <laughs> Actually, you know, there was a... There was a... I can't where it was it was maybe in that Sean and Brett view where he's like you know there were so many times where I'd fantasize about you know parachuting into the arena with a with a machine gun and killing Sean and Vince and yeah. everyone like, and that's what would have happened good thing Jerry taught Sean how to get out of a shoe hole the night before I in the know. hotel otherwise he could have been shot and the other one where it was like Triple H would be like you know um, a lot of the guys thought we did the right thing and you know uh, when we went um, we went backstage and uh, Ron and Don the big Harris boys, they were there. And then, you know, they said, we got your back, Sean. I thought, well, you know, 
they got our back, that's pretty cool, you know. Look, we could do a whole podcast about the number of people that we've talked about before, fucking Mick Foley, Ken Shamrock, Rick Rude, people who were like, fuck this, you know, own heart, British Bulldog, Jim Nyer, fuck this, what are you doing? I'm out of here in solidarity with Brett. But don't worry, everyone, Big Ron and Don Harris, the shit Harris twins, the worst fucking tag team I've ever had to spend a season fucking tolerating, who've got... Actual, literal SS tattoos on them. Oh my god. Don't worry, Sean. The Nazis have got your back. I didn't expect the Third Reich to show up oh, here. Come hell. on, lads. Don't use that as an excuse that the boys had his back. The fucking Nazis had his back. Fuck off. Jesus. And like, here we are in 2000 and like, you know, this is a late documentary. Yeah. And they're using these, like, gossamer thin excuses that it was okay. Yeah. Like, it's all right. I think, like, it... Sean, at the point when him and Brett have the sit-down, maybe has processed it more. And I think later... Like, they're at a better place now, the two of them. Yeah. Sean, when he talks about this, he, he kind of cries about it. Yeah. He tears up. But it's, a, you know, it the company, they're like... They don't want to tell that story. They want to no. tell the story of the soldier... What the soldier what the fucking DSS by his side like mm-hmm. it just it's not a brave story you know I think the most admirable thing that Sean did was like not fucking run away straight away yeah. you know the fact that he was able to sit in the locker room like Jesus Christ that's amazing and like for me I think it's quite amazing that he was able to take the heat of that for so long just by himself. You know, which must have been on some level part of his like worst nightmare because he is essentially a people pleaser. Like maybe not in the traditional sense that like, you know, I'm a people pleaser. I want to make people happy and like me. He wants people to like him, but also think he's really cool. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And here he is now. Everyone thinks he's a fucking dickhead, like cheater. It's the the opposite of what he'd want. Any way he could do it. Like, and that's, I think... One of the big effects the Montreal Screwjob had is that it like probably took one of Shawn Michaels' greatest anxieties mm. and it made every fan be able to weaponize it for like... I mean, there's people when Shawn was having his retirement match, you know, as like a, an all-time legend, an all-time great, there were people who were still like, fuck him. Oh, yeah. Because of this. Oh, I bet he still feels... You know, if he ever sees some scary lad looking at him funny, he's probably going to think back to this moment. Yeah, I don't think he'll be hanging around in Montreal anytime soon, is what no. I'm saying. And they have the temerity to end this section with Triple H being like... You know, we were going to the TV the next day being like, what's going on, man? Who can we trust? I'll tell you who we can't trust. That tricky Triple H character. Yeah. He's, a, he's a bit duplicitous. But I like, fucking... Uh, Triple H, honestly, I feel... I, I, I fucking hate him. He <laughs> has... I don't know how he manages it. Every time I learn anything new about him, I hate him more. He's gone down and down and down in my estimations. He's basically lower than scum on the bottom of a very infested, polluted lake. I just fucking hate that man. And you know what? I expect that behavior from Vince because he's an evil billionaire. Yeah. Like he is what he seems. And you even expect it from an extent to someone like Sean who's all messed yeah. up and you think, oh, well, in his worst day, maybe someone could convince him to do this. This man, Triple H, he's clean and sober the whole time. That's What's it. his like, excuse? Yeah. What you the know? fuck is his excuse? Other than his ambition. Sean was drugged out of his mind. He was manipulated. He was paranoid, you know, unmedicated and overmedicated at the mm. same time. And And at least he was able to take responsibility. What fucking responsibility has Triple H taken, seeing as he's the one, really, other than Vince, who is responsible for this? Well... I just, you know, that's the bare minimum he needs to do, is go, you know what? Yeah, it was my idea. He's in the wings, you know, waiting, because we have Brett, he's gone. Yeah. You know, and Survivor Series is November. We come around to January, Mm. and Shawn Michaels, all the problems we've talked about already, Shawn Michaels, the casket match with The Undertaker... 
and I remember we watched the clip and you were like, what's happened? And then they the super slow-mo and you could see just sailing over that top oh, rope. that's horrible. Just the top of his hip and his lower it's back. tailbone. Just hitting the edge of that casket and he's herniated discs. Mm. He's broken his back. Yeah. And he's got WrestleMania and a date with Stone Cold Steve Austin. The next mm. guy we have to crown. Yeah. So it's like, hey, guess what? Your arch rival is gone and Vince McMahon has got... It's not just, oh, Vince has got a new guy that he likes. It's like the fans of a new guy that they like. Yeah, it's not up to Vince. You know, it's Austin 316 is the greatest selling t-shirt of all yeah. time. We're now setting records. And We're bringing in that, Mike Tyson, you like, know? You can tell. Like, Stone Cold Steve Austin has a special energy that, you know, Sean may be the fucking chosen one, but he's not Stone Cold Steve Austin. Stone Cold Steve Austin is another level and above like, him even. Sean, you've been on WF TV for eight years now. Yeah. You know, and it's so sad for him because I feel like here's the guy where it's like, it's like an ending of the Twilight Zone or something like that. He spends his entire career hoping now I'll be the top guy, now I'll be the top guy. And it's like, you know what? We've taken away the one guy who makes you think that you can't be the top guy. He's gone. He's gone yeah. forever. And you're there one month, you're injured, and there's a new top guy. And also, wasn't it the case of, like, they finally started winning the ratings, WWF, right as Sean, le- like, had to leave? It, it was literally the Austin title change the night afterwards was like, when the, they won the ratings war for the first time. it's got to be another of his worst nightmares. Yeah. Like, that's, uh, like, even though it's not true that it was him to blame for that that's definitely what he tells himself and the problem with sean at this point is now that he's just this kind of swirl of like you know he's traumatized i think from the the montreal screw job at the very least and from throughout his you know all the stuff that's happened in his career that he's anxious about is compounded but you know what that fucking shit with the you know because i think some people will, get, will hear you say open the montreal screw job and think you're sort of talking out your ass but i again we have to mention as far as he was concerned, there were going to be men with guns showing up. This is a heavily yeah. drugged up well, that's man. Really, Jay Briscoe's television documentary yeah. is probably whispering to anxious Absolutely. Sean right before. He's so high, like, he's, para- he's already paranoid, he's anxious, and he's high. he's physically... And now he's scared you know, for his life, even though he's no reason to be. And physically, you know, he's 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 hurt. He, yeah. He's told that he needs to stop wrestling. And like, you know, he gets to the point where... He's meant he's booked for like a six man tag at the next pay per view, or is it an eight man tag? You know, kind of share the load, and he can't even do that. Like, so it's at this point, it's like let's preserve him as much as possible, so that he can put on a big brave face and drop the belt to Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania, in you know the biggest moment of all time with Mike Tyson and all that. And he's just you know he can barely make it over that finish line. He's physically broken in a literal and a figurative sense. Yeah. And we see the clips. I haven't shown you the whole match because I honestly find it too sad. Oh. I've watched it so many. I've watched it twice for the Edgeware podcast and a few times myself, and just seeing it. One of my favorite pay per views. But Shawn Michaels rests in Stone Cold Steve Austin, and every bad thing I could say about Shawn Michaels, and every excuse that he would have for that match, can't do it. I'm too hurt. Can't do. It, I'm too fucked up. Can't do. It, I'm like I just don't want to do it. Mm. Everything about that you would think is actually at this point reasonable, and he manages. He can't even fucking tie his shoes, he's so sore. Mm. He manages to put on a main event and put yeah. over Stone Cold Steve Austin. Which, you know what, though? You'd think on some level as well, I don't know if this was the case, but like, it's a bit of the, the boy who cried wolf with regards to the knee and losing yeah. his smile. Like, you think there would be some people probably who go, well, yeah, but how much of that is real, though? How much of this mm. is just him avoiding passing the torch now to Stone Cold when he wouldn't pass it to well, Brett? He, do- he does it, you know? And like, you know, we saw the few clips that I showed you in that documentary... It's like, it's weird because it's like he'll sail over the top rope. He'll he'll do a backflip into the corner like he normally does. All that seems fine. Yeah. But if it's like he's going to put Austin on the ground and bend over to give him a stomp, 
like and then all of a sudden it's like he says there's daggers stabbing all down his back and he and he's just in so much pain and it's and it's weird because he's meant to be the cocky heel and he's literally just like at his wits end like handed in his hands at his wits end mm. and i watched that match like three or four times as a kid before it was pointed out to me hey you know how hurt he is here right like he like he wouldn't have been allowed to do that you know now, yeah. now or, or even the last 10 20 years he wouldn't have been allowed to do that yeah and it's such a sad end. I remember the bit in Brett's book where it's like a couple of months after this and someone goes, hey, you should come back, Brett. It's so much fun. You know, Owen's here. <laughs> Sean's gone. The click's gone. Hunter's yeah. nowhere near as powerful. And he's like, nah. Nah. And that was like, yeah. I mean, the interview that they did with JR kind of, he was able to vocalize kind of why that was. And it's a moment that kind of, especially when I had COVID recently, it kept mm. making me cry thinking yeah. about it was just like Brett talking about how confusing it was like yeah. the Montreal screw job and how he just didn't know what anything meant really I don't like, think either man understood how it affected the other man for a long long no, long time because as far as they're concerned that's that's the enemy that's the person who fucked me over yeah and I think but it's like not, it's not as, it's not that it's the company the company is. has fucked you both over it's our it's our oft arrived at conclusion yeah, here yeah Vince is to blame and it is a Dark points to end as Shawn Michaels heads into now an enforced retirement with a wrestling school that he's going to open up. Promises of some appearances as the WWF commissioner, maybe, or the WWF president. And a long four years before he returns to the ring. And that is where this part of the episode, we will put a pin in it. And we just... (laughs) We continue the story in part two of How to HBK. But until then, let's have a look at some of your tweets. Right, we're back and we have taken a couple of days off between the last bit and this bit. And Joe, I gotta tell you, I feel all sorts of strange doing a two-parter and not having the sweet release of the end of an episode now. Yeah, it's so weird. Joe, you've had obviously a bit of time since we did the first part. Has your uh, thought process on Sean changed at all or how's it been? I'm apprehensive i guess because we ended at a point in his career where things were going steadily downhill yeah and i don't know it's all gonna be very different i think for the next part and i don't really know anything about that part of his career or his life or anything so redemption arcs in wrestling are generally a a tricky bunch is that what he's gonna i mean yeah in wrestling i guess he gets a redemption arc but what about in real life i don't know we'll have to find out and that's why you know we'll say at the top here next episode will be of course how to HBK, it'll be part two. So we will do another tweet, another Facebook post, asking you for your thoughts, opinions, matches, recommendations, etc. about Shawn Michaels post his 2002 return. So we will talk a little bit about the intervening years, but we'll be mainly talking about his big return, his retirement, and his current standing in the world of wrestling. It's been a an interesting road for Shawn Michaels, and honestly one that... You know, I'm kind of intrigued to see where the the lay of the land is, public opinion-wise, with regards to how everything worked out for the troubled heartbreak kids. But we've got a couple of tweets here, Joe, from our lovely followers over on How To Wrestling, using the hashtag HowToHBK. Don't forget, this will be the same hashtag for the next part of the episode. First up from Roa McGough. Can you talk about McMahon's love for HBK in the 90s? He respected Hogan, Austin, Undertaker, but he loved Sean. Pushed him to the moon despite business dropping. Let him drop four titles without taking a pin. Shawn Michaels, wow. Unintelligible <laughs> Vince noises from <laughs> WrestleMania 12. <laughs> I mean, he he does have 
like we've seen a lot of soft spots for wrestlers that Vince has had over the years. Mm. But I mean, I know you're you're quite attuned to Vince's kind of relationship with the top guys. Yeah. <laughs> is it different? Is it the yes. same? To or why is no, it different? It's, it's totally different. Well, think of any top guy that we've done an episode on. Like uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin is always the one I go to first and foremost because there is no star quite as big as Stone Cold. Mm-hmm. Like if anyone has earned the top place in Vince's heart, it's him. Like yeah. if Vince purely measures his love for a wrestler based on how much they can do for him. Dollars and cents. Yeah, so. <laughs> Stone Cold Steve Austin has done the most. But even he, like he overstepped a, a line for Vince and was kicked out you know Vince or I, or, or walked out or I walked out say. I guess but yeah like you know but like that situation like Vince really soured on on Steve Austin after that and it's also, also of course you know you know whatever he took himself too seriously no one would ever say he wasn't Mr. Professional Mr. Perfectionist exactly yeah and I think that definitely shows that even if you are someone who's trying to be just about the job and be as perfectionist and you know do the best to your ability no personal drama allegedly although i doubt that yeah but it just shows you that yeah you can still have a slightly tumultuous relationship but is it that vince is more forgiving of sean do you think oh, or absolutely he's more forgiving more loving of him more like, expectant it feels like as well but i don't know if i more expectant of what though because it feels like sean is constantly like doing things that other wrestlers would never get away with doing i know but i just feel like Shawn michaels particularly in this period that we've looked at He's a guy where even when it's just where he's starting out and things aren't, you know, it's rare to see someone who has kind of a shaky seeming road ahead of them and Vince McMahon being the person who has like the most, the, the most invested in them, so to yeah. speak. Because there are lots of wrestlers who are kind of like a risk for the company one way, shape or form. But it's usually other people who are going to bat for them. Vince is kind of like... This is this is Vince's like project almost. It feels like in many yeah. respects, like he wants to take this kind of chaotic boy and turn him into this show stealing icon of a wrestler. You know, but that's not really like Vince has never done that with anyone else. It's not like Vince to take a little, you know, anxious, badly behaved drug addict and be like, yeah, that's gonna be my pet project. Like he's never done that before or since, right? I mean. <sighs> I mean, you you could argue, you could, but I mean, I guess the difference, I think the main difference as well is that I don't think it's ever been as obvious to the audience yeah. that Vince McMahon has that special relationship with someone quite like with Sean. I mean, it's, just, yeah. it's all the stuff about him refusing to drop the title. Like with yeah. anyone else, that would be completely <laughs> unforgivable. He'd probably be blacklisted. Yeah. Not to mention like all of the anti, you know, like, you know, half the stuff that happened with Shawn Michaels with regards to like, you know, his drug addiction is stuff that Scott Hall went through as well. Scott Hall was mm. never allowed those leniences. Yeah, it's true. It's just it, it's just one rule for everyone else and one rule for Shawn Michaels. The man definitely has his asterisk, let's yeah. just say. Next up from Will is also young. I've been filling in the gaps on Shawn's first run over the years, and as much as a dick and a prima donna he seems to have been by all accounts, he really was an especially athletic and spectacular performer and a uniquely contemptible heel. Perfect for the 90s. Oh, yeah, and I think the 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 body of work stands for itself i think in the section of the episode when we were talking about you know hell in the cell and what kind of came slightly before and after mm. some of the best matches of you know obviously of that generation unquestionably but like that holds up to this day you don't have to like you know, i think we were talking about wrestlemania 10 we just did for pay-per-view classic you can show him and razor in that ladder match and you don't need to give you know a, a non-wrestling fan the kind of the context of the times or oh don't expect this or expect that 
it stands up to on its own two feet to this day and not a lot of stuff from the mid-90s does so quite as effortlessly as, as Sean's body of work, I think. I mean, it depends on what you're measuring it with, I guess. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, some of it has aged quite badly. Oh, that's true. But I mean, just in terms of the pure athleticism, you oh, know? Oh, pure athleticism, absolutely, yeah. But then it's again, like, another reason why I'm like, well, why does Vince like him so much? Vince doesn't normally care about athleticism. Well, maybe he will reveal his backside in this match as well. Oh, oh yeah. my, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> now from Joey Pitt. Sean did more to make me a lifelong fan than probably any other wrestler in history. I never cried harder from anything in fictional media than HBK's retirement. His in-ring work, mic skills, and unmatched attires make him stand out as top five in the history of the business. I think it's good that we hear from some just pure HBK love. Yeah. And that that is, you know, cannot be understated how many people feel that way you know and like if he was that's the thing for me i think with sean if i'd start watching wrestling two years prior i have a funny feeling that oh you sean know, would have been your guy and i'd be a very different wrestling fan yeah you know because it wasn't until you know i had nearly 10 years of watching wrestling under my belt where i was like huh athleticism interesting <laughs> well yeah because i was all about you know gimmicks and comedy and promos yeah. and all that stuff so it is interesting he he definitely along with brett I think the two of those guys shaped the the tastes and opinions of more wrestling fans than 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 any wrestlers who came before them or since. Like at least in our in our neck of the woods. Funny you should say that because our next tweet from Pasta Bread Dude, who fucking hates Sean. <laughs> HBK is one of those guys who had massive influence on wrestling. Ironically, him and Brett, while opposing forces, have influenced wrestling to the point where plenty of great workers today can be traced back to either him or Brett. Massively important and equally a dick. Yeah, and it's very funny to see the wrestlers who. You know, honestly, I, I'm not complaining because I love seeing it, but like, it's an easy win for hardcore wrestling fans if you're going to throw a little Bret Hart tribute out there. And Johnny Gargano has been wrestling with the audience with his little bit of HBK tribute act. It feels to be like a, this big thing that's held against him by large portions of the wrestling community. Mm. So I think it's funny that, you know, we're talking about two wrestlers who've long since retired. Yeah. And not just retired, but like made their peace with the wrestling world and moved on and all that. And yet, in in essence, their feud lives on. <laughs> Absolutely. Now from MD Broom Boy. Sean was an asshole, and unknowingly probably was the first person to show me the real-life person behind the character. To watching him beat my all-time favourite Bret Hart in the Iron Man match, the one thing that stuck was his reaction after winning that. Ah, yeah. I um, mean, is that the first instance in wrestling, like, really, truly, of you being, like, shown outright, this is who he is? I mean, but, you, you know, that's the thing. You can watch that that match and that, that, that post-match bit. And, I mean, if the two lads involved can't even decide what actually happens there and how it comes across, because they both told multiple versions of that story, wrestling fans who are obviously open to interpretation when they see something, you know, I, I'm sure there have been plenty of moments before then where you can kind of go, ah, that person's breaking character or whatnot. But in terms of being such a high-profile moment yeah. and also, like, a coronation of sorts... Like, we, we watched it, Joe. It's pretty easy to say that is not the happy end to WrestleMania. No. Compared to WrestleMania 10 a couple of years prior, which was such a happy, yeah. good guy ending to WrestleMania. And that was meant to also be a good guy ending to WrestleMania. And it kind of felt like, I don't know, you're having a good party and then the birthday boy gets fucking ornery and decides everyone wants to should leave now. Yeah. You know? It's like, okay, we had a nice time and I think they did as well, but something's off here. Mm. And, you know, it's... It is who he is. And I guess you can't fall Sean for, even for someone who's 
a lot of people point the finger and say he's very dishonest to points to his career his emotional honesty <laughs> betrays him i think a lot of the time because he'll let you know how he feels yeah and he did a lot now from that guy wade too in many ways i blame the clique for his behavior more than the man himself because really they weren't looking out for each other as actual friends but more as business buddies they saw a troubled man and kept quiet because that was the way back then yeah i don't think the clique I mean, maybe now, in retrospect, you know, they're all retired and such, and, you know, time heals all wounds, but I think you and I have been kind of shocked to find out how, how quickly they'd stick the knife in each other's back. It's like, so toxic. You wouldn't get it's that with so the BSK, toxic. Joe, yeah. is what I'm saying. <laughs> they have, like, they don't have each other's backs at all. They don't look after each other. Like, it's just, I just don't see the, the point other than, yeah, this business we're going to get better matches. Mutually beneficial. Like, at least with the NWO, there wasn't any of that, like, actually going on in real life. Like, they were just playing. Yeah, just exactly. Just being characters. Whereas the click, it's like, no, you're actually worse than your characters make out. <laughs> I have a funny feeling this Triple H episode now, because he's the last oh member. Yeah, him and obviously Waltman as well. Yeah. But I think in terms of the, the, the core guys who get mentioned, you know, the core guys who a lot of these fingers will be pointed at. Triple H is, is, is upcoming. It feels like he's got a lot on his docket as it pertains to you, Joe. I want to take him down. <laughs> Next up from Fizz versus the World. A man whose in-ring skill and ability to get new match types over is dwarfed only by the size of his ego. Essentially, he's Hogan with the talent to back it up, which makes, <laughs> which makes his SummerSlam mockery of Hogan's offense all the more hilarious. That's so accurate. He literally is. Nail on the head yeah. right there. Yeah. He's got like most of the same like downsides as Hogan yeah. in terms of the politicking and the backstage bullshit. Uh, Hogan's a far better politicker than Shawn Michaels ever yeah. was. You know, but the reason being, you don't have loads of stories of Hogan, you know, having fights and strops and falling outs with everyone backstage. He was so powerful and so good at politicking that you, know, you rarely heard you really heard about that it really came to that you yeah. know the moves were already made but yeah for sure that is that is, we're getting a lot of very accurate summations here of mm. Shawn michaels thank you everyone this is excellent stuff next from starter quest the wbe love to talk about how the nwo were the main reasons for wcw's rise in 1996 but never seem to bring up how hbk was killing their main event scene by using the backstage pull to squash the locker room oh. trends don't change for one reason but for multiple i mean i definitely get that but the problem is, is that for and this happens with people like myself and yourself, Joe, who have seen all of Sean's stuff like after it's happened, after the fact. I don't think people were watching his matches in 1996 going, oh, the politics, man. Fucking no, hell. but you do it doesn't necessarily come on screen quite as obviously as it no. does after the fact when you've read all the backstage drama and seen yeah. the documentaries and heard but all the shoots. I think you do on some level feel that like, you know, a roster is only as powerful as like, I don't know. Like, there's more to a roster than just its superstar, right? For sure, like, yeah. You have to have, like, the mid-carders, the jobbers, the various characters and stuff. And I think, on some level, the audience will know that something is wrong if they're just seeing the same five people again and again and again. Like, yeah. it's boring. Yeah, for sure. And I don't think you lay that down solely at the champion. That means that you, as a promoter, maybe have not got the best yeah. creative uh, structure in place mm -hmm. or the right producers who could maybe... I mean... It's as if Vince was powerless to stop any of this happening. No, that's the know? thing. And like, yeah, Sean was a dick for doing that stuff, that politicking and getting his friends over. But also like, 
how many of us could actually honestly say that we wouldn't do the same for our friends if we had that opportunity? And honestly, could we all say that it would have worked if Vincent Mann wasn't in the cusp of a midlife crisis at the time? Because mm. I think that's a huge part of it. Yeah. Having a bunch of guys going, you're 50, we're 30, yeah. and you don't, you're out of touch now, and him having a fucking crisis and basically handing the wheel over to them, so to speak. I'm cool, I'm hip. <laughs> Finally, from Mo Square. Canadian here, lol. Oh I'm- no, <laughs> the man has humped your flag. <laughs> I think HBK was a dick before slash after finding God, but I'll be nice by saying the following. Before Brian Danielson, he was arguably the greatest American wrestler ever. Remains incredible that he came back to submit an incredible eight-year run from 2002 to 2010. Well, that's right. Coming from the, the, the mouth of the Canadian right there, that got me a little bit excited for the next, the next episode. Because, I mean, I think that his in-ring work is better in this next section that we'll be looking at. Okay. I think it is. I think he is altogether a better performer. How? I mean, obviously there's less of the drama. There's... Well, that sounds like a bad thing. Mm, well, no, because if it means that the match goes more smoothly, it feels like he has a, more of a master of his craft altogether. Okay. You know? Not to say that he couldn't... He, he, there's some things that maybe he could do back then that he necessarily couldn't do as well when he's older because, you know, his knees are getting worse and stuff like that. But I think that's always the mark of a very, very good wrestler is someone that as their career progresses and their, you know, their bump card fills up and their injuries pile up, that they manage to become an altogether better performer. But I think the proof will be in the pudding because we'll watch these matches. And I think he's someone who a lot of his matches in the second part of his career, it's not as, you know, it's not about the drama. It's not about all the the personal animosity. And some people think that's actually maybe a a downside to it is the fact that the matches and the storylines that he had, he had fewer you know, big storylines. A lot of them were kind of similar story. Like, hey, Shawn Michaels wants to fight someone at the pay-per-view. He's the icon, he's the legend, and you're going to fight him. So I'll be interested to see, because I know that for you, it's more than just the matches. It's the kind of yeah. build and the, the story and all that. I think you'll like him in the second part in ring. Was it retains to everything else? I don't know. I don't even know myself, really. So I, I will calmly and professionally ask once again, for our fabulous listeners to send in some thoughts as concise as this and as uh, well put together and nail on the head worthy as this i'd be very very happy how to hbk part two and quick little shout out before we wrap up here the next release that you probably will see here will be how to celebrities because we're going to be the london podcast festival doing a live show i believe there's like 10 tickets left so you can come and see us still it'll be 2 p.m on the 17th of september king's place theater in london as a first live show in a few years obviously because of the coronavirus pandemic the attitude era podcast will be on later on in the day and myself joe adam billy will all be there hanging out doing a q a with folks afterwards having a nice big hang with our extended pod crabs pals yeah very excited joe. very excited it's been too long as they say yeah so bring a sign bring a smile bring a question in your heart and Joe and I will be there to talk about all the fabulous and not so fabulous people involved in wrestling who we can consider celebrities. And maybe we'll fantasy book a few scenarios as well, Ooh, Joe. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So until next time, where we're going to be talking about the next and last part of HBK's career, it's a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a goodbye from me, Joe. And we'll see you next time on How To Wrestling. See ya.